Oh, didn't have my mic plugged in. There we go. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being recorded and broadcast live on June 7th, 2018, second week of the World Series of Poker. I've been here since the beginning. This is not like other recent World Series where I show up in mid-June and try to catch up. I was here since the morning of May 31st, and I've already played three events. This is being broadcast live from the World Series of Poker, and of course we're going to be covering a lot of World Series of Poker topics. We were just on five days ago, just five short days ago, we were doing a show also from the World Series of Poker and covering uh, the week one topics, but here we are on week two. I'm just trying to, if I sound a little distracted, I'm trying to fix the sound, which to me, on my end, sounds a bit soft, but maybe for the rest of you guys, it sounds okay. Let me know in the chat room if I sound normal. I I don't want to be too soft because then we have listeners like Handicap Me who listen to this show walking through the noisy streets of Manhattan, and whenever I'm too soft, he complains. So I want to make this easier on those listening in noisy environments to be able to hear me. And I think in general with radio, it's better to be loud to where people can turn you down than too soft where it's hard to turn the person up. Because yeah, smartphones and the other devices like that that people listen, they don't go very high as far as volume is concerned. So if something's too soft, sometimes it's just too soft even on the loudest setting. Yeah, so someone in the chat room is saying, fuck handicap me. But, you know, I-, I want everyone to be able to listen to this, whether they're in a noisy place or a whisper quiet place. So... I'm just looking at the sound levels, and it looks like it's not going through as loud as it usually does. So I'm just trying to let's see if I can adjust this a little bit and make this louder. Okay. Uh, I think this is a little bit better. I'm not sure. I, I brought my setup here. I, I actually have recreated the Poker Fraud Alert radio studio in a hotel room. Because I, I used to just bring along uh, portable headphones, but they were soft. So I decided I'm going to drag along the whole setup and make it sound like I'm actually in my usual secret location. Well, anyway, we have a free roll that started minus seven minutes from now, also known as seven minutes ago. It's a $100 free roll. Once again, the $100 came from attorney Eric Benzamokin. If you need an attorney to help you out with any kind of uh, mediation or arbitration issue or maybe... You just have some situation with a poker player who owes you money and you need somebody to mediate it. That's a good person to go to. Eric at eblawfirm.us. Eric at eblawfirm.us. Or if you just have any legal question, you can email him. He's very responsive. But he gave the money again this week, $100. I thank him very much for that. I will be seeing him. He's going to be playing uh, an event this year. I'm not sure if he wants everybody to know what he's playing, so I won't... uh, won't tell you guys, unless I have already, in which case you already know. But uh, one of the events I'm playing, he will be there too, and I will see him again. We, we met recently outside of Vegas, just to meet up for the first time. So I thank him for that. For those of you that have donated to the free roll and have not heard your donation listed recently, I'm just holding them back, so don't worry, I will get to it. I have not forgotten your money. I posted it in the thread that you donated, and I will get to it. I promise I appreciate every donation. In fact, probably the ones that are backlogged I'm going to use next week. I just don't want to use too many donations at once and then 
or either run out of money or have too high of a free roll during a show like this, which is on an off day where there's not as many people listening. So if you're around, get in there. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need to understand the rules to win the free money before you play. It's at pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. Pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. And you also need a validated and verified account on the Poker Fraud Alert No Fraud Online Poker Room, which is run by Bellybuster. If you are a new member there, then you have to get his permission. And this is being done to prevent multi-accounting. Would you believe we've had multi-accounting concerns even in our free roll? So this way people can't use multiple devices and dump chips to themselves. This way only people can play who are known people on the forum. Of course, if anybody's caught cheating in the free roll, not only will they be banned for life from the free roll, very possibly banned for life from the site, and also uh, publicly shamed for it. So don't do it. Do not try to cheat in this free roll. See, Trader Ruski is logging into the system, so that's good. That means I'll probably have a co-host tonight. Uh, I don't know about Calwatt. Calwatt just came back from New York City today. He lives in upstate New York, so... New York City and upstate New York are actually quite far from each other. Uh, many people in the West erroneously believe that places like Rochester and Buffalo are close to New York City. They are not. And uh, people from the East erroneously believe that uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles are close, and they are not. So they're just two large states, you know, California and New York, with large populations, and it can take a while to trans- to travel from one to the other. Uh See if I get anything from Calwatt. No, he's not there right now, but uh, maybe he will pop up. I see that uh, Trader Ruski is around, so I will connect him on. And we'll have our co-host here. I always like having a co-host. Makes it easier on me. Get a different perspective, different voice. Might see things that I have uh, not seen or thought of. We seem to have that every show, so... Fred Ruski, glad to have you on here again. What's happening, Jeff? Congratulations on a good start. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. Thank you. Um, I have mixed feelings about my start so far, but I'll uh, I'll get to that. But thank you for the congratulations, uh, nonetheless. And uh, let me give the agenda to everybody. Let me go through the rest of the intro, then I'll give the agenda, then we'll get started. And uh, so the free roll is a hundred dollars, as I mentioned. And it's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find it near the top of the screen. Same prizes as last week. 50 for first, 25 for second, 15 for third, 10 for fourth. Again, Eric Benzamokin gave all that money, the $100. So that it is 50, 25, 15, and 10. I can pay you by bank transfer, by, by Bitcoin, or other methods that you might be able to think of where I could transfer you money online, maybe a service that's been around for a long time. Also, if you're going to be at the World Series of Poker and I owe you money from the free roll, just let me know and I'll tell you where to come find me and I'll bring the money down with me to make sure I have it and I'll hand it to you. You can just I'll say I'm at table such and such, you come down and I will hand you cash. I really will. You can if I owe you and you're here. So, I've already seen uh, a number of listeners. I've seen uh, some people I knew before. I've met some new people. I met one new person that uh, I never expected to meet, and I was surprised he introduced himself to me, which is the topic of this week. And we'll get to all of that in this week's World Series of Poker Week 2 News. 
In the meantime, if you want to call into the show, it's the same phone number as always, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is about 45 minutes away from where I am right now by car. It does not look anything like Las Vegas. You'll feel like you're not in Las Vegas. You'll feel like you're not near Las Vegas. It's a mountain setting. It is about 30 degrees cooler than Vegas. And... uh, I suggest you go check it out at some point if you have a car and you're in Vegas for the World Series. Uh, also, if, if you want to like play in the snow or just kind of be in a snowy environment, that's a good place to go in the winter. Just make sure there is snow. Sometimes it doesn't snow there till later in the winter because the West just doesn't get that much snow. But that phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. That's the Mount Charleston line. It's an old 70s rotary phone that I placed in a cabin that I have in Mount Charleston, near the top of the mountain. It's, it's a, a phone that sits there and forwards to me wherever I go. I have a call forwarding feature installed on it. You can't text it. It's just an old 70s rotary phone, and it forwards, but you can't text it. Don't, don't text that number. But you can text the main number. The main number, that's a more modern number. The main number is a number that can receive calls and receive text. That's 775-372-8355. You can text me before, after, or during the show, and I will respond to you. And I may read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. So watch out. You can chat in the chat room if you're listening live. You need a flash-enabled device. I'm glad I don't have CalWatt on here to mock me for that, but you need a flash-enabled device, meaning iPhone and iPads cannot get in there. But uh, most other devices can. You need a form account in good standing to get in there as well. That's the chat room, just the chat button near the top of the screen. If you do not listen live, of course, there's many ways to listen in the archive. (coughs) Sorry about that. A little bit uh, dry air here kind of makes me cough. I don't have a cold anymore. I just uh, cough a little bit from the dry air. I have water on hand, though, for this show, as I always do. But many ways to listen to the show. You can listen, I'm talking about the archives, using iTunes, Stitcher, which is an app to listen to podcasts, TuneIn, which is similar to Stitcher. TuneIn can also listen to the live show. You can use Amazon Alexa. All you have to do is say, Alexa, uh, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. That's all you have to say to listen live. Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and you will listen live to the show, or whatever is currently running as a rerun. If you want to hear the last archived show, you just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast. So if you add the word podcast at the end, it plays the last episode, and if you want to hear the second to last, then you just say next, and it jumps back to the second to last. And you can keep going and going. That's on Amazon Alexa. Uh, the TuneIn app can also be used to listen to the live show. And we also have Google Play. We also have the MP3 itself. You can just go click on. And it'll play from your iPhone or iPad and many other devices. That's in our radio forum. You just click on the, the MP3 and it plays. That's the easiest way to listen. When I want to go back and listen to a specific show, that's usually just what I do. Uh, we even have an RSS feed that you can access if you know how to use those. A lot of ways to listen to the show in the archives, but I don't want to forget one other important listening option, and that's the Call to Listen line. The Call to Listen line has been around for nearly three years now, and it's a lovely invention that allows you to just simply call and listen. 
It's not a call-in line to the show, but it's a way to listen to the show on any phone in the world. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a computer. You don't need the internet. You don't need a data plan. No, 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 no. You don't need any of that stuff. You just need a phone that can dial. Any phone that can dial a U.S. phone number, and you can listen to the show. The phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162. And guess what? It doesn't do this annoying crap like buffering. When you're listening, it doesn't freeze while it's trying to make a good connection with your device. Now, that's that's stupid. I don't like buffering. I hate buffering. Buffering stops me from listening to that many podcasts because it irritates me so much, or at least live stuff, you know, where I don't just download it. So I didn't want to induce a buffering problem with my call to listen line. So there's no buffering ever. I guarantee you'll never call and hear buffering on the call to listen line. 712-775-8162 is the number of the call to listen line. It's just so easy. It just works. And it's not like, you know, Apple, that's their slogan. It just works. But often Apple devices don't just work. This just works. Once in a while it goes down, yes, but then I, I fix it. 712-775-8162. I mean, call it when you go to bed, leave it on all night. I don't care. It doesn't cost me extra money. That's the call to listen line. When we're not live then it plays random reruns from our library of nearly 300 shows. Yeah, we're going to have a 300th show not too long from now. And you can just listen to whatever's playing at the moment. And when that's done, it picks another one at random and plays over and over and over again until we come back live. Speaking of which, I hope you get your fill of Poker Fraud Alert Radio tonight or whenever you listen to this episode because there will not be another show till June 19th. June 19th is our next episode because I'm simply not going to be available to do it. Between World Series events I'm playing, between time I'm going to spend with my family. Obviously, I haven't spent time with my family uh, while I've been here at the World Series. So for that reason, I'm taking uh, some time away from radio. And I'll be back on the 19th. To remind you, June 19th, at 6 p.m. is the scheduled time for the next show. If, if that changes, check the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter, twitter.com slash Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, a week later, June 26th will be the next show at 8 p.m. We have a show scheduled for July 4th at 6 p.m. These are all Pacific time. Four days later, July 8th at 8 p.m. And then July 18th is the next show at 8.30 p.m. Those are the next five shows we have on the schedule. So there will be a 12-day hiatus. And that's just the way it's going to be. And I'm sure we'll have a lot of World Series topics to cover at that point, but we'll get to everything that there's worth covering today. And hopefully between this show and the one five days ago, you'll have enough to listen to. And if you don't, then find something else to listen to next week. I don't know what to say. But, you know, World Series time, it can be tough. Because what become, what's tough about it is that I've got to squeeze this in between events I'm playing and other things I have to do in my life. So when I don't have that much time to spend with my family because of the World Series, especially this year, then I, I can't take what little time I have with them and do radio and prepare for radio. It's just, it's just too much. So I can't do it during those days. I'm sure you understand. Especially because it doesn't make money. If, if this was making loads of money, then I could say, well, you know, how do you think I put food on the table? But uh, this show actually takes food away from the table. It, it doesn't put food on the table. It, it may not be bad for me to, to keep 
food away from the table. So I, I actually went out. I'm not going to say who it is, but I, I met a listener yesterday, and uh, this individual took me to dinner. It's the first time I met this person. And uh, they actually ordered uh, – they were looking to order something smaller than was on the menu. They were asking if they had like a smaller portion, and so they usually can't finish that. Um, as you might imagine, I did not ask that, and in fact, I ordered two main dishes. <laughs> now, in my defense, I didn't order an appetizer or a salad or anything or soup. I just had the – you know, so I had the two main dishes and a side and, and a dessert, so – what can I say? I, I can eat a lot in one meal. Which, from everything I'm reading, by the way, is not very healthy. Like, There's all these suggestions on how to live to 100. So I was going through them, and it said, well, here's how you live to 100. Number one, be female. So that's not going to work for me. Uh, be short. That's not going to work for me. Uh, don't be overweight. That's not going to work for me. Uh, don't eat a whole lot in one sitting. That's definitely not going to work for me. So I, I'm thinking, you know, with all of that, I'm probably going to die at like 60. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> I, I don't think there's many 100-year-olds who are my height, male, and, and eat a whole lot every meal. I don't, I don't think there's many who make it to 100 that way. But, yeah, maybe by the time I'm 100, though, uh, modern medicine will get better and better. And I will be able to do that. that. That's my hope. There's actually been... I was just discussing this with my father the other day. Because, you know, my parents are getting up there. Um, and I was telling my dad how I'm happy that he's healthy and he's in his mid-70s. And, and he was saying that, you know, one of the reasons is that they really have made a lot of progress with medications that you can take to bring down your blood pressure, to bring down your cholesterol. It's a very big one where before that didn't exist. So just medications like that can add a lot of years to your life where before you were just kind of screwed. So it only will get better with time, which is good. Everybody I talk to who's around my age Everybody kind of seems to have the feeling that like the next major, major medical breakthrough that will really add years to people's lives, something like a cure for cancer or uh, an effective way to stop heart disease. Uh, everybody feels like we're just in the wrong generation. We're kind of like in the bubble for that, like like Benjamin's generation. That they're they're going to have the benefit of it, or maybe even the people who are like in their twenties now. But like for you know, traders, because like you and I, like we're, we're going to just miss all that. I kind of have that feeling, too. Do you ever think that, that we're going to kind of just miss the next medical breakthrough? Yeah, I know. I think the next generation, they'll live to about 150 and be in great shape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's what's going to suck because there's going to be like some, some major breakthroughs. And then we'll either be already dead or, or too old to really benefit much from them. So anyway, uh, let's get to the agenda here. And then we will get going. Free roll, you still have uh, not very long. You have uh, one minute to get in. So, <laughs> until 9.05 of late registration. Sorry for starting late. Uh, I won't even go into the whole story, but I went to go eat before the show, 
and it was at a fast food place that had screwed up the other day and had double charged my rewards credits. And it, it's very, very hard at Caesars Properties to reverse reward credit charges. Very, very hard, especially from like a restaurant. So I knew I'd be here the whole series. So I said, okay, don't worry about it. How about you just give me credit for next time? And the people didn't have authorization to do that. I had to come back the next day and talk to the manager. It wasn't much money. It was just the principle of the thing. So I, I, anyway, the manager said, fine. Uh, you know, no, you know, no problem. I'll put it down there that you get uh, such and such credit for next time. I didn't even ask for anything extra. I just wanted exactly what I overpaid credit for next time. So I came t- tonight before the show, and the good thing was that same manager was there, so there's no question that I would get it. Uh, and and he tried, but the problem was there was no way in the system to just take off that amount of money. He had to like take off individual items. But what was really getting on my nerves was that he couldn't make it equal that exact amount of money. So he was trying to approximate it, and he was like shorting me by a few dollars. Like, well, that's the closest I can get. I'm like, no, go the other way. <laughs> if you can't get to the amount I overpaid, then 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 give me something else back. You know, comp off another item, so it goes over. And he was very hesitant, but finally did it. But I finally said, look, I don't even want it to be a dollar less. If you if you char- if you double charge me by accident, and I you know and I. St- Stood there forever while you were trying to reverse it and couldn't and all that, you know. And, and I graciously just said, fine, we'll just do it next time. I'll take the credit for next time. Um, yeah, d- don't, don't give me less than what I paid for. That's not fair. You should give me more. You should e- equal or more. So if you can make it equal, fine. I'm not asking for anything, but definitely don't give me less. So finally he just said fine and gave it to me. But that, that, that irritated me. Yeah, I, I could have asked for a, a lot more than that because they wasted a lot of my time with this crap. But all I wanted was just the amount I overpaid back for the next meal. And they wanted to under, underpay me by like a few bucks. So you got to be kidding me. Like, if, if a lot of people say, oh, it's a few dollars, who cares? The reason it matters to me is it, the principle of the matter. I don't want to pay for something and then not get what I paid for. I, I If something costs uh, $10 and I pay 13 I, I don't want to pay thirteen. I want the three dollars back in some way. Now, there's a point where it's it it's insane. Like if it's by two cents or something, obviously I'm not going to say anything. But uh, that's absurd. But you know, it's not like a few dollars. I, I'm not going to put an hour into recovering it. But at the same time, you know, if a place says, "Hey, you know, we we owe you thirteen dollars." Uh, here's here's nine back. That's all we can do for you because the system won't. You know, if we give you another one, it'll jump up to sixteen dollars. And we only owe you thirteen. Like, no, give me the sixteen then. If you can't give me thirteen, don't don't give me the nine. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it's the principle of the matter. So anyway, that that took a little extra time. So between that and just kind of leaving for dinner too late, uh, I started the show a little bit late. I think I think the fact that I chose a six-minute song to play also <laughs> maybe wasn't the best idea. That was uh, that, that was Hearts Magic Man. I didn't even say what it was, but from 1976, it's a song that sounds like it's going to be over after like two and a half minutes, and it goes on and on for like another three. Until I looked up the year of that song, I always thought it was like early 80s. I always thought that song was like from 81 or 82, and then I looked it up one day. I'm like, wow, 76. Which kind of makes sense, because in 76 I was four, so I wasn't listening to popular music then. So, like, 
songs from that era. I'd, I'd kind of hear, but I, sometimes, but I, I wouldn't really remember exactly what year I heard it. So, like a lot of songs from the seventies, I kind of caught up with in the eighties, hearing on the radio, and I didn't exactly know what year they were in. So, okay. Here's the agenda this week. We're going to talk about a number of World Series of Poker Week 2 topics. I'll talk about my second cash I had at the World Series. I got a second cash this time in a Hold'em event to add to my small cash from the Omaha event, the first one I played in the series that I talked about last time. I had a weird encounter with a Poker Fraud Alert listener. When I went to the Rio front desk, now this was not an employee at the front desk, this is a customer at the front desk, but just so happened the customer I was standing next to there was a listener, but it wasn't just any listener. It was someone who, when they revealed their identity to me, surprised me with who they were, and in fact, that they even would reveal themselves to me. So I'll tell you who that was, and why I was very surprised that they would out themselves to me, because I had never met this person before. But I believe me, when they showed me their name, I, I definitely knew who they were. Chicago Joey. I had accused him in uh, 2016 of throwing softballs. I said he's got a very popular show on on YouTube, and a lot of people like him. But one thing about Joey is he's a softballer. He has a lot of big-name guests on his show, and he has a big following, and he's a nice guy. But uh, he throws softballs. He doesn't get down to the tough questions. He doesn't hold anyone's feet to the fire. He's a very likable guy, but he doesn't hold anyone's feet to the fire. He throws softballs. Well, that's not true anymore. Chicago Joey is throwing balls a lot harder. In 2017, he sped up his pitching, and then 2018, boy, he's definitely not a softballer. So he's he's been delving into the controversy. If you remember, we had him on this show as he was outing America's Card Room for their botting and collusion problems. And he was on a crusade to make everyone aware of their botting and collusion problems. Look, I will tell you, he definitely negatively affected that business, America's card room. And rightfully so. You know, he, I'm not saying he, he did something wrong. He, he was right to do this. He was talking about something that was really going on and that people should know about. But uh, he has a big following. He definitely affected them ne- negatively for what they were doing. And, and people are staying away from there because of his reports on that matter. And I thought, wow, look at look at Joey. He's he's kind of doing what we do. He's kind he's kind of coming out there and just talking trash about uh, companies in poker that deserve it. Wow, good for him. No more softballing. And and he got involved in the Daniel Negreanu and Doug Polk uh, fighting back and forth. You know, really on Doug Polk's side because they're friends. And and now he did an expose on those aggressive cell phone hallway vendors, cell phone charger hallway vendors. That is. And I talked about it a little bit last week, but we have a lot more to say about it this week. He actually did a video about them, which has caused a lot of controversy. And I'll play the video, make my own comments. So that'll be a segment tonight. Here's a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. Go to twitter.com slash WSOPTD. That stands for Tournament Director. WSOPTD. Twitter.com slash WSOPTD. That's Jack Effel. World Series of Poker Tournament Director. That's his Twitter account. Take a look at it. You will notice that there are zero tweets in the year 2018. You will notice that there's only one tweet in the past 11 months. And that was back in December. So, 
why has he been so quiet on Twitter? It's because he has quit. Jack Eiffel has quit Twitter. I will tell you how I know and what he had to say about it. This is a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. You will not find this reported anywhere else on the web. But I got the info. The Colossus event ran. I didn't play it, but the numbers are way down. 13,000 entrants, and that includes multiple entries. So it's fewer than 13,000 people, 13,000 entries total. Some people entered as many as 12 times, including Ryan LaPlante, who entered 12 times. And you're not going to believe how Ryan LaPlante did in his 12 entries. Bart Hansen, also known as that Hansen kid who runs Crush Live Poker. As far as the World Series goes, he's not off to a very good start. I don't think he's cashed anything yet. And he played with me at the one World Series event I did not cash in yet. Or not yet. Didn't cash in this year. That was the 10K Omaha 8 or better. He actually busted that event before I did. He was very frustrated. And he decided he was going to go play high-stakes video poker. Usually that doesn't end well when someone is frustrated about busting a tournament and they go gamble in the casino. In fact, that's what the casinos hope you do. But a happy ending for that one, for that Hanson kid. He got a pretty big hit. I'll tell you how much he won and how he won it. The King's Lounge, where the high-limit games are at the World Series of Poker, uh, last week we talked about their obscene rake, how they have raised it almost 100% over last year. I went and talked to them about it myself, and since then, not because of me, but maybe maybe a little bit because of me, but uh, I think because of a lot of people, they have lowered the rake somewhat. We'll talk about what's going on there in the King's Lounge. Remember I praised the World Series of Poker last week for splitting up the Diamond 7 Stars registration room and the payout room to where they're no longer the same room and it's no longer chaos? Well, I still stand by that praise, but I have to add some criticism to it. There's been some complaints. I haven't experienced this myself, but there's been some complaints that the Diamond 7 Stars registration room does not have enough cashiers. And for popular events, the line is very long in there. And that was not always the case. Final World Series of Top World Series of Poker topic for the week will be about WSOP.com. They also had an online bracelet event, which concluded recently. But they're still struggling, despite the fact that they have shared liquidity, meaning that it's the same player pool. Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey are all together now. So the site should be big and thriving. It's not. It's doing better than before, but it's not doing that well. I will go over it. I'm, I'm on it right now. not playing on it, but it's open right now. I will tell you what games I see and I'll give you my opinion as to why it's not doing as well as it should be. Other non-World Series topics, though this next one is kind of a World Series topic, Nicholas Palma, also known as Nicky P, is accused on Twitter of scamming and even worse, he is accused of by one woman of sexual assault. Hmm. That's pretty bad. I mean, the scamming's bad enough, but if he really did commit sexual assault, that's far worse than the scamming. So I'm going to read the accusations. Keep in mind these are accusations. I'm not uh, stating 
that these are my accusations. I'm going to read the accusations on Twitter, but I will give you my opinion as to whether I believe the accusations or not. Charging for parking has become a big thing all over Vegas. It started at MGM properties and then started to occur nearly everybody, everywhere. Uh, credit to Sheldon Adelson. He, they never did it at Venetian. But uh, the win is one of them that jumped on board with it eventually. Well, the win and Encore have decided that was a mistake. They're going to restore their parking lots to be free. So we will talk about why that's happening and what impact it's likely to have on the rest of Vegas, that this is the first property in recent years that has gone from charging for parking to not charging for parking. I have a further update on the labor dispute involving the hotel workers where pretty much if a strike happened, it would cripple hotels all over Vegas. I have an update on that. The strike date was set for June 1st. It's currently not happening, but I'll tell you whether it's likely to happen at any point and if there has been any further progress in the discussions. Finally, also about the labor dispute, after the tragic shooting on October 1st, 2017, where Stephen Paddock broke his window at the Mandalay Bay and fired on people at a concert below, killing 58 people and then killing himself. They have gotten very hard line in Vegas and across the country regarding Do Not Disturb signs. Prior to that incident, you could just hang a Do Not Disturb on your room and keep the maid out and keep everybody out for a long time. But after that, they stopped allowing that and in fact most properties in Vegas started to announce policies that would either eliminate the do not disturb sign altogether or have a policy that if you had it up that they could enter your room once every 24 hours if they choose to do so. So I thought during the World Series this is going to be a headache for me. So I'm one of these guys who likes to hang the do not disturb on there and never let the maid in. Maybe once if it's a long stay but other than that... Uh, I just don't like people coming in my room for various reasons. I thought this year I wouldn't have a choice. Well, no. Actually, because of the labor dispute, it's been easier this year than ever to keep everyone out of your room. I know this because I'm in a hotel room right now. I have been here for a week, and no one has set foot in this room except for me. No one has tried to. So yes, despite all the talk that they're not going to allow the Do Not Disturb sign to be hung up there for a long period of time, as Stephen Paddock did for like five days, I have had mine up for a week and nobody has come in here or tried. And it's all because of the labor dispute, but most people don't know that. Most people think that policy is in place. It is actually not, but it probably will be soon. So that is our agenda this week. Of course, uh, if you want to call in, 775-372-8355. 702-430-1808. Just try to do so during breaks and segments, because if I'm in the middle of talking about something, I probably won't take your call. Though if you have something to talk about related to the topic, you can text me, 775-372-8355, and tell me to answer your call, and I'll answer, and then you know, make sure the topic's relevant, though. 
Don't don't call it in the middle of a segment and then bring up something else. We we don't allow that anymore. So let's get going here. I just got a uh, a message from somebody. Actually, not even through the uh, the text number. A message from someone who wants wants me to say hi to them on the radio. So uh, to that person who messaged me there, hello. I can see how that feels good, though, to have a show this done every week and the person says hello. Okay, so there we go. Uh, let's uh, let's start the topics here. I've got to note the time I'm starting this, so when I go through the arduous task of the noting of timestamps, so you can just skip through the show to the parts you want to listen to that it'll be easier for me. I hate doing this, by the way. I, I can't tell you how much I hate doing this. I, I do it because I know people really like it, and it's useful. But believe me, after talking for like six hours straight, and you just want to go to bed, the last thing you feel like doing is downloading the show, and then going through it and, and marking down to the second when each topic begins. It's And I try to note it during the show, but it's hard to get it totally accurate, and Maybe I'll build a system for myself that makes it easier, but uh, I mean, then I'll still forget to do it. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's a it's a pain in the ass. What I should do is I start like a stopwatch, so I can see to the second what it is, like not an actual stopwatch, but the equivalent to one. But that always takes me like an additional like twenty minutes after the show's over to do all that, in addition to the archiving process, which takes a little time as well. So, for me, the show's not over when it's over. And that's the time I least feel like doing that. I wish I could just go to sleep and do it eight hours later. But then people will complain the show's not available in the archives when they go to work. Uh, okay, fine, let's do it. All right. I'm going to talk about the World Series of Poker. And we'll start with my third event I played. Well, second and third events I played. I won't talk about them. So on the last show, I had only played one event. I had played the Omaha 8 or better, and I finished 59th out of uh, 900-something people. So I uh, I got kind of a, I call it a pseudo-min-cash. I got about 50% more than a min-cash, but still, you know, it's a under $5,000 cash. It was like 3500 bucks. The min-cash was like 2200 So not exciting money. Was it better than losing? Yeah, sure. Is that, if I lost, I'd be $3,500 poorer than uh, had I gotten that cash. Actually, it's not totally true because I only had 60% of myself. You know, the people who bought pieces of me had the other 40%, but you, you know what I mean. It was also nice to get the first cash of the year off my back. It's funny because every year when I'd cash for the first time, I would talk about how I've cashed every single World Series since I started playing in 05, which is true. So I'm just waiting. One year is going to happen where I just brick everything, and it's going to be so frustrating, and my streak will be over, but... Fortunately, this year, that monkey's off my back because the first event I cashed. Uh, funny enough, Mike Sexton actually brought this up. Like Nobody's been bringing up the cashing at least one event every year thing until this year. Then Mike Sexton brought it up. Apparently, he's been cashing every year since 88, so he's got a 17-year head start on me. I wasn't even old enough to play in 88, so even if I played from the first moment I was eligible, I couldn't be ahead of him. I couldn't play for another five years. But yeah, Mike Sexton has cashed once every year since 88, which I didn't even know. And 
he currently holds the record for that. Now, eventually he's going to get too old to play, or he'll die, and uh, then maybe I can catch up to him. Though, Barney Boatman, he tweeted that he also has a long streak himself. Not quite as long, but uh, I'd have to pass him as well. And also not have a year where I don't cash, which which might be tough, because I don't play a full schedule. If I play, like, 40 events every year, like some people here do, yeah, of course I'm going to cash one of those. But a lot of years I play, like, eight events, seven events, so by no means is it... A given I'm going to cash But so far I, I've never had a World Series Where I don't cash Despite many World Series where I play fewer than 10 events And despite the fact that uh, until Like 16, I, 2016 They were only paying 10% of the field Now that it's 15% of the field, it's a little bit easier But but my first cash was, was and, and all my caches through that first event This year were 10% or better as far as What was left in the field So that change didn't matter as far as that streak Anyway, I got that out of the way. Then I played the 10K08, the first time I ever played that event, Omaha 8 or better. And I didn't know what I'd expect there. I'm like, okay, am I going to be playing against like all the 08 All-Stars? Like, you know, there's a 75-150-08 game. There's a lot of very good 08 players in that game that runs pretty much 24-7. So I thought maybe it'll kind of be like that. Maybe it's going to be very, very challenging with, you know, playing 08 against some of the best players. And I've only been playing 08 since uh, 2016. So, like, uh, am I a better Limit Hold'em player than 08 player? Yes, for sure. There's no question. I'm, I'm definitely more talented in Limit Hold'em, at least right now, than I am in 08. It's just an experience difference. Uh, did I get good enough at 08, in my opinion, to be able to compete in an event like that? I said, yeah, I want to take a shot at it. And, and I finished 59th in the 1500 08, so that shows you, you know, unless I got super lucky, I'm no fish. Okay, so I, I figured, okay, I'm going to try the 10K this year. And... Boy, was that a surprising experience because there were a lot of bad players at that table. Now, not, not like clueless where they didn't understand the game, but strategy-wise, uh, a lot of them were surprisingly bad. Then they had a few people bust and uh, people got moved to the table. So I thought, okay, well, there go some of the bad players. You know, may, maybe the uh, table's going to get tougher. No. The people they moved in the seats of those who busted were even worse. Then we got some really bad, like like players even worse than anyone at the when the table started. So I mean, this table was gold. This is exactly the table I wanted for the 10K08. Got someone else of interest at the table. I got uh, David ODB Baker at the table. You know that we've had our. Differences in the past. We even had a little uh, Twitter fight a few years ago. We've had some issues playing live poker, where we've uh, had some words. Uh, as I've said before, none of this is financial. He's not a dishonest person. He's not someone who scams. He's uh, trustworthy as far as that's concerned. If you want David Baker to hold money for you, uh, I totally trust him. But uh, you know, personality-wise, we don't get along. So he was at the table. Now, between he and I, we didn't have any kind of uh, conflict at the table. Uh, he actually had a conflict with somebody else at the table, but I actually agreed with him, <laughs> which is a weird situation. Like, I I kind of wanted to speak in his defense, but I was like, no, no, like I, I'm just not going to say anything because, you know, it feels weird when the, the guy you don't like at the table is the one who's right in an argument. And so, I mean, I spoke up a little bit on his behalf because it was something that affected everybody. 
but uh, it, it was just kind of a weird experience there. <laughs> but uh, with that was concerned. But anyway, me, me and him didn't have any problems there. Uh, but he started off decently, but then he he started just losing every hand, and I could see he was getting more and more exasperated with the bad play that was getting rewarded. And like he's experienced enough to know that you want fish in the game, so he wasn't one of these guys like, oh, I don't want fish here. You, you know, they always catch up on you. Like he didn't feel that way, but at the same time, he was just kind of frustrated because he was in a uh, a 10k 08 table that was like a dream table for him to accumulate chips and get a big stack, and instead he was losing. So he busted, and uh, he walked away looking quite unhappy. He he didn't you know badmouth anyone's play when he took bad beats or whatever, but you know, but he. Uh, uh, you could tell he was unhappy, and he walked away and immediately tweeted, just busted from the most special table I've ever played in my career at a 10K event. And he put special in quotes. So you, you know what he meant by special. He meant, like, the people at the table were idiots. I don't think he was referring to me. I think he was referring to the players who were noticeably bad that were there that were beating him. Uh, unfortunately, the special players got me, too. While I didn't bust as early as David Baker, while I even had a little run where I, I, I moved up well above average in chips, uh, then I started to lose every hand. And the way this event is structured, I guess they've changed it. I didn't used to play. I never played it before. But I guess what they've done is they sped up the structure at the beginning and slowed it down in the middle and later stages. So I busted just as it was starting to slow down. They were They were actually repeating a level. Level 10 and level 9 were the same level. Uh, I busted in level 10, which is the final level of the day. Um, there were some monster pots in that, where if I just won like two of those monster pots without splitting them and did everything else the same for the day, I still would have finished as like one of the chip leaders. That, that's how crazy that table was. I just had to win two pots, do everything else the same as I actually did when I busted the event, and uh, and I would have been one of the chip leaders. Some of the pots were just insanely large because there was so much chasing, so much raising. I mean, you just had to – you had to just hold on for dear life and hope your hand holds up or that your draws make it, which unfortunately for me um, wasn't happening for the most part. I was uh, I was pretty much missing everything. I was either just missing flops or, uh, or, I, or I'd flop something and then uh, they'd catch up. Or in most cases, I'd have a, a big draw and it would just get nowhere. So uh, – I was watching these giant pots develop. I'm like, come on, spade on the river. Come on. Sp-. Nope. Brick, that's it. So, uh, anyway, that one I didn't come very close to cashing. I busted day one on the final level of the day. So I wasn't one of the earliest ones out, but I wasn't anywhere near cashing. So my f- then I played a satellite. I also played a satellite before that to the uh, 10K08. And that one has a very fast and lousy structure. I didn't come close to cashing in that satellite. So I went into the first Hold'em event for me, because I hadn't played any Hold'em yet, until June 5th. So I had, by the time I played a Hold'em event, which is the big blind anti-event, I had already played the 1500-08, the 10K-08, and a satellite to the 10K-08, and had cashed only in the 1500-08. So this is my first Hold'em event. It's the inaugural big blind ante event, which is where there's no antes except the big blind does the entire anteing, 
and puts in an ante equal to the big blind. So if the blinds are 500, 1,000, you're also putting in 1,000 ante. So when the blind comes to you at 500, 1,000, that means you're putting in 2,000 for the big blind. One for the ante, one for the, uh, the blind. And I'll tell you my opinion of that event shortly, but let me talk, talk about uh, how I did in the event. Um, I started off losing initially, but then I went on a nice run. I won some races. I, I was trading flops. I, anyway, I was uh, I ran it up pretty quickly. From uh, you start with seventy five hundred. I I went down to about five k, and then I ran it up from there to thirty one thousand pretty quickly. And I was I there were some people who were really running it up fast. Like I thought I, I'm like oh I wonder if I'm close to the chip leader. No, there there were people who had like like sixty three thousand by that point. Uh, several people who were like way above me, which surprised me. Like they must have been at some pretty crazy tables or just gotten some. You know, sick cooler after cooler where they just keep winning. Anyway, I was ha- happy with my 31,000, obviously, at that point. It was like in the third or fourth hour. So I thought, all right, here we go. Unfortunately, after that, um, I didn't go anywhere. And part of the reason for this was that they moved my table. My table broke, and I got moved to a very, very tough table by day one standards in a 1500 event. These 1500 no limit events, they're not full of fish. You know, some, some people say, oh, the 1500 events is so easy, such an easy field. No, they're not. Years ago, yes. But now you have people who, for the most part, know what they're doing to some degree. But uh, you do still have a number of recreational players. Uh, a, a lot of guys who just like playing poker have some money, you know, from they're not pro players. They just, you know, middle aged, older guys that have money from whatever whatever they do for a living, and they enjoy playing poker. And they fifteen hundred is not a very much; it's not a lot for them to risk, so they go and play it. And that's uh, so. These are people who are not clueless, but they're not good players by any means. So I had a, some of those types at the table I was at. It wasn't a super easy starting table, but it wasn't hard. Uh, the table I was moved to was hard. These these were a lot of tough players. Uh, a guy two to my left, uh, he didn't have a lot of chips, but he, he was he had won a bracelet in a fifteen hundred no limit uh, World Series event. A Swedish guy, older, he was like early fifties, but still uh, a lot of good young aggressive players. Uh, just everyone was either good or competent at the table. There was not a single fish at the table. There's not a single person I looked at that table going, oh, this is, this is the spot. This is the guy I've got to get my chip. No. <laughs> like, like every single one of them seemed either decent or good. So I couldn't wait for the day to end that one because that's unusual for day one. If I got that table on late day two or early day three, sure. I mean, they're, uh, that's normal. But this, this felt like a, this was my day three table draw because I made it deep in the event, not my, my mid-day one draw. Uh, J.C. Tran was there, too, by the way. So we have J.C. Tran. We had a $1,500 no-limit bracelet winner from the past. And we have a number of like good young pros. And then we have uh, some Euros that are, are good. And then just some other guys that just seemed like, you know, competent. There's, like, no soft spot at the table. Uh, I had one interesting hand. So there's a young guy, pretty aggressive. He was uh, like three seats to my left. He actually had gone to the same college as me, just many years behind. And I, I had been 
in a tailspin, just not winning hands at that table. They also kept three betting me. It's it's so frustrating. I know they can do it. I know it's I guess the right thing to do. But I hate when I, I pick up a hand in late position, which is a good late position raise hand. But it's one where if you get three bet, you really don't want to continue with it. You know, like, you know, you get you get dealt jet, jack nine in late position, and and you you raise and then you get three bet. And limit hold them, sure. You could call and see the flop, but you know the, it's hard to go on with that when you get three bet from the small blind. So, uh, you know, I, I kept getting three bet off hands. I don't know if I was running into real hands or if they were just taking shots at me. Whatever it was, uh, I, I was, and then the hands I did play to the flop, I keep missing. So I was down to seventeen k, and this is now later in the day. So seventeen k is short. And I wasn't very optimistic about my chances anymore. And I was kind of frustrated that uh, my good start was looking like it would be for naught. And then I got dealt pocket twos in late position. Folded to me. I raised. I said, okay, if this guy tries to pop me from the small blind, I'm not folding this. Well, he didn't. He th- he looked at his hand. It looked like he was thinking about popping me, but then just called. And then J.C. Tran of the big blind called. So at this point I'm getting short and I'm thinking, well, you know, I can't just go in with twos by themselves, but I've got to, you know, I probably got to fire a continuation bed unless it's a very bad flop for this. So I said, come on, let's see a two on the flop. Let's see a two on the flop. So I look, a two is the door card. I go, oh, thank God I got the two. Then there's two king king. I go, okay, well, there we go. There's my boat. Um, hopefully I get my chips in here. So it checks to me. I bet. I'm thinking, please give me action. Please give me action. Well, the small blind, that aggressive kid, check raises me. Something, ah, sweet. JC Tranfolds comes back to me. Well, I did something I usually don't do here. I decided to do some Hollywooding. I decided to pretend like I was kind of nervous and frustrated over the situation. I was thinking, I want to act like the middle-aged guy who's got, like, pocket eights here and doesn't know what to do because the stack is short, but he thinks he still may have the best hand, and he doesn't know exactly know what to do at this point. Like, I was trying to give off that sort of vibe to this kid. Now, of course, if the kid's got a king, then, then you know, it doesn't... It doesn't... He wasn't really a kid. He was, like, late 20s, but I'm calling him a kid. Compared to me, he's a kid. But if he's got a king, obviously he's not folding. So then... I don't have to do an act. I could just go all in. He's going to call. But But if he's doing this either with, like, another pocket pair or just air, whatever. Like, I, I don't want to chase him out. If he's got a king, we're going to get in no matter what. If he, if he doesn't, I want to I want to encourage more betting from him. So the only way I can do it is if I, I look like I, I'm kind of, like, frustrated and confused of what to do. So I tried to put on that act. Um, and, and then, uh, so I called, I called it after kind of, uh, like, like, like counting my chips and, and like, breathing a little bit, uh, like, uh, and, then, and then just kind of, like, dropping the chips out there, kind of like, I'm not sure if I should even be calling. Like, I, I try to put on this act. I try to, like, picture there were, like, eights in my hand or sevens in my hand that I, I'm wondering if this is going to be the end of me. Should I do this here? Like, I, I'm trying to, like, act like that, trying to picture that's what's in my hand, and this is the way I should act. The turn, would you believe, is another deuce. So now I've got quads. Well... This is great because uh, now I can't be screwed by a full house hitting the river. By If that guy does have a king, I won't be screwed by if he hits his kicker. So 
Now, the only thing that could screw me, if a guy's got a king, is if uh, the, the third king rolls off. So he bets again into me. Now, I'm not sure if he really has the king or if he's, uh, or if he's just uh, still trying to fire to get me to fold. So I decide, well, now especially there's no point. I'm in position. There's no point for me to go all in at this point. I need to just uh, call the bet again and again put on this kind of frustrated, I don't know what to do act. So I did. And I put the chips out nervously. Fake nervously, that is. River comes a jack. He very quickly says all in. I very quickly say call. And I turn over the deuces and the table oohs and ahs. He shows me king queen. So it turned out all that acting was for nothing. <laughs> he was getting it in for sure anyway. But um, a little bit later we discussed the hand. And he told me a few things. He said that he was considering three betting the king queen. But that um, see, the fact that he had three bet me a number of times and I folded and the fact that I seemed to be losing every hand. Oh, and just before that, I got really screwed on a hand where I had a, I had a short stack all in when I had eights and the board was queen seven seven. I got the, I got the, it was queen seven 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 on the turn. I got the short stack all in with eights and it turned out he had fives. So the only way, he couldn't beat me. He had no way to beat me at that point. A queen seven 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 when I had eights. There's like, like a few hands before this. This is what I'm talking about. And then, of all things, another queen rolls off when we chop, me in the short stack. I was so frustrated because I really needed that one. <laughs> and the guy had the four outs to a chop. Basically, either the fourth seven or, uh, or, or the remaining three queens. No way the guy could win. And we ended up chopping. So, this, this guy who had the king-queen, he thought about this. He thought about the fact that I had just taken that frustrating beat on that one. Frustrating chop, I guess. He was thinking about how I was losing every hand prior to that. And he told me that what was going through his head is if, if he tries to re-raise me, that I'm probably, that he was afraid I was just going to shove the rest in out of frustration and that he didn't, he didn't want to call all that off with King Queen. So it was interesting that his, he was noticing my frustration. He was noticing how I had been losing and had, and had thought that he shouldn't three bet me because I'm probably just going to fire it all in out of frustration and he's not going to know what to do. That was an interesting thing he told me. And I believe he's sincere too. And then he also told me that uh, when I was doing the whole act about acting, you know, he knew it was an act by the time he saw I had quads, that I wasn't really nervous or frustrated during that hand. He said that he noticed that I seemed to be putting on an act. He said, I noticed the Hollywooding and wondered why, you know, why is he doing this? But uh, he thought that... It could be legitimate because I just took that frustrating beat a short time ago. He, he knew I was legitimately frustrated. So he thought to himself, this kind of seems like Hollywooding, but also under the circumstances it might actually be real. So I kind of half convinced him. He said that because of the circumstances, he thought it might be real. Not that it would have mattered. You know, once he fought the trip kings uh, and I had the, the full house and then the quads, the, the hand was going to play itself, but we didn't know that about each other yet. So that was interesting. And uh, I had another hand that that, uh, first day that was interesting that came down. So that same guy, uh, he kind of tightened up as the day went on. And I noticed that when he was raising from early position, he, you know, he had something. So he raised under the gun. And at this point, he had like 26K, which wasn't very much wasn't super short, but it was less than average. Substantially less than average. I think average is like 40 at that point. 
uh, he raised under the gun. And a uh, European guy who was like tight aggressive. This was not someone who's just taking shots at everyone. The European guy, a good player, but you know, not uh, not crazy. Three bet him from under the gun. Came back to me, and, and that European guy had both of us covered. I had about forty k. Uh, the the kid there had twenty six k, and the, the European guy probably had like sixty. So it comes back to me. I look down on the button, ace king. Well, here's the problem. I was afraid if I four bet this year. My first inclination is okay. I'm going to four bet. If I four bet this here, then it's going to come back to this guy under the gun, who, who's you know getting in the sh- on the short side and as aggressive as it is. And I'm afraid that uh, he's probably going to go all in. And the other guy probably has a big hand, who's three betting from you know, three betting the under gun, the, under the gun razor. So I'm thinking the two of them probably both have big hands. There's a good chance all three of us will get it all in, and I'm very afraid that either I'm crushed that one of them has aces or kings, or more likely that one of them has a pocket pair like queens, and the other one either has ace-king or ace-queen. So someone has some of my outs. I thought I'm going to end up on a three-way all-in where me and someone else have each other's outs. And, and, I, and that would be, you know, the, if I lose to the, the 26K, then I'll lose a fourth. Yeah, you know, I, I lose... Part of my stack, and then um, a good portion of my stack. And if if I lose to the euro, I'm out. So it wasn't that I was afraid to gamble. Like uh, I talked to someone about this. He said, "Oh, you, you got to gamble in these spots. You, you got to get a big stack. This is the way to do it." But I was afraid that Ace King was going to be so far behind because one of the other two has my outs, and there's also a possibility one of them totally has me crushed, like uh, kings or aces. So, but at the same time, I didn't want to fold Ace King here just to raise and re-raise. So I flatted. I had a flat 4K. I said, okay, I'll flat 4K and see what the flop is. This is one. Usually I don't like to see what the flop is with Ace-King, because Ace-King, you don't get much action on the flop unless you're beat, usually. So uh, usually you don't want to like look what you flop with Ace-King. Usually you want to get the money in before the flop with Ace-King. But uh, this is an exception, because I felt like I want to shove all my chips in behind, where I have to catch up, and then my outs to catch up are gone. Or some of them are. So I just flatted. Well, then the under the gun went all in. Then the euro went all in. Well, at that point, I can't call anymore, so I, I tossed it. What was I up against? Ace, king, and queens. The kid under the gun had ace, king. The euro had queens. I was right. That's exactly what I, I thought I was facing, something like that. So right when I saw that, I thought to myself, okay, good. I, I did I did the right thing. One, I'm just chopping if I win it. A little bit more than chopping because I had more chips than the guy, the other ace-king, but still. And, and two, uh, we were both drawing to four outs. And our straight outs are hurt too because the qu- two queens are gone. So I was very happy with my decision at that point. Then came the flop, like 10-6-6. I was even happier with my decision. The turn is a king. River a blank. The kid doubles up. Now that's just being results oriented. Uh, what was kind of more of a kick in the balls was that the kid told me that he felt that I wasn't going to four bet 
with something that uh, he would want to be up against, and that if I had four bet, he would have laid down his ace king. It's like, ah, oh, man. But the problem probably would have been that if I four bet, it wouldn't have been a four bet all in because I had forty k. I was only facing a four k bet. I probably would have popped it to uh, you know eleven or something, ten, something like that. The kid under the gun would have folded if he, you know, really would have, as he claimed he would have. The euro, if he went all in, yeah, I would have had to call and then had that lucky hit and gone, you know, up to 80k, which had been nice. But I don't think this would have happened. I think he would have just called, and then when the flop came low, he would have either shoved or check raised me all in, and I would have had to fold. Though I probably would have checked behind if it missed, but I don't know. I probably would have checked behind if it missed. But I have a feeling he would have just shoved as soon as he saw it was low. That's what I think. So I I may not have doubled up anyway. But I thought it was an interesting hand. Um, at the main event, I've actually had to lay down kings before. Kings and queens I've had to lay down before. And uh, every time I was correct, it turned out. So, uh, that was a weird hand. Anyway, I got through the end of the day uh, with 29K, which is below average. The average is like 42. We were about 28 spots for the money, I think. So, it looked like I was probably going to cash. Though, I knew I was below average stacked and that I could easily lose the 29K before we got through this 28 spots. And I made the decision for myself. I said, am I going to try to get a second cash in three events just for that, you know, just for the sake of cashing? Or am I going to just play to play to win here? Just forget forget when the cash is and just play normally. And I decided, uh, you know, I'm not going to let this get in my head. I'm not going to let the, the bubble get in my head. And everybody can say that, oh, I don't play for the bubble. You can say that, but it's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier saying you're not going to play for the bubble but yet you've you've put all this time into it, and it's twenty two hundred dollars, and you know, and, and it's a World Series cash under your belt. Like, it's it's a lot easier to say, "Oh, I don't care about it," than than actually not caring. Some people don't care at all, but uh, you know, it's it's a lot easier to say that than actually not caring. But I thought to myself, "Well, what if I get in a spot I have like pocket jacks, and I'm facing an all in? Like, do I call it?" <laughs> I actually thought about that before I got there, and I said yes. I'm going to play as if the bubble's not here. I'm just going to play my normal game. Maybe even try to steal during when the actual bubble comes. And but though they try to cover it up these days, they don't. They try to keep it quiet. How close we are to the bubble, and in fact, I think they even don't update the number of people left as fast as they should, just so people think there's more people left, so you, so there, it doesn't influence the play, which I think is smart actually. So it's not like it used to be where you could totally rape the bubble. But um, I, I'm not going to play with fear for the bubble, I decided. Well, I was put to that test. Because after a few hands, I was dealt jacks. I raise. And a guy a few positions later than me goes all in. He had me covered. The blinds are big enough to where uh, you know the all-in was reasonable. So, you know, given 
the blinds were big enough compared to my stack that him going all in was the right thing to do if he wanted to re-raise me. So the question became, did I want to call off with jacks and possibly be crushed by Queens, Kings races or be racing against something like Ace King with only 28 people left? I think we even lost a few people. So 24 people left to the, to the, uh, you know, I think it may have even been like 10 or 15 minutes in. Whatever it was. Yeah, it probably, I think it was like 10 or 15 minutes in. So, um, I think there were fewer than 20 people left till the bubble. And I sat there thinking about it, and I go, okay. And this is also my last event till June 16th. So I said, okay. Do I want to do this? Do I, after all this time, after I, you know, I was pretty sure I'm going to lock up my second cash, do I really want to risk this all with jacks? And I said... I thought to myself, if the bubble wasn't here and I had this stack and I have jacks, could I possibly fold the jacks here? And I said to myself, no, I cannot. I've got a call. So I called. Or sorry, 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 sorry. I'm saying a little bit wrong. He didn't go all in. He three bet me. But to where my only option was all in or fold at that point. B is calling, and then looking at the flop didn't make any sense. The reason it didn't make sense is that uh, if I'm waiting for a low flop, then I'm not going to get any action from him anyway, if he's got ace-king and misses. So I'm not going to make much. And if he's got queens, kings, or aces, then uh, the low flop I think is good, I'll go all in, he'll call, and he's going to have me crushed anyway. So there's no point. I might as well get the money in. If I know I'm going to get the money in in a low flop, then I might as well get it in now against Ace-King, where I'm a favorite, uh, then wait to the flop where I'm only getting it in and getting called by something better. The only way I'll get called with something worse is if I go all in right now. That, that's So you know, with the amount of chips I had, that was the only possible decision was all in or fold. So I said, I'm not folding to this. i got to go all in. So I go all in, and I'm thinking, please don't snap call me. Well, he doesn't snap call me. He, th- he thinks for a few seconds. So I think, okay, good. Whew. He doesn't have aces, kings, or queens. Whew. Okay, I'm probably racing. Maybe I'll even be lucky, and he has tens or nines, and he calls me. So he thinks for a few seconds, then he looks down at his cards and says, uh, I-, I call, like that. So I'm thinking, okay, good. I'm not crushed. I see him turn over an ace. I go, okay, probably ace, king, ace, queen. I see him turn over another ace. I was so pissed. I got slow rolled. It wasn't a terrible slow roll. It took a few seconds. Now, I don't think it was intentional. I think he kind of hesitated for whatever reason. I think it probably went through his head when I went all in. Like, hmm, um... Wait a minute, I better see if I really have aces. Should I look down? Oh yeah, I guess I better check. Yeah, and then like probably the whole process in his mind took like, you know, several seconds to process and then he looked down at the cards to make sure he had aces and wasn't, you know, thinking the ace four was aces. So it's fine if he needs to double check his cards. But it was the hesitation that pissed me off. Even if it was unintentional, it just pissed me off because I was sure by the time it passed that he there's no way he could have aces. But he had aces. So I thought, wow, this is a crappy ending. So I stood up, grabbed my backpack, was getting all ready to just bolt out of there. 
And then I, as I'm standing up, they deal the flop, and it's like ten high, and I go, okay, that's it. So I, uh, um, my mind is just sinking. I'm just going, ah, oh, crap! I I didn't end up cashing this. What I thought I was going to, especially with that start. Oh well. And then the beautiful jack on the turn, and I doubled up. <laughs> the rest of the table said they didn't think it was a slow roll. The rest of the table after this guy busted discussed it and said that they thought that I was incorrect in my perception of it being a slow roll, that he only took a few seconds. And I admit it probably seemed longer to me because I was the one affected by it. Well, 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 but even to turn over one ace at a time, no, though, drops no, no, he kind didn't. of... No, no, he didn't. He, he, he threw them over. He, just, my, he no, threw them both over? No, my eyes just went one to the other. Oh, so, got it, got yeah, it, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, so... so um, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think the guy was being a douche. I think he just hesitated, and then it came. It turned out to be a slow roll because he hesitated. It just kind of sucked for me until I doubled up, and it didn't suck anymore. So I had like a short time where I was very angry. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, uh, unfortunately, from there I didn't go anywhere. The, the table broke. They moved me to another table, and uh, I basically couldn't win hands there. Uh, I had one more hand. I'm going to ask you for your opinion, Trader Ruski. I know you play Elias No Limit tournaments. This is a tough spot. I even posted about it on Poker Fraud Alert's uh, poker discussion forum there to see if uh, uh, what people would do here. So there's a guy named Daniel Strelitz, S-T-R-E-L-I-T-Z. He ended up finishing 28th in this event, but he won a WBT back in February 2017 for a million bucks. And uh, very good, aggressive, young pro. Daniel Strelitz from uh, Torrance, California. So he was two to my right. And he was opening a ton of pots. If it folded to him in middle position or later, he's just like, it looked like auto opening there. Like it seemed like half the hands he's playing from there or more. Uh, however, when I saw him get, you know, I didn't see him fold much when he was called. And, and every time I saw him get to the end, like a, I didn't see much folding post flop from him. And then when it got to the end, they showed down his cards. He always had something decent. So I think he was also just getting a lot of hands. I think it was a combination of he was aggressive and opened a lot of pots for a middle position or later and had a lot of uh, quality hands. I think it was a combination. So I saw this going on a lot, and I was not playing many hands. I was getting dealt garbage. So I thought, okay, between my age, you know, middle-aged white guy, and I hadn't three-bet him at all yet, I thought, okay, I'm waiting for a decent hand where he opens like that for middle or late position, and I have position on him. And I'll three-bet him, and then he'll probably lay it down. So I was waiting for that to happen. Um, unfortunately, my stacks went down because I lost I lost a hand there prior to that. So so I, I was down to like um, 40, 40K. And uh, I got in a hand with him where I had pocket eights. So he was in... Uh, Kind of middle position, I was in the cutoff. And he did his usual raise. So the blinds were, were uh, 500, 1,000 with 1,000 ante. So he, he raised it to 2,300. And uh, came to me, I had eights. Um, I had 40,000. So I three-bet him to 5,800. Folded back to him. And he called. Now, of course, I was hoping he was just going to lay it down, but he called. Then I'm hoping for... Uh, so So at this point, I, I have uh, about 34K left. Actually, I think I started the hand with 42K. 
yeah, it's about forty two K I started with. So uh anyway. I had like uh thirty five K or something left. Thirty five, thirty six K. Um the flop comes King Ten small card with two spades, which is not exactly what I want to see. Looks like we lost Trader Ruski, which is too bad. I wanted to ask his opinion. Let me try to call him back. So King Ten small card with two spades. And I have, you know, thirty five thousand left. So so uh he checks and I've got to decide, am I, am I done with this with a King-10 small card, two spades against the guy who's constantly opening for middle or late position? Could have anything? Am I done, or should I fire a continuation bet in there? So I decide I've got to fire a continuation bet. Uh, so I fire 8,500 into it. Why 8,500? Someone pointed out on the forum, oh, that's a little bit big by today's standards. The pot was 14K. But today, a lot of people like to fire smaller continuation bets for pot control. The reason I didn't want to do that is I didn't want to give the impression, given them, he had a big stack, by the way, he had like 130K or something or more. So I didn't want to give the impression that I was scared to bet enough on a draw-heavy board. Because if King-10, small card, two spades, is, is, is not, it's a scary board no matter what hand you have. So... I didn't want to give the the impression that I'm letting him check call for cheap. I wanted to play the part of the of the middle-aged white guy who wants to protect his hand and is terrified of that board. Terrified that the you know it'll catch up on him. So I didn't want to make a small continuation bet. I thought it would be uh it, it would look too much like I, I missed and I just want to take the pot with, without costing myself too much. So but at the same time I don't want to make a bet too large and and, and commit myself to the whole thing. So I thought 8500 was the right bet. So I bet 8500. He called. The turn was another king. King clubs. So he checks to me again. So I've got 27k behind. The pot's like 31k at this point. So there's there's no bet that makes sense at that point except for all in. Either all in or, or check this. If I check, I'm basically giving up on the hand and letting him bet me off on the river. If... Uh, if I go all in, I risk the fact that he's just uh, that he he's got something like a king or a ten, is, or, or 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 even better, is going to call me, and then I'm, I'm almost certainly out. The bubble's already burst by this point, so that's not, that's not even possibly an issue. That's uh, I've already cashed by this point. So, so Trader Ruski, what would you do in this spot? Would you just check and basically give up, or would you shove and and represent you had the king? I don't know. I mean, it, there's just so much more information that you need to have. I think. Well, what I mean, you know, that I can't really say. I'd, I'd probably. What were the blinds? It, it was a uh, five hundred one thousand with a thousand ante uh, on the big blind. And you had thirty. I, 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 I had twenty-seven left, and the pot was thirty-one already. And he had a big stack. Yeah, I'd probably ditch it. Yeah, that's what I decided. So I checked it. Then came another challenge. The river was the seven of spades. So now the spades have made it. So he fires 11 and a half into that pot, which is pretty small considering the pot was like 31. He fires 11 and a half, which I could conceivably call with 20, 27K and not be crippled. I'd be short, but not crippled. So I had to decide, do I do that? In case he's got Queen Jack or... Uh, you know, a smaller pair, 
or any other you know thing he missed, like Ace Jack. You know, a lot of things he could have like that that he called the flop. That uh, could he be trying to bet me off? And if I call and win, I'm up to like seventy three k. If I fold, I'm twenty seven k. So, would you have called that eleven and a half, or would you have folded it? Yeah, I mean, twenty-seven big blinds left. I probably would have ditched it. Yeah, so I so I ditched it. That's exactly what I did. I ditched it, and I'll tell you why. I thought that if he had a draw on that flop, if he had queen jack, especially if he had spades, if he knows he's going to get it in anyway, if I go all in because he's got the big draw and he's got a big stack, so he doesn't worry so much about what I could do to his stack, he's just going to check check raise all in on the flop. He's either going to you know, shove the flop or, or, or more likely check raise all in the flop. Why? Because then he knows there's fold equity. He knows if I've missed it with something like eights, then I'm going to let it go. He doesn't have to hit his draw. So if he's going to call anyway, if he's going to call off the draw anyway, he might as well get it in on me if, if I can fold. And that's a good player will know that. And I know he's a good player. So I thought, okay, I, I know the, if he's got the big draw, he's going he's gonna to put it in and put me to the test, hold my feet to the fire. He's not going to check call. Um, so I thought that, what does he have? Yes, he could do this. If he had an ace-jack type hand, yes, it's possible he was going to check call me and then bet me off the river. But I thought the 11 and a half bet, I thought that bet is kind of the perfect size to try to get me to call. It's about the most he could, like if he bet 16, even that's hard for me to call. 11 and a half is just small enough to where if I'm suspicious of what he's doing, I can call. In addition... He may fear that I have jacks or queens. So I thought he had a 10. I thought he has 10-9 suited, or ace-10, or, 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 or queen-10. And and uh, jack-10, whatever. And and that he's not even sure if he's good. But he wants to bet, you know, and, and maybe get calls called from uh, eights or nines. Or sixes or something like that. He wants to, you know, try to value bet it without committing too much if he's wrong, and knowing that I'm not going to raise him all in with the rest of my chips because I have to fear the flush or the king. Even if I got a king, I may not raise him all in with a flush hitting. So he's pretty safe to make that bet without getting raised all in, unless unless I hit the flush. I can't raise all in because it's only 15k more. He's such a big stack. He's going to probably make the crying call and beat me. So I let it go. Never found out what he had, but I think I was right. If he if he made the bigger bet to put me all in, that actually would have been a, a bigger decision whether I call it or fold it. But th- that bet was specifically designed to get me to call, I was convinced. And I didn't think he had a missed draw for the reasons I already said, so I, I let it go. That was the only real interesting hand of, of the one uh, um, my downfall. Everything else is just pretty standard of me missing flops or whatever. And then the final hand, I had 17K left, very short. Uh, I was in the cutoff, one to my right. Uh, the guy opened, I shoved with sixes, and I'm up against aces again. <laughs> so <laughs> didn't catch up that time. That was that. So I was at 150th place, got paid uh, close to a min cash, like $200 more than the min cash. And uh, that was that. It's my second cash of the series. I've now cashed... Two out of three World Series events I played, though I did lose a Mega Satellite for $1,100. So, Anyway, in the, the package I sold to the listeners here, uh, the 10K was not included. So my brick in the 10K doesn't affect you guys. So at the moment, I'm ahead for you guys. Trader Risky, you're one of those guys. 
So at the moment, I'm ahead for you. The moment, you, the moment your, your money is uh, is in the black, because uh, it uh, I, I've entered on that package. I've entered forty six hundred dollars worth. That is two fifteen hundred events and an eleven hundred dollars satellite. Or sorry, forty one hundred, not forty six. Forty one hundred dollars worth, and I have cashed uh, almost six k. So how do I feel overall? It mixed. I did cash two out of three events. So, you know, that's uh, that's not bad. That's not... Uh, I can't say, oh, I've done horrible this World Series. No, I've cashed two out of three events. Uh, I did cash the wrong two. I'd rather have cashed the 10K. That's a little disappointing. And to be honest, I'm getting a little tired of all these kind of low four-figure caches I keep getting year after year. I, it seems like every time once I hit the money, uh, I don't play differently. I just stop hitting cards. Or if I do hit something, I immediately lose after that. I just can't go on a, a real hot run post-bubble. So it would be nice. It would be nice if I could just be one of these guys who just hits every hand in some tournament. But it seems like my running hot only lasts for short spurts. <laughs> it's, it's always been that way. That's why I was so shocked. When I won my bracelet 13 years ago, I was so shocked that I just ran well most of the way. There wasn't the whole way. There was a point I was short. I almost didn't even cash in that event. But aside from that, like on day two, the entire day two, it was only two day, two very long days back then, but the entire day two, I ran well from the moment I sat down. The What set the tone for the second day of the event I won was when I got the very first hand of the day, I got dealt aces, I was up against kings, and the board ended up with uh, uh, eight, nine, ten jack on it. Can you imagine? <laughs> Against someone, against a, a like an older guy who there's no way he would have raised with trash, and he was, he didn't have ace king by the way the hand played out. Eight, nine, ten, jack, which means I lose to sevens, eights, nines, tens, jacks, or queens. Only hand I could beat in the world is kings. We get to the river, check, check. He shows me kings, and that set the tone for the rest of the day. Ran very well and won the event. So. uh it actually surprised me, even back then. I'm like, I never run this for like an entire day run well like this. Some people, I don't know, like Jamie Gold, when he ran well for like all seven days of the World Series, how, how does he do that? I, I, I don't ever run well for seven straight days. Well, no no one does, Druff. I mean, when, when it happens, it happens. <clears throat> it's not like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, he hap- that happened to happen to him. And then, just like, you, could, you know, you can't say you never do it, because how often are you going to do it? I forget seven, though, like even, like, multiple days. The, the closest I've seen to this recently was uh, five years ago at the at the 5K limit Hold'em. I had it kind of okay-ish day one, and then day two, um, I ran very well the entire day. And I, I, I felt I finished as a slight chip leader, and I thought to myself, wow, I'm going to win this one. And then... I sat down on day three, lost the first three hands, and I just thought to myself, nope, it's not going to happen. And it didn't. I finished fifth. You did win the bracelet, Ruff. You know, if I can remind you of that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> not, so, no. so that's that's where I stand right now. Won't be another event until the mixed Omaha event on uh, the 16th. So uh, three of my first four World Series events will be Omaha. And then, then I'll get into more Hold'em. And... Uh, what I have been reminding myself, though, is I have two caches already, and the limit hold'em events have yet to come. 
I've not played any Limit Hold'em events yet, and I have two caches. And Limit Hold'em, as you guys know, is my best game. So, um, speaking of a best game, and I don't know if uh, where this is on the schedule, but I'm just going to do it now because it's uh, kind of appropriate. Uh, the Hanson Kid. Everybody's got the event they really look forward to. And Bart Hansen really looks forward to the 10K08 because he's done very well in it historically. He's made the final table a few, either twice or three times. So the 10K08 has really just gone well for him. So he really looks forward to this. This is the event he's really pumped and excited to play. And this year it was not working out very well for him. Uh, he was very quickly on his way down. Then he was short-stacked. Uh, I saw him at two different breaks. Neither of the breaks were he, was he very happy. The uh, the second of the two times I saw him, he was very short-stacked, and then he was gone. So, And he was telling me that he does very well in this event. He's so excited, so this is a big letdown, that uh, it just nothing was falling right for him. And he was very short-stacked, and he knew the reality of the situation that, barring a miracle, he was going to be gone. And he was gone. So, I don't know, some of you have played World Series events, some of you haven't, but if you have, and if there's a particular event you're really looking forward to and you just picture yourself crushing, and then you get there and the reverse happens, it's very demoralizing. So that's how Bart felt, and that's I've felt it before, too. So, uh, he was so frustrated, and he he just decided he wants to do something to, quote, blow off some steam. So he went down to Caesar's Palace, and uh, he wanted to renew his seven stars. And I guess I guess the Hanson kid doesn't have uh, quite the same patience as I do, as far as earning points for video poker. So to renew seven stars, there's not a lot of options in Vegas. That's why I did mine in Tahoe. In Vegas, there's very few decent-paying machines. And when I say decent-paying, I mean by the odds. The video poker machines are all different as far as your odds to win, having to do with the pay table. So there's not many decent pay table machines in Vegas, and the few there are have a stupid restriction that you can only earn tier credits at a very reduced pace, often... uh, either 2.5 times as slow or 5 times as slow. So that's not good. So the Hanson kid went to go play really the only machine in Vegas that was a good machine that had a good pay table that gave 1 point per one tier credit per $10 wagered as is normal. And that is the $50 per credit video poker in the, in the high limit room of Caesars. And the reason I play that sound effect is because $50 per credit video poker is huge. Huge! Because you, you're supposed to play five credits per hand. If you don't, you're an idiot and you're robbing yourself of value because when you hit a royal, you get severely underpaid. So you you always should play max credits in video poker. So he has to play five credits. So that's $250 a hand. 
Now, you may say, oh, $250 a hand, that sounds like a lot, but it's not like super high stakes. No, it is super high stakes because it's not like playing a $250 hand of blackjack. These go by so fast, these hands. An experienced video poker player will play somewhere between 500 and 1,000 hands per hour. Okay? And there's a lot of variance. A lot of variance in video poker. So can you imagine every time you run a hand, 250, 250, 250. I mean, so fast, thousands of dollars can be gone. Now, why was he doing Why was he playing a $50 machine? Well, again, because that's the only machine in Vegas that gives you the tier credits at the proper rate. He doesn't have the patience like me to go all the way to Tahoe to do it and grind, you know, grind out 10 straight days of it like I did. Uh, so he just wanted to get the 5,000 tier credits over with, which you can earn very quickly. You, you get a tier credit for every $10 wagered. So basically every hand is 25 tier credits. So he can get up to the 5,000 daily tier credits. If you get 5,000, then it's uh, you get 10,000 bonus tier credits. This, this, none of the stuff is secret. This is the way the program works. So he doesn't have to play that many hands. Uh, he only has to play 200 hands, basically. For the day That's all he has to play Is 200 And then he's earned The maximum he has to earn For the day He just does that 10 days And and he's got 7 star again Now that sounds so simple Except you're really Risking a lot of money When you do this Because That's a huge game Uh, To show you how big it is I've never played Higher than $5 per credit And to be honest $5 per credit Has a lot of variance And you can lose A lot of money not huge money, but but a lot. You can lose five figures playing this if if you uh, not not in one session like that. But uh, you know you can lose easily uh, low to mid four figures if you don't run well in in one session earning five thousand tier credits at five dollar video poker. So uh, even that feels a little bit big to me. I've played it, but I actually prefer things like uh, multi hand one dollar, which brings down the variance sum. Or, or even the huge number of hand, uh, like 50 hand, uh, 25 cent. So $50 one hand, is, is the variance on this is incredible. Even though he's wagering the same amount as I would per day, like when I was in Tahoe, he's wagering it over, it over 200 hands, where I'm doing this over, over uh, thousands of hands. So uh, he was really risking a lot to do this. But, uh, you know, he was, he had the balls to do it. Again, he's not playing at bad odds here. And, and overall, you know, his edge is no worse. The edge the casino has on him is no worse than when I play a single day in Tahoe on those, on that same Jacks are Better machine. So, like, I don't want to make it sound like he's playing a bad machine or he's, he's gambling a, a, an insane sum of money. He's, he's gam- overall running through the same amount of money I did, but he's doing it all in, t- 200 hands, the variance is so much bigger. So if you run bad, then you can lose a lot. But what if you hit a royal flush? Now, you only hit a royal flush on average once out of 40,000 hands played. So 200 hands, you have a very, very small chance of hitting a royal. But what if you hit a royal? How much do you get for a royal at this $50 per credit Video poker. One million dollars. Not quite, but a fifth of that. You get a fifth of a million dollars. You get two hundred thousand dollars if you hit a royal. 
But you can't expect to hit a royal playing 200 hands. Uh, the Hanson kid didn't have a chance to do that. Come on. He, he, 200 hands out of, when it's once out of 40,000, there's no chance he's going to hit a... He did. He hit the freaking royal. The Hanson kid hit the royal, and he's not bullshitting us. He's not making this up. He's not saying this so it doesn't look like he has a gambling problem. He showed a video, which has now been widely distributed around social media, of him hitting that $200,000 Royal. Of course, he did it after he hit the Royal. But he showed the machine flashing about uh, 200,000 call attendant. And uh, you hear his voice in the background talking about it. And uh, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So congratulations to the handsome kid. This is at Caesars Palace. And I think no matter what happens this World Series, uh, he can say he had a good summer. I don't think he's going to enter $200,000 worth of events. So uh, good for him to spike that uh, 200K hit. Personally, I, I wouldn't do this because of the variance, but uh, the Hanson kid, was, he was willing to accept the variance. And in this case, the positive side made it for him. So Well, he had the right combination. He was bitter. Didn't he have, like, some bad B? Something happened with the poker tournament, right? Yeah. He was like, fuck it. I'm going to fucking right. play this. You know, so that that has to be part of the mindset. Like, it, it when was. I hit that one a few weeks ago, you know, I fucked up in that blackjack tournament. So I'm like, fuck it. Oh, so I was you about to leave. You know. <laughs> Maybe that's a trick. You just got to be pissed <laughs> off, and then you'll, you'll hit you'll hit big uh, big hands in video poker. Exactly. He, yeah, because he was. Uh, yeah, it was more that he we, was. We don't recommend you trying this at home, by the way, listeners. <laughs> it was that he was so looking forward to this event, and it went so poorly. I don't even know if it was bad beats, but it was. Just, it went so poorly for him when he was so excited all year to play this, and so expected to do well, and then you're just out early day one, and he just is. Like, That's just the worst. You just go, oh crap! This is what I've, this is what I've been. It's not online. To. I'll click yeah. on another tournament or poker stars or something. Yeah, this is the one he wanted, and it was just not only didn't he cash, he just got blown out of it fast. So, uh, so he was pissed, and he <laughs> so he went down to uh, to Caesars and run some high stakes video poker, and then like his mood got a lot better very quickly. So, congratulations to him. I'm glad it was the handsome kid. I'm glad it wasn't some guy I didn't like. I'm glad it was. Uh, the Hanson kid, he actually he sent me the video in text. Then he uh, he sent it out uh, on social media, and it's been shared a lot. And even Poker News has covered it, and Card Player covered it. Like like this is being covered a lot because how many you know, how many poker players win two hundred thousand in video poker while they're here? It's, it's unusual to win a sum like that. So so it's being covered a lot of places, and uh, everyone seeing the story of the Hanson kid and his two hundred thousand dollar. Video poker, and I'll tell you what—it's created a fever, where after busting events, people go play video poker. And I know this because I caught the fever after I busted this tournament. After I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with those eights, and after I ran my sixes into aces to bust, and after I doubled up against the first aces and thought I was going to go deep in it, and then chunked all that off in a short time, and I was gone. Even though I min cash, it still sucked. So, does that mean it's part of the package, Druff? I wasn't sure. Uh, if you'd like to take future video poker losses, I'll. I'll <laughs> okay. But but I I, deci- I decided I'm going to try to channel my inner Hanson kid and go play video poker myself. I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. 
and I, I decided to go to uh, a property I'd never gambled before, and uh, and and just and play a multiplayer machine. And yeah, you know, to be honest, uh, sometimes it's good to diversify what uh, what properties you play at, so you get uh, offers uh, from different places. And uh, so I, I decided to go somewhere new and play some video poker. And I played. So there's a at this particular place a hundred play machine where you can actually play a hundred hands at the same time. And the way this works is you get dealt one hand, and then it duplicates 99 more of them, and then you hold it, you, you hold whatever you want to hold, and then it does different draws for each of the hands. So the deal is the same for all the hands, the draw is different. So it actually brings down variance. Uh, of course, the best case scenario for this situation is being dealt a made hand, because then you get it on all hands. Now, I, I decided I didn't have the balls to do the 100 play. I did the 50 play. I, I You can bring it down from 100 play to a, a lower number, so I brought it down to 50. But it's still 62.50 per, per hand there, which is a quarter of what the Hanson kid was doing, though... Less variance because I, I have 50 different draws going on at the same time instead of one draw. But those machines are very deal-dependent. If you get dealt crap over and over, then um, you're going to lose. You're guaranteed to lose. Why? Because the 50 different hands you're playing smooths out the draw variance, basically. So, uh, well, like, let's give you an extreme example. Let's say you got dealt... Nothing but a nothing good to hold but a jack, and you hold a single jack, and lo and behold, you get a miracle draw of of, uh, of a royal. You draw the other four royal cards and hit it, which which is which happens sometimes. It's not common, but it, it happens sometimes. Well, that that is a huge draw for you. Well, the problem is in a fifty play machine, uh, because it's drawing fifty different hands. Yes, it may draw a miracle royal, but uh, at most that's going to happen once, and usually it won't happen at all. So just about every time that you get a crappy deal to you, you are going to lose. Sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, but uh, so so you're really hoping for big hands dealt to you at that type of machine. But hey, I hadn't played that type of thing in a long time. It kind of seemed fun, so I went over and did it. And uh, I started off hot, not huge, but I started off like a four like four hundred dollars ahead. Then. Uh, I started to chunk it off. Then I was about about $1,200 behind. And I'm kind of regretting my decision to come down there. Then I held a single jack, and one of them hit a royal. So that was $1,000. So that erased most of the deficit. And then, just a few hands later, and I tweeted this one out if you want to see it, at Todd Wittelles, W-I-T-T-E-L-E-S, Four queens were dealt to me, which means all 50 hands got four queens. So that was over $1,500. That was better than the single royal, because it was, there was 50 of them. So that was pretty sweet, and that was actually a hand pay. I had to wait for them to come pay me by hand to give me a tax form, which I, I hate that crap. But the good thing about the, the 50 play that I was doing on the 25-cent machine was that the ro- if you hit a single royal, you get a thousand. It doesn't trigger a hand pay. A hand pay is for twelve hundred or more, and that's a federal requirement. So, 
they did have to hand pay me for the four for the quads. And I played a little bit while a little while longer, kind of spun my wheels, broke even from there. So I ended up winning like seventeen hundred dollars in the whole thing. So by no means Hansen kid money. But uh thanks to that one royal and the quad queens fifty times I came out ahead. So that was uh I played for a few hours. That was uh all inspired by Bart Hansen. So thank you, Bart. So I I meet people every uh, every year, every World Series. I meet new people that listen to this show. And I always like meeting new people. I like when people come up to me and tell me they listen to the show and getting to know them and every year I get I get a number of them. People I've never met before, no idea who they are, um, but they tell me how long they've been listening and they like the show and all that. And it's always nice meeting listeners. And I'm not just saying this to sound good; like I, I really do enjoy meeting listeners when I'm out here. And if you're one of those people, then feel free to come up to me. I won't think you're a bother or anything like that. I promise you. So I'm not surprised when someone stops me in the hallway or someone just sees me anywhere else and, and says hello to me, who I don't know. So after I busted the mega satellite to the 08 on June 2nd, I went to the front desk of the Rio only to get water. They hand out free waters there, in case you don't know. You can just go up and say, can I have water? And they just give it to you. These are small bottles of water. Usually not cold, but uh, you can bring it back up to your room. and uh, it, It's free bottled water. So why not? You need to drink a lot of water while you're in Vegas, especially during the summer. So I was running low on waters. So what I do is I refrigerate them and I bring then I bring them down in, in a backpack that Trader Ruski gave me years ago. You know, the backpack I used Trader Ruski came from you. But uh, it, it's getting it's starting to break though. I'm gonna have to throw it away soon. It's uh, the, the zippers are falling off, but but it's it's still usable at the moment. So uh, I went to go replenish the waters. And I went to the front desk to do it. And, you know, I'm not going to stand on a line to go do this. What I do is I just walk up to the front desk while they're helping other customers. And when there's this break in the action there, when they're, you know, they're not talking actively with the customer, I say, hey, we need to get a chance to give you some waters. And then they just reach over, grab some waters, hand them to me, and I walk off. So that's what I went and did. So there was a guy, looked like 50s to me, who was uh, at the front desk. Just typical white guy. Looks like he's in his 50s. And he's at the front desk checking in. Nothing that interesting about him or unusual about him. And I asked for waters. And right when I asked that, he says, Oh, Todd, hi. So I'm thinking, okay, who is this? Someone who knows me. I don't recognize him. And he quickly told me that he listens to my show. And that if I wait a second while he's checking in, when he's done, he's going to show me something interesting. It's like, mm, okay, how can I resist that? He wants to show me something interesting. So we're sitting here talking, and then he mentions the billboard in front of the Rio that uh, Doug Polk and Sirius the Sirius put up with uh, morerakebetter.com, which is still hilarious. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> people people are talking about it at the World Series. It's, it's uh, 
Very, very clever thing they did. But anyway, he was talking about that. He's telling me, yeah, you should you should have, have a poker fraud alert one right next to that. Like he was telling me to put up a poker fraud alert billboard. He was telling me he listened to that day's show. Remember, we did a show on June 2nd. He told me he had listened to three of the four hours and was talking about some of the things we mentioned, including the billboard. Like he, he definitely had listened to the show that day. Uh, it was clearly a listener. And he's just making small talk about things like that. Uh, then I saw they weren't getting my water, so he was done checking in, and I said, hey, uh, uh, can you get me the water? She, and so the, the woman who had acknowledged it before was like, what, 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 what do you want? She's like, all confused. I go, yeah, I, water, can you get me some bottles of water? So then he says, get this man some water, he's a seven star, hurry up, go get him his water. <laughs> That's what the, the guy says. And by the way, he, he had said his name was Eric, so I, I, I didn't know... An Eric who looked like this. I definitely hadn't met an Eric before who looked like this guy. So it was definitely someone new I hadn't met before. So as the woman's getting the water, and he barked at them that I was seven stars, which is true. So he knew this. He knew that too about me. Like the guy definitely knew a lot about the show and about me. And you know, so so for sure this guy was a listener to the show. He wasn't just making this up. So he says, "Well, I'm going to show you my last name. Tell me if this rings a bell from about a decade ago." And he shows me his last. He shows me his license, and it says Eric Parkinson. Well, I immediately knew that name. Eric Parkinson was the name of the guy who stole ToddWatellis.com from me in 2005. <laughs> what happened was this guy was a domain squatter. That's what he did then for a living. He would steal domains, stealing meaning if it hadn't been registered yet, he would claim them. He would register these domains that he had no rights to and then try to press if the person wanted it back, that he would demand payment for them. This was technically legal. It was an asshole thing to do, but it was technically legal. This isn't like buying something like business.com and selling it to someone or uh, – uh, computers.com. Nobody has a right to just common words. If you're the first one to get it and you sell it for a lot of money, great. But this was this was something different. This was ToddWatellis.com. There's only one person in the world who should have a right to that. It should be me. So I stupidly hadn't registered before, and I wasn't well known in poker prior to that. So that was before they changed the law. Is the law changed? Well, yeah, no, no, yeah, it changed, yeah, it changed a while ago, but yeah, so basically you cannot just squat somebody's name. You have to really show that you have a business or okay. something. Okay, well, it probably changed then. So back in, back in 05, he was registering every poker player's name.com that had any kind of notability. So every time someone wins a bracelet, next day he registers the .com with their name.com. So when he re- he registered ToddWatellis.com on July 5th, 2005, I won my bracelet July 4th, 2005. So he was you saw how quick he was. So when I found this, I think I discovered this in 2006, um, I emailed him and asked him to return it to me. And I even said, you know, I'll pay the cost of transferring it or whatever you've paid to have registered for the past year. Um his response to me was (laughs) 
he told me it'd be fifteen hundred dollars if I'd like it back. So I told him to eat shit. Now at the time, I thought I had more rights to it than I did. I thought like what Trader Ruski's saying now, like that, that he just couldn't do that, and I could just get it back. So I told him I'm going to challenge this. And I'm going to take it from you. And he, he says, "All right, go ahead and try." He was, you know, citing all these laws to me and cases to where that was tried and failed, including TedTurner.com. He claimed Ted Turner tried to get it back, not from him, but from some other squatter, and failed. So um, I looked into the process on how to do this, and it turned out that there is a process called the uh, URDP arbitration process, where basically you go into arbitration, and uh, the registrars are forced to adhere to what the arbitrator rules, provided you go through their, you know, their arbitrators. And once you prove that you have the rights to the domain, then it will be forced returned to you. Only problem is it costs $1,100 to do. But I decided just from the, for the principle of the matter, I was going to do it. Now, I was making a lot of money in online poker that day, in those days too. That was the other factor. But uh, I decided I was going to recover it. And uh, I put together my own case. I did not use an attorney. And I have to say, I did a very good job. I have to say that I did as good of a job as an attorney could have done there. Or very close to it. I did a lot of uh, research on, on what, to, what to do and, and how to do it. And I made a very strong case. So basically, you had to prove some things. You had to prove that this was opportunistic, bad faith registration. Meaning that someone ran and registered it simply to take it from you and to try to sell it back to you later, which is exactly what he did. And I uh, I was, I was, proved that by citing the many versions of what he did. I also showed how he was uh, trying to make money from the opportunistic bad faith registration by the fact that he had affiliate links up there to things related to gambling so that people would Google my name for gambling, go there, and click on it, almost thinking that it was associated with me. Uh, I also had to prove that he had no right to ToddWittellis.com. For example, let's say I wrote a book and he was selling my book. Then he could actually do it because he would be selling Todd Wittellis authorized merchandise. But he, there was no such merchandise. He had no authorization. So I, yeah, I, I made a very clear case that he had no authorization to use the name Todd Wittellis in any way. Well, the arbitrator ruled that on both of those points that I very clearly and successfully had proven my point and that it was an opportunistic bad faith registration, that he had a history of doing that, and that he had no authorization or connection to the name Todd Wittellis. So did I win? No, because there was a third aspect I had to prove, and that was about a trademark. And I wish I had known this before I paid the $1,100. Once I paid the $1,100, I looked into it more. I'm like, oh, crap, the trademark. At the time, you had to have a trademark on the name that was registered to have rights to it. So me being the only Todd Wittellis in the world, which I am, was not enough. I had to show that prior to the date he registered it, that was prior to July 5th, 2005, that... I had trademarked Todd Wittellis, which I had not, or that I 
qualified for what's known as a common law mark, which you can qualify for in certain cases where uh, basically it would be assumed that there was a trademark on it. But that usually doesn't apply to individuals. It usually applies to companies. So I tried in vain to claim that I had a common law mark. See, I'll, I'll tell you where a common law mark would apply. Let's say there actually was a lot of Todd Wattellis merchandise out there, but I had never actually trademarked it. Uh, then I could actually make a strong case for a common law mark, but just simply being well-known is not enough. And that's actually why Tur- Ted Turner lost his case. Even though Ted Turner was very famous, uh, there were, and, and it, I was surprised he lost because there is a, a network you know, named after him. TBS and, and TNT also that was, those were two networks that have been around forever but uh, apparently he lost <laughs> apparently they, they felt Ted Turner wasn't trademarked and wouldn't give it to him so uh, there have been others that have, have won like athletes where there was merchandising of their name and they were able to prove a common law mark but uh, obviously with my name I couldn't I, tr- I tried in, in, in vain to do it but I knew that was going to be a uphill battle and sure enough the arbitrator ruled that I did not have a trademark and I did not qualify to claim a common law mark. Therefore, by that technicality, I lost. And he got to keep ToddWatellis.com. Uh, several years later, see, I did all this in 06. Several years later, I think in 2012, um, he made a mistake, which I won't get into, but he made a mistake and uh, the domain became briefly available. And uh, someone noticed this and grabbed it for me. And then just handed it over to me. Like a, a friendly party did this. So uh, that's how I have it back. If you go to ToddWatellis.com, you'll see it's it's my site now. But uh, anyway, this is, who, this is who did it. Also, at one point, when I was arguing with him in email back in 06 and demanding he give it back to me, uh, he, he threatened that he's going to put porn all over the site under my name, you know, uh, Tom is going to be a porn site. He was threatening to do that to me, to screw with me, because he didn't like my tone with him. He never did it, but he threatened to. So this guy who was a complete dick to me and cost me $1,100, and I lost too, uh, this is who it was. So when he showed me the name, I, I actually like jerked my head back. Like, I rolled my eyes and jerked my head back, like, like I was shocked. Like, kind of shocked and frustrated. So you might wonder what I said next to him. <laughs> so I said to him, he's probably listening to this, by the way. He listens to every show. So what I said next to him was, so, what, you listen You listen to my show? He's, oh, yeah. I, I listened to every one of them. In fact, I told you I listened to three hours already today. And and I've been lurking on your sites for about uh, ten years now. So he's been lurking on Poker Fraud Alert, the forum. He's been listening to every show. And he noted to me that... Uh, while he's probably going to play some poker here this time, you know, he's checking into the Rio, uh, that he hadn't played a hand of poker in his life for, uh, uh, I don't know if his life, he hadn't played a hand of poker, I'm not sure if his life for a long time, but all this time he's been lurking and listening to the show, he's not even a poker player. So, I guess through this whole process I put him through, with the whole arbitration thing I put him through, that, that he got some interest in me at some point, and started listening to to my shows and started uh, reading my sites. And has become a loyal listener. That part's really weird. It's weird enough that he was going to identify himself to me. It's one thing if I happen to see his name somewhere and realize it's the same guy. But um, 
he actually uh, ha- has taken an interest in this show and this site for all this time. Th- th- this all occurred in 05 and 06, and I've had no contact with him since then. Now, some people have asked, because I posted this story in the forum, some people have asked, okay, well, he's got to be someone on the forum. He's got to be someone that posts a lot on the forum. We've got to know who he is. Someone who's willing to kind of, you know, troll you in person like that and say who he is and show you. Uh, he's got to be someone who kind of gives you crap on the forum sometimes. I said, no, I don't think he is, because it's possible he has an account that's posted a few times that I haven't noticed. But anyone who kind of is controversial in any way, I don't mean just someone giving me crap. I mean just anyone who kind of stands out in any way on the forum, I will look at their IP to see if it's a duplicate account, to, to see where they're from, to just kind of get an idea. And I know where he lives. In fact, it was also printed on his license, but I knew that beforehand. I knew where he lived back then. We had the whole thing going on. The, the entire time he's, fr- he's been from the West L.A. Santa Monica area, so um, no one from that area has been like a, an active user on Poker Fraud Alert that I don't know who it is. Like there's no, mysterious, there's no mysterious poster on Poker Fraud Alert that's a regular that's from West L.A. Santa Monica that, that I haven't been able to f- figure out who it is. It's, so is it possible he's posted before? Yes, but uh, I'd be shocked if he's a user that's known pretty well that I just thought was somebody else. So uh, the whole thing was very weird. Very, very weird. Uh, You might wonder, why does he listen? I don't know. Uh, It's possible that after this whole situation, he got got to like me better. And maybe he likes me now. He didn't offer to give me the $1,100 back. Had he hung around, he walked away after this. He said, see you around and walked away. Uh, Had he stayed around, I would have said, and he's probably listening now or in the archives, um, if you really want to make amends, if you feel bad about what happened there, give me my $1,100 back that I spent on this. I, I know you had the legal right to do this, but uh, it's, it's, it wasn't right. Clearly, you registered com just because I was too slow to do it myself, but I'm the one who should have it. It's not, not a fair thing to do. You probably think differently because you made a living for years doing this, but I, I feel that it's not a fair or ethical thing to do. But if you've decided, even if you, you do think it's right to do, even if you, you don't have a problem with that business, which I'm sure you don't since you did it for all those years, I'm telling you it personally cost me $1,100. So if you enjoy this show, Eric Parkinson, and you've come to like me a lot better since those days, and you've enjoyed the entertainment I have brought you from my site and other sites I've been involved with prior to this, give me back the $1,100 and all is forgiven. But otherwise, I'm still kind of pissed off about it. I mean, yes, time heals some wounds. I'm not, like, super bitter about it. But it did cost me $1,100 and a lot of time and aggravation. And I just wanted com back during the poker boom where I was hoping to, you know, maybe monetize the fact that I had won a bracelet. Now is a different story. But back then... I wanted to have my own .com back since I was a bracelet winner and I was pretty well known in poker at that time. Not just for winning the bracelet, but from you know, being very active on Poker Stars, from my, my high level of activity and high visibility on Everyone Poker. 
So it was very frustrating. And, and think about it. You know, think about it from the other side. Think if you were me and you just hadn't registered your name. Because the truth was, until I played the World Series in June of 2005, I was not even known by name. People only knew me as Dan Druff. Nobody knew who Todd Wattellis was in poker. Because I didn't tell people who, who Dan Druff was. I was anonymous. I played at Commerce, but people just knew me as, as Todd. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't dandruff to people at Commerce. I didn't tell people I was dandruff at Commerce. So my name was unknown. There was no reason to register ToddWittellis.com. Now, once I knew I was going to be on TV, I probably should have, but we're not talking about a long time. We're talking about like a period of uh, a few weeks between when I, I played – four weeks between when I played the uh, 1500 limit hold and finished third and was on TV, to, but uh, TV hadn't aired yet. And then uh, winning that bracelet. So we're talking about like a period of four weeks where I probably should have registered it, but it wasn't on my mind. So think about it. I go to register my own domain, and I, and I can't. That, that's how it was to me. And I didn't want to pay someone $1,500 who, who grabbed it just, just to extort money out of me uh, if I wanted it back. So uh, that's why I was I was very frustrated and angry about it. So seriously, I'm not joking. If you if you want to make this right, if you want me to forgive you, and and if you want to make this right, and if you, you maybe you listen now because you just uh, you enjoy the show, but you still don't like me. There's people who listen to the show who who really dislike me. It surprises me, but there are people who listen to this show who personally dislike me. It's weird. I don't understand how you can listen to something this long. I, I understand. I've listened to short clips of people I dislike. You know, it'd be someone doing some podcast or some show. I don't like them, but there's something they're talking about that I'm interested in. I'll listen, yes. But am I going to listen regularly every week to someone I strongly dislike? No. Especially for, like, long shows like this one. So, uh, maybe he's one of those people. But... Yeah, a lot of, I, I have to think most of the people who listen to this show uh, think fairly good things about me, or else they wouldn't want to listen to me. You don't have to think I'm great or or, or love everything about me, but you, I would think you have to like me enough to want to listen to me hours and hours and hours every week. So, clearly this guy does. So if he's changed his feelings about me and if he feels bad at all, then give me my $1,100 back that I wasted on this crap. That would be the right thing to do. In fact, I was going to, had he not walked away, I was going to mention it. I was going to say, how about you give me my $1,100 back that I spent on this crap? Not that he would have said yes, but that would make it right. So if you, you want to make it right, 775-372-8355, text me there, Eric. Eric Parkinson, that is. Not, not Eric Benzamokin. He's great. Eric Parkinson, the domain squatter. You want to make this right? Then do that. Then I will forgive everything that happened. I'm still kind of pissed. I'm not going to do anything, by the way. I'm not going to bother this guy in any way. I just, uh, you know, that, that that's... An, at the time, I actually was thinking of screwing with him in some way, but I, I never did it, so... And, and now it's been so many years, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything to, to bother him in any way. But uh, 
as far as my personal feelings about him, uh, I, I will need some kind of concession from him over the money I wasted on this if that's going to change my mind. Okay, so I want to talk about Chicago Joey. Because he's, he's really delved into something controversial. And he's, he's, he's done a good service here for poker. And as time has passed, I've thought more and more of Joey. I never disliked him. I always thought you know, decently of him. But I really like the edgier Joey we're getting these days. Rather than just the laid-back guy who's easy to talk to that a lot of big-name poker pros that want to come on his show... And shoot the shit with him. That's kind of what he was before. He was just this nice, laid-back, cool guy that uh, can get on his, his his show, talk with him, banter back and forth. He never says anything too controversial or too difficult. And uh, it was an easy watch, an easy interview, and, and, and people enjoyed it. And he was successful. And you know, he got a pretty big following. But he didn't... Uh, try to ruffle feathers but he's been changing in my opinion for the better so we had him on this show a few months ago bashing America's card room rightfully so because of their botting and colluding that was rampant on there and you you can even see on his Twitter he's getting more and more opinionated about things he's getting He's doing shows that are more focused on controversy and stating how he feels about things and trying to influence matters in poker that he thinks should be different. And I'm saying all of this with praise. I, I like the edgier Joey that stands up for what he believes in rather than the easygoing, easy-to-get-along-with softballer. Of course, when you set out to right wrongs, then you have those on the other side that are committing the wrongs that uh, are going to push back and hate you and maybe even want to retaliate against you. That's something I've dealt with for many years. That's, uh, you know, I've made enemies in the poker world when I've called people out or called businesses out. So that, that is the other side of the coin. But Joey's decided he's going to anyway. So Joey was going through the hallway at the beginning of the World Series of Poker. And he found some very, very aggressive salespeople who sell cell phone chargers. Now, I mentioned this last week because Joey had been tweeting about it. And I even did a little segment on what to do if you encounter that. And I had mentioned that last year. That same company was behaving very aggressively toward Brandon when he was going through the hallway before I was even at the World Series. And Brandon told me, and I reported this to Seth Polanski and said, hey, can you get these guys under control? And Seth said, well, we don't have direct control over their employees, but uh, we'll talk to them and see if we can get them to tone down. Sure enough, he must have talked to them because after that, they uh, by the time I got to the World Series, they were very docile and, and not aggressive at all. So I thought, okay, good. 
and then here we are back in 2018, and Joey's reporting they're aggressive again. So I guess uh, a year had passed. They decided it was time to go back to their old ways. So I saw Joey's report. I I came to the World Series on the morning of May 31st, so Joey was there slightly before me. So he noticed this just before I came this year. And on... So so I hadn't experienced anything with the hallway yet when Joey was already tweeting about it. Now, I will say that in between when he tweeted about it and, and when it ratcheted up and became something much bigger, which I'm about to explain to you, I have not experienced them being aggressive with me, but I try not to make eye contact with them. I try to walk by very quickly, so maybe that's why. I didn't try to put them through the test. Anyway, I believe Joey that they were aggressive with him. And then he tweeted about it. And then I tweeted back to him about Brandon's experience last year and how I complained to Seth Polanski and they did something about it. So this actually sprung Joey into action. And I know this because Joey tweeted this back. You can go look at his Twitter where he tweets to me and says that it was my report to him about that from last year. About last year. I, I reported it to them this year. But it was my statement about what I did last year that inspired him to go forth and do a real investigation and video about the situation. So that was, that was my small part in this one that this would not have been done if it wasn't for me. And this is from Joey himself. I'm not just guessing. I'm not patting myself on the back. This is Joey himself said this, but that's, that's where my credit ends here. I don't, I don't want to take credit for this. This was really Joey's doing Joey's work and he really put himself out there and, and took a little risk, which I'll explain shortly. So I'm going to play parts of Joey's video here about the WSOP phone charger salespeople. It, it's called uh, the WSOP phone charger salespeople must be stopped. And by the way, these are our th- third party employees of, you know, it's, it's the third party company. These people don't work for the World Series of Poker. They buy space there. They do have to adhere to certain rules. But these are not employees working for the World Series, nor can these employees be fired by anyone at the World Series. The only thing the World Series can do is if they find the company has violated the contract that they have, then they can terminate the contract. But they can't just say, oh, I don't like this employee, he's fired. They can only do this with their own employees. So here's Joey's video. The cell phone charger and headphone salespeople at the real World Series of Poker 2018 must be stopped. The verbal and sexual harassment that has been going on for these first few days of World Series of Poker 2018 cannot go on any longer. Anyone that's been at the World Series of Poker in this year or in recent years has had to deal with these annoying-ass cell phone charger salespeople in the hallway constantly yelling about their cell phone chargers. In this video, I'm going to talk about the sexual harassment that I've witnessed and that I've discussed with a number of different women at the Rio in these past couple days. Mm-mm-mm. Hang on a second. Sexual harassment. Well, that I was unaware of. That I was. Yeah, unaware. I didn't hear about that either. Yeah, I've seen. And I'll tell you why I was probably unaware of it is because I'm a guy. Okay, so I walk by them. No one's going to sexually harass me. Uh, so that's something that when it occurs, I'd have to either know a woman that experiences it or see it myself. Uh, and same with Brandon. You know, Brandon was harassed by them to buy something, but they weren't saying, "Hey, hey, Brandon, they, hey, I, I like your boobs, Brandon." Like they're not going to say that because he's a dude. So, 
And most of the people walking through that hallway are dudes. So that I didn't know about. So that adds a whole additional layer to this that I was previously unaware of, but it turns out, as you'll hear, this was a very true layer. As well as the other verbal harassments I've seen go on from these guys from, and I've also had... So this, he's, he's putting things in the video. The reason I'm stopping, he's putting little screenshots of tweets in his video. So this one is from uh, Jonah Tuck. They berated me for ignoring them as I was walking by. This is a tweet from Jonah Tuck, at Jonah Tuck. Uh, That's good business. Get pissed at anyone who ignores your shitty product. Conversation with more people today at the Rio, and they told me their own stories and their own dealings with these guys. I'm also going to talk about how exactly their whole entire operation set up, including their kind of legit, kind of fake website, um, how the different companies are connected with each other. And um, I don't know, man, this seems like some pretty, um, I don't know what the word is. These guys are obviously great at what they do. These are no knock on these salesmen. I'd want these guys selling to someone for me if my life was going to be ended and I had to have the best salesman in the entire world because these guys are good at what they do. I'm not arguing that. What I am saying is that this is the World Series of Poker and we should not allow this constant harassment every single time you walk down the hallway about buying a damn phone charger from these people. You don't have to deal with it once. you got to deal with it twice now as you're walking down the hall. And not only that, if you say no, if you ignore them, they mock you. There's sarcasm thrown your way. They make fun of you. If you're a woman, they're going to sexually harass you. They're going to talk about, baby, why don't you smile for me? They're going to comment on your body. They're going to talk about how sexy they think you are. All this kind of stuff like that. Now, I just walked around the reel today, and I had conversations. I said, hey, what do you think about the cell phone charger guys? What do you think about them? Every single person I talked to said, man, these guys are so annoying. I don't understand why they're here. I talked with a number of different women. One woman was much more specific and graphic in terms of what these guys are saying to her. And now, like, I get it. Maybe this is fine in other places, but this is the World Series of Poker, and there are people that come from all over the world to play here, and this is the representation of what poker is. I mean, if you're a fan or if you're someone new coming by to play an event and you just go down the hall and then you're you're made fun of or you feel uncomfortable in the hallways walking by because you don't want to be bothered by these guys, I mean, that just doesn't – I can't understand why this is allowed to go on. Yeah, so th- this is a good point. And the World Series has to at some point say, yes, there's areas we can make additional money and we hate just – leaving that money on the table. If there's empty hallway space, why not sell that space to third-party vendors who want to sell things? It's free money. for. Why don't we do this? Why leave that part of the hallway empty when it could be making money for us? And that's how businesses think, and that's fine. But at the same time, you have to protect your brand. You have to protect your customers, not just ethically, but also for the future of your brand and your company. So... When people are coming to play the World Series, you want them to have a good experience. And if third parties are here ruining that experience for people and they don't come back, then it just costs you money. So it's possible that even though you're collecting money from these vendors, that the poorly behaving vendors are actually costing you money. That whatever they're paying you, they're costing you more in potential repeat business. And and, and as far as the recognition and respect for the brand. And so you, especially large corporations like Caesars, they, they they have to always keep that in mind. Not how can we make an extra buck in every way possible, but is this way to make an extra buck possibly going to harm the brand? Is it going to strongly inconvenience our customers? Is it going to 
make the experience for the customers not much worse while only bringing in a little extra money for us. At that point, it's not worth it. And how much do they charge for the booth? Sorry to catch off, Jeff. How, how much do they charge for the booth? We're not. Sh- we're not sure. That's. It, we're, we're, I, I'm thinking it's probably something like twenty five thousand dollars. That's that's my guess. Oh, but, I don't think it's that much. No, no, I think it is. It's a lot of money. Oh, because I guess it's. I guess it's for months. They're yes, there, yes, it's for a long time. It's for, a, right, right. For it's, long, it's a long time. I think it's something like. I think I heard someone throwing around that figure. Can don't quote me on that. But this. That's. A yeah. Well, that's probably why they're so aggressive. Right. They need to, you know. Right, fifty thousand dollars. Right, so that's, that's. I mean, a lot more to make it worthwhile. Yeah. So, so here is. Uh, it, so let me go on with the video here. And now we're going to take a look at, at exactly a little bit about who this company is, how much these products that they sell cost. Are these products complete pieces of shit? I, I don't really know, but if you go off the reviews that I've been reading on here online and from the investigation I've done, I mean, you know, I, it just, I can't believe this company is allowed to operate the World Series of Poker. And like I said, I'm sure this company makes money. The markup that they have on these products is insane. More markup is better. The salesmen are good. But should they be at the World Series of Poker? I, I just can't see why this is allowed to go on. And hopefully this harassment I mean, on a constant basis, cell phone charger, they're yelling it down the hallway. I walked down the hallway today during the Colossus. They're yelling it. There's three in a row. Phone charger, phone. It's like, what the fuck is going on right now, man? Yeah, that's the other problem. Even Take away the harassment that's going on here. And we still have an issue. If they are selling poor quality or super, super marked up goods. And when I say super marked up, I don't mean something that that would be Seventy dollars in the store and they're charging one fifty. I mean something that's ten dollars in the store and they're charging a hundred. If there's something like you can say, oh well, that's the free market. No, because a lot of electronics look the same on the outside, but the way they perform is very, very different based upon the quality. And uh, so this is different than when you have vendors selling T-shirts or uh, or other poker related souvenirs or or even poker training they're selling there it's pretty straightforward what you're buying and even if it's expensive like let's say let's say someone's selling poker training but charging way more than other poker trainers out there well okay still the person knows they're getting poker training and they know how much they're paying even if they could be getting a much much better deal elsewhere uh at least you can understand that but as far as selling merchandise if it's something that's very, very marked up and you're paying far more than it's really worth, I mean far, far more, that's another area the World Series should say, wait a minute, we don't want this. We, we don't want junk products being sold for a lot of money as if they're quality products. And then when the, the products break, people remember they bought it at the World Series. So that that's another case of where they should be protecting their brand and, and not allowing this sort of thing to sell there in the hallway unless they really do due diligence and check it out, which as you, you'll hear from what Joey did – from his investigation that uh, had they done due diligence this company wouldn't be here and like people here trying to focus people here trying to get in the zone they're playing for a a large amount of money and they have to worry about this abuse every single dot time that they go walk down the damn hallway and they can't not have to hear this or not to deal with these guys or hope they're in a big crowd or hope they just leave them the fuck alone so if we take a look at the products that these guys have and uh, the main website that they list here is this Pro Royal. Now we're going to take a look at this Pro Royal website and we're going to look at how much the product products go for on here. 
Source Pro, Pro Royal site. And from what I can gather, they only have this site set up so that when people say, well, how much does this stuff cost online? They send you this site and they show you that the Bluetooth headphones cost $3.99. They show you the charger on the go. The power case costs $1.99. Uh, the multi-charger down here, $3.99. And a bunch of other products with these absurd high prices on their site. And now if you Google these products, you will find these products basically nowhere else. There's not going to be any Pro Royal company. There, There's nothing like that. This is the only proof or only thing that they have. And they pull it up immediately when you say, oh, well, how much does this cost? They're going to pull it up instantly and say, this is what it is. But we'll sell it to you for $139 or $199 or $99 if you have a card. Or it's going to change depending on who you are or depending on how easy of a target that you are. And now if you look more into Pro Royal, you say, all right, where's this Pro Royal? What is this company? You go down here and they have something called Global Trade AM located in Las Vegas. So before we get to that, so what he's saying here, in case you, you missed it, is that they have a, web, a website set up for all their products that they very freely pull up and show you with its retail prices that are really, really high for these products. So this way when they come down from those prices – you feel like you're getting a good buy. So uh, they, they sell you a, a cell phone charger case that's $199 on their website, and they say they'll give it to you for 99 You think you're getting a spectacular deal, when in reality uh, they're really not selling it anywhere except on their own website, and they don't expect anyone to really buy it there. And, um, and, and then if you try to find this product elsewhere, not sold by them, you can't find it anywhere. So he's saying that the website is just for show so they can sell you something very overpriced. And in fact, he claims that they change the price that they sell it to people at depending on what he thinks, what they think that people will pay. And then when you go ahead and when you look up the Global Trade AM, only a couple things come up about this company. And then their register looks like they're registered in Las Vegas, and it t- tells where they get their they get their import from. They get their import from Dongguang Hanwei Electronic Company. Located over in China, which is okay. So that's, that's all you need to know. <laughs> that's funny hearing him say that, but yeah. So they get the merchandise from China. There is so much crap electronic merchandise coming out of China, which on the surface, like when you get these devices, they look great. They look the same as their American counterparts, and then you use them one or two times and they break. I'm not kidding. I've I've had things like this. That seem like they're impossibly cheap when you buy them, buy them online. And you go, wow, I can't believe I'm buying this thing for $8. $8 for this. And you buy it and then it breaks after two uses. You go, okay, I see why. Uh, they used to, they didn't sell these, but they used to give away to poker media people, of which, of course, I am one. Uh, they used to give away these, what they call lipstick phone chargers, which look just like a tube of lipstick, except you just plug your phone into it to a USB port on it. And those things either just never worked or it would work like once or twice and break. I'm not even exaggerating. Like every single one of them I got over the years from the World Series either didn't work at all or broke within two uses. Now, I got these free, so I'm not complaining, but uh, those came out of China. So that, and they looked, on the outside, they looked great. They had, they had WSOP branding on them and they they looked very nice. They were very nice looking. They even lit up when you when you use them. Very very nice looking pieces there, but they didn't work. And I, I got a lot of them over the years, and they all did the same thing. So, a lot of complete crap electronics coming out of China. So, when you are buying electronics from China, do not expect quality. 
and that's what he's talking about here that they they are important importing these devices from this Dongguang Hongwei thing in China and that's what you're buying for all this money is where a lot of these products are coming from and then if you look more into global trade there's really nothing about this company except they're a connection to a place called the Source Electronics in Las Vegas and now if you go to the Source Electronics Las Vegas Yelp page you're going to see there's 52 reviews and 1.5 stars and if you go down and read the reviews you're going to notice that these reviews could have came from the World Series of Poker themselves in terms of what products are being sold they are the exact products that are being sold there also the reviews of these these products being defunct of them paying so much extra money for a lot of these products that they have on there and basically it's just negative review after negative review after negative review after negative review yeah anything on Yelp i don't care what it is any business that has 52 reviews and a 1.5 star average is very very bad news there i don't think a legitimate business exists out there that it has 50 or more reviews from legitimate, unique people. We're not talking about like some kind of bot that was used or someone on a campaign to ruin a good business. I mean, 52 legitimate users reviewing the businesses and averaging 1.5 stars. I've never seen it where it turns out you you go to the business and everything's fine and, and the reviews are all wrong. Never seen that. When you see 1.5 stars on Yelp with more than 50 reviews, the place is a freaking disaster, no matter what kind of business it is. So, and these are the products. This is a store in Las Vegas that sells these exact products that they sell at the World Series, according to Joey. On the site, and then when you take a deeper look and you try to figure out, okay, well, how does the source tie in with these other products? Basically, the people that are in charge at the Source Electronics have formerly in the past had a company with the person that's in charge of Global Trade AM, and, uh, I mean, it makes sense. It's the same sales tax it looks like here. Same products, same everything. And now you can see this, 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 these sites are on a number of different, are, are these sites scams? There's also these Bluetooth headphones. I think it's from like a, a GHT USA or something like that. Or some of the products there are GHT USA. When you go to the GHT USA website, it's the same exact website, same prices, same unfinished website. You can't even buy anything on these websites. If you try to buy now, it just goes to a random PayPal. The Twitter, Facebook links at the bottom, none of those work on here. And basically, this GHT USA is just the same headphone and the same products packaged with the GHT USA branding. And now you say, well, where are these come, where do these products all come from? And now what it looks like me, to me, what happens to these products is that they get them from a supplier. Maybe it's that, that, that supplier that recently dropped off a load over in February, the Dong Wong, uh, the, the, I mean, the, the place, the place in Guangdong, China. And when you look at, take a look at the prices or when you kind of shop around, I basically was able to find these same exact headphones without the branding on it for, I think it was about like $15 or something of that nature. And then if you take a look around and try to find similar headphones or similar products, basically if you find these same products very similar from China, they're all going to cost you somewhere between $7 and about $20, 20 at the very high end. Wow. <laughs> so... It's like he's showing these products they're selling for like one ninety nine or more are going like between eight and twenty dollars. That's a some markup there. And I have something else I want to bring up though. How would you like it if this entire like six hour radio show had that music in the background? I mean, there's only like ten minutes the thing that he's doing here, and I've played seven of them. But would you like if I just like looped that music through the entire show? Would you feel like killing yourself by the end of that six hours? I think you would. Joey, please get rid of the music. 
Like I, I know you kind of want like a background, so it's not just you speaking. It can sound more pleasant to you at first, but it, it does get kind of repetitive to hear that over and over and over again. I'd rather just hear you talk, Joey. To be honest, not that we have great production values on this show. I'll be the first to admit that, but uh, I, just, I don't like music in the background of people talking. Um. I think I've mentioned this before, but even when I was a teenager and I talked to girls on the phone, sometimes they'd play music in the background. They just have the radio on in the background, and I'd say, "What? What's that music?" And they say, "Oh, I just I just have the radio on." I go, "Can you turn it off?" It's why I go, because I, I can't really concentrate on the conversation. I just want I just want to talk to you. I don't want to have music in the background. So, like I would make them turn off the music in the background, and I wasn't like demanding or controlling really with girls. Like, I, that wasn't usually me. But with the, with the music, I it was very distracting to me to be talking to someone and there's music running in the background. So I would I would make them turn it off. Surprisingly, they did. Dude. Like none of them just told me "f you." I'm not talking to you. That like they, they all actually did turn it off. But uh, so maybe I'm getting flashbacks to that when I hear that Chicago Joey music in the background. But anyway, he's done a great job with this investigation, though, and he's really pretty much uncovered everything. I mean, it pretty much speaks for itself. I'll play the rest of it here. 7 to 15 for most of these products that they're selling. And now there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, it's at the Rio. It's going to be marked up. It's, it's going to... These things happen. This is how business works. And from learning how these guys operate, I want to start a goddamn... I want to do this too because it's kind of amazing in terms of the markup that they have on these products. And now if it's just a markup, I mean, okay, I guess. But... If it's just the the shitty quality from China, or if these these products have a history of breaking or not working well, you know, I, okay, I can kind of understand that. But then when I think when you start throwing in these super aggressive sales tactics and the constant harassment, talking, yelling, just really in your face sort of styles that make people uncomfortable with the sexual harassment of women and some women telling me that they're uncomfortable walking down the hallway and they try to go down a different hallway to avoid these people. And if it's just like this now, I imagine it's only going to get worse and worse if these guys are allowed to have this free reign. If you walk by and you say no, they're going to, they're making fun of you or laughing at you. It's like being in a, in a fucking schoolyard. You got to worry about these bully guys down there laughing at you or making fun of you. I mean, for me, it's not a big deal for me because I mean, they're going to say nothing to me. If they do, whatever, I'll talk some shit back. But for some other people, they're not like me. They're not, they feel uncomfortable. They feel weird. They don't want to fucking deal with this stuff, man. They come to play poker. We shouldn't be having to, to go down here like some, some back alley flea market or something like that, having to deal with these different people. And, and like I said, man, I'm sure these guys are great at their jobs. You know, I don't know the guys. I don't know what's happening with them. Uh, I've researched in terms of who the people that work here are, who are the people that run these companies and got, got to. By the way, it really does feel like a flea market when you walk through the hallway. That's, that's a very good description. And to me, it's kind of a turnoff. He's right that when you walk through the hallway, what you're thinking of, if you're going to an event, is, okay, I'm about to play an event. I hope it goes well. And you kind of get psyched a little bit for the event. You're kind of getting the mood to go sit down and play. And then you have this surrounding you. There's this flea market atmosphere where they're all staring at you like you're, like you're their prey. Even if they don't say anything to you. I've had some kind of aggressive ones in the past. Not this year, but I've had some where they, they, they could, hey, yeah, hey you, you want to buy this? You want to buy this? Like, they, they, they keep trying to get me to... Go into the booth and you sure you sure you sure like they don't just take no for an answer. And I actually started when I was dealing with that in certain years. I'd actually walk by them and then as they'd start, I actually put my hand up in the air and go no 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 no. I actually do that just to shut them up because that was the only way to stop it to really get the message across to them. 
so uh, in the chat room, the Hanson kid is there. I guess he's taking taking a break from rolling around on the bed in his uh, in his money in his two hundred thousand dollars cash. And he said that uh, he got a booth there in the past, and that uh, it was either uh, twenty or fifteen thousand dollars. And he did the first year; it was ten thousand dollars. And that the last time he did it, it was either fifteen or twenty. He said, "I had a deal with Stream Commercials too." I'm not sure what he means by that. Maybe. Well, he probably gave them some 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 advertising maybe. offset, maybe some of the costs. I'll bet. Yeah, I'm thinking either that or he was advertising for someone else, so it was worth spending the twenty k. I don't I don't know what what he means by that, but anyway, he he said it was it was fifteen or twenty, so we're not that far off with the twenty five. And uh, um, oh, he says they charge more for people who are selling goods because Bart was. Uh, he said he wasn't selling goods. Was this was this for Live at the Bike you were doing there, Bart, or was this uh, for Crush Life Poker? Because Bart was involved with Live at the Bike. I'm not sure which one he was uh, doing it because he'll answer in the chat room. But yeah, I'm glad we have someone with experience in this that could bring it to us. But he says, and you know, and the thing. Oh, sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. Finish so I, that. I, I had a package deal for like twenty-five to thirty k for a booth and for commercials on the live stream. Oh, I see. So, so it was actually he, he had a package of both the booth and for for them to put commercials during their live streams of the final tables. I see. So that so he's having a hard time separating out how much just for the booth, but he thinks it's you know fifteen to twenty. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, what were you going to say, uh, Trey Risky? No, I was just going to say with you know these cell phone charger companies, if you walk down the hall, if they had, if they had. Uh, you know, decent products for a reasonable price. And they just told people, hey, if your cell phone dies, here's our card. Call us. We have charged things. We'll run it to your table. They're 50 bucks. They, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, but, you know, I guess, you know, if they're paying all that money trying to sell sell a $20 product for 200 bucks, they got to be very aggressive. And I would disagree with Joe that they're good salespeople. I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm sure they're probably the owners of the company too, but I just don't know how you're going to make money that way. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, they must. They keep coming back year after year, so they they must be clearing more money than they are spending. So they must be making sales. So maybe he's right that they're good sales. They may annoy you and I and, and Joey, but they they must be making a lot of sales if they are coming back. And it makes sense that the product's so highly marked up; it's almost pure profit. Otherwise, how are they going to? Make twenty k selling goods, and he's saying they they charge even more to those selling goods. So, yeah, this is uh, I guess that's the only way they they feel they can make money. So he, here's a uh, Joey was tweeting out screenshots of of people who were either responding to his video or contacting him in some other way about these the sexual harassment aspect. This is from uh, Linda McCabe. She wrote, thank you for addressing this. I'm at the WSOP and walk down the hall, careful not to make eye contact with these guys, and try to ignore their comments as I go by. Doesn't matter. They still shout at you and say sarcastic and derogatory things. It's a poor representative representation of the WSOP. If the Rio slash WSOP allows them to stay, they should definitely make them rein in their aggressive and abusive tactics. Now, you may say, okay, well, that's a woman, but she's not talking about uh, sexual harassment. What about this one? This is uh, on Twitter. You can actually go see it yourself. 
uh, twitter.com slash odagemily. That's O, that's O-H, dag, D-A-G, and then the, the name Emily. I'm not even a hot chick. I like how she starts out that way. <laughs> I'm not even a hot chick. And these dudes have been telling me I'm gorgeous every time I walk by for three straight years. It's gotten past the, the point of annoyance to the point that I'm getting anxious when I have to walk by. I'd love to be left the hell alone. I'm sure we all would. Uh, Christy Arnett, you know of her. She used to do broadcasts for uh, Card Player and Poker News, other uh, media outlets. And she also plays poker herself. Uh, cute Asian girl. She wrote... Uh, I actually just left the Rio feeling super uncomfortable from these dudes. This is about this year, she's, she's tweeted in response to Joey. It feels bad, honestly, but sadly, I didn't think much of it. I just kept walking. Thank you for saying something. So, uh, and then another woman, if I could see if I could find it, actually talked about how she would try to find back ways to get to where she was going in the tournament in order to avoid the, the sexual harassment from these guys. I, I'm trying to find that particular tweet, but I'm... I can't seem to find that one. But anyway, so a number of women did come forward saying that they had experienced sexual harassment uh, from these guys uh, at at this particular booth. So uh, this started to get some traction. And the World Series uh, kind of was, was forced to respond uh, here's an article. Uh, let's see where else I can find. So here's some other responses that I found. Nick Eunice, that's N I C K Y U N I S on Twitter. This is probably the worst part of going to the Rio. Really surprised the World Series of Poker allows it to continue. I don't like ignoring people, and the last thing you want after you lose a tournament is to be asked for the third time that day if you want the same product again and again and again. Uh,. Uh, Christy Arnett again. Wow, it's so crazy. I left the Rio feeling like super uncomfortable. Thank you for saying something wow. Uh, this is from Brant Hale. This is a guy. Uh, walked by yesterday and um, something uh, uh, and, and what it looks like to be a, a recreation in town for a weekend with a bag full of these products saying I'm not full I'm not buying any more stuff, man. And salesman grabbed him. Let's say he was saying he saw a recreational player doing it. It's a confusing tweet the way the guy wrote it. And a salesman grabbed him around the neck in a semi-hug slash headlock and says, let me show you this, my friend. Guy pushes him off and walked away. Insanity. So this guy actually saw like a recreational player in town for the weekend is what he's saying. And that, uh, that the guy already had bought a lot of things. And that when he says, I'm not buying any more stuff, the salesman actually kind of grabbed him in sort of like a headlock. Not a full headlock, but kind of like grabbed him kind of by the neck and pulled him back over there. And said, come on, let me show you this. So they, they got a sucker there to buy a lot of this stuff, and then they wouldn't even let the guy go. Physically wouldn't let him go. Uh, that's from Brant Hale. Of course, that was a hot one they had on the hook. Yeah, that was Brant Hale 4, B-A-R-N-T-H-A-L-E 4. So if you wonder why when you play these World Series events, why some of these fish are not there anymore, it's not just because they were losing. They may have had an experience like this. So the guy buys a lot of these products, spends a thousand bucks on these products, gets home and they all break. And he says, I'm not coming back. Losing in poker, fine. But not losing this way. Amanda Baker. She's a known player, a poker pro. Mandy22Baker on Twitter. Absolutely. Women have been speaking out about this far too long for them to continue doing business with a vendor that openly harasses their customers. 
So I, I think it's pretty clear. We have a number of women that have come forward that, that have indicated they've been harassed, and, and not ones who are known to cry wolf that they're always getting harassed. Uh, you know, like I, I haven't – some of these women I've never seen talk about this before. Or if they have, it's been believable stories like you know, guys at the table who make crude comments to them or nasty comments when they beat them in a hand. Like a, I, I think these reports are pretty credible, all of them that I just read. Didn't see them myself, but I, I would believe them. If I, if I was asked, uh, do you think any of these are lies and made up or, or great exaggerations, I would say no. I would think 100% of them are either true or close to true. So... Of course, the World Series has to answer to this because they uh, th- this got pretty big because Joey put it out on this video. Uh, other sites wrote articles about it. And, <coughs> of course, people asked the World Series for comments. What are you going to do about it now? So Seth Polanski, who's a manager at the World Series and also is the head of communications there, so he's the one it would go through. And he also he's not just a talking head there. He actually has power. Uh, the World Series basically has three managers in power, in real power. That's uh, Ty Stewart, who's in charge of the whole thing, and then Jack Effel and Seth Polanski. Seth Polanski kind of manages the, uh, the the media type of stuff, the media and the communications and all that type of stuff. Jack Effel runs the tournament. Ty Stewart runs the whole thing. But But all of them have power and a lot of influence. Like when I've brought up issues to Seth Polanski that were going on there, he either handles it or has given it to someone else to handle like like basically if you if something gets to one of those guys and they care about it then they'll they can make something change they they're given that power so uh this is what seth polanski said uh he was because yeah he was asked about this and this is one of these things where he had to respond or otherwise, uh, there, there was there, there was going to be trouble. So let me, let me get to uh, got to find the right place here. Yeah, here, here's Seth Polanski's response. I actually have a an interview with him where he answered to this. <laughs> That's an old school reference to those of you who've listened since the beginning to this show. So here is the actual response from Seth Polanski. He said, The company and its principals get vetted prior to us providing booth space. Apparently not very well here. In this company's case, they are all throughout Vegas at casinos at the Miracle Mile shops, etc. The Miracle Mile shops are in Planet Hollywood. Uh, So they are well known. That said, we don't have authority to scrub employees of another company. That company's that's that is the company principal's domain, meaning he can't fire any of their misbehaving employees individually, which is true. As far as the sexual harassment, he said we have a zero tolerance policy regarding sexual harassment. We would use our rights in our contract to terminate the relationship. We have not received any formal complaints in regard to this matter. We would take any complaint seriously. If anyone has had or has an issue, they should immediately report it to any security team member in a yellow shirt and will be handled from there following company's protocols. We have spoken to the company and made them aware of the allegations and have put them on notice. We are adding additional surveillance coverage as well in this area to have additional eyes. So, first of all, it is true. If you are 
harassed by these guys, whether you're female or male, whether it's sexual harassment or whether the salespeople are just being aggressive. Go to security and report it, or um, go into the World Series of Poker media room, especially during the day, because Seth Polanski himself is there. At night, it's uh, you know he has some people working under him that are there. I'm not sure if they have much power to do anything, but they can at least direct you to the right place, maybe security. But but you can go into the media room, which is down the hall towards the end. You'll see it on the right. And, and report it there, or just report it to security. If it's sexual harassment, just go to security. That's that's easy. If it's them just being aggressive and, and, and not and giving you a hard time as you're passing through, it's, it's it may be better to report this directly to uh, the, like the people in the media room uh, to at least find you a manager if there's not one in there. So... The reason you should do this is because the more reports that come in like this, and I'm not saying to make up anything. You should go do this only if you actually experience this. Uh, the more actual complaints they get, then they can, what they said, terminate the contract and boot them because they have some kind of clause in their contract saying if this company misbehaves, then they can kick them out. But but they, they don't want to just kick them out based on rumor or otherwise the company can sue them for breach of contract. So... If they have people reporting it, unbiased third parties who just come in and complain about them and are willing to just basically put it on paper, I was harassed by these people, uh, that will be enough, especially if they get multiple complaints like this, to terminate it where they can't just terminate it in the middle based upon gossip on the web or gossip on YouTube or Twitter, uh, even if it's all true and very believable. And that's, that's a, unfortunately a reality of, of business. So I understand why the World Series can't kick them right now and why they're encouraging people to report it. I think at the same time that the World Series wishes that they did not make a contract with these people. I think, the, I think they're not coming back. Nothing would surprise me with the World Series. I mean, look, they brought back uh, Leon Sukernik and his King's Lounge, despite everything he did last year with, with welching on heads-up poker gambling debts, where he borrows money, loses, and then refuses to pay. But, uh, you know, you never know. I think they would have continued partnering with the Global Poker League and Index had they not been screwed by that company. So the World Series will sometimes continue a partnership with a company that is not very scrupulous, but I think this isn't worth it to them at the moment. I don't think they're getting enough money here. Let's say they are getting twenty-five grand, thirty grand. That's not very much money compared to what the World Series takes in. That's it's a drop in the bucket for them. So this has become kind of an embarrassment, and this is especially in today's climate with the sexual harassment part. That's the worst part of this whole thing. And if you think about all the talk we've had about sexual harassment in the last year, when I say we, I don't mean we on this show. I mean in the United States news and media. Ever since the Harvey Weinstein broke thing broke. Okay, so there's kind of a an awakening across the country about sexual harassment and mistreatment of women that has gone unchecked for a long time. And, and they're trying to get more women into poker. Right. There's such a big upside and opportunity. Yeah. So that it's like it's another thing. So 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 I don't think for twenty five or thirty grand that they want a company there that now that has been doing this. And I'm sure Seth Polanski believes the company, these are re- accurate and true reports. I'm sure he believes it. 
And uh, so I, I think right now they're wishing they didn't get in a contract with him in the first place. But I think they don't, unless it's a multi-year contract, I, I don't think they're going to want to bring him back next year. Just It's, it's going to be too much risk. So I think what's happened is they went to the company and they said to them, they said, look, this is very bad. We're, we're on the verge of kicking you. We're on the verge of, of terminating the contract uh, based upon your, your employee's behavior. So uh, you know, you better shape up. One more one incident like this gets reported to us going forward, you're gone. So just just letting you know that everybody's on edge about this, and all it's going to take is one report, and we're kicking you. I, I, I'm just making this up. I'm not saying this is what happened. This is my assumption. He did he did say he talked to them, and they are on notice. And I'm sure this company now at the moment is on good behavior because they know that if they continue with what they were doing before, they're gone. Just much like last year when I complained. They were on much better behavior. And I didn't even experience personally. I Brandon experienced it, and I relayed that to Seth. And then he talked to them, or someone, uh, he got someone to talk to them. Someone talked to them at the World Series and said, you better quit this crap, and, the, and they quit. So uh, this year they felt emboldened to do it again, and now I'm sure they're behaving much better. I haven't heard of anything happening since. However, there's more to this story. There is more to the story, because the owner of the company is fighting back <laughs> against Joey. He's very mad at Joey for this. Very mad. So, uh, first of all, on YouTube, remember this is a YouTube video I was playing from Joey. On YouTube, uh, of course, there's a there's a like and dislike system on YouTube. And all the and what happens with videos is that uh, most videos that are popular get a lot of likes. So, you take a video with a whole lot of views, hundreds of thousands, millions, whatever. Most people just watch and don't do anything, but a certain percentage of them will click like. And usually very few of them will click dislike, just because you're usually there to watch the video because you like it. You like the person making the video, or it's a subject you're interested in. So usually you're going to like a video that you come to watch. Then there's some who dislike it for whatever reason. Uh, some do it just to be contrarian. Some do it because they don't like the host. They disagree with it. Whatever it is. There's always usually a small percentage of dislikes on any video. The only exception is when a company puts out a video that is particularly unpopular. Like, like for example, when that uh, all-female Ghostbusters came out and the, and the trailer was terrible. Uh, I, I never saw the movie. I heard it was actually better than the trailer portrayed it to be. Because the trailer looked horrible. But the first trailer looked really, really bad. And that got a ton of dislikes. Uh, partially also because I guess some trolls on Reddit were encouraging everyone to dislike it. But that's the type of thing where it will get real dislikes that exceed the likes. But most videos on YouTube, most popular videos on YouTube have likes very, very far exceeding dislikes. Now, let's talk about Chicago Joey. Uh, he will usually get far more likes than dislikes. Why? Because... He's doing poker videos. You're usually watching him because you're interested in the subject matter. Um, even when he tackles controversial subjects, he doesn't tackle controversial subjects so much in the way where there's going to be a lot of people in poker on the other side. So the typical viewer, for example, is not going to watch his videos about uh, about America's card room and collusion and bots and say, oh, I'm going to dislike this because I think collusion and botting is great. 
screw Joey. I, I want to collude. I want to use bots. Like, you're not going to have many people watching those videos on the side of the botters and colluders. Most people are going to either do nothing or they're going to click like because he is fighting against collusion and botting, which almost all of us can agree is wrong and bad. So that that's the type of thing where you'll get way, way more likes than dislikes. Well, on this video, this phone charger salespeople video, it has 133,000 views. Then it has 1,100 likes, which is good. 1,100 likes. And then it has 2,200 dislikes. Sorry, 2,000 dislikes. I don't want to overstate it. 2,000 dislikes, 1,100 likes. So two-thirds of the people who liked it, who watched this disliked it? Who wanted to rate it? I shouldn't say watchers. People who rated it of the 3,000 or so raters, two-thirds didn't like it? Hmm. Now, how would that happen? Do you think there's a lot of people watching this thinking, wow, how dare Joey call out these sexual harassers and, and people who bother poker players in the hall trying to sell crappy chargers? Man, I'm on the charger people's side. How many people do you think watch Joey's videos and come away on the side of the Chargers people. Do you think two-thirds of the people who would rate this video out of 3,000 people would be against Joey here? Yeah, I mean, you heard most of the video. I put like like 80% of the video to you. And the, the rest, the 20% pretty much the same stuff. So how, how would we have this? How do we have two-thirds of the people who rated this video, two, over 2,000 people disliking it? How, how did that happen? Well, you can buy likes and dislikes on YouTube. There are services out there that will run bots that will flood a video with likes or dislikes. The problem is that this becomes very transparent because unless there's a corresponding number of views or like 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 this is far too many dislikes for this number of views for this type of subject. And second, uh, the like to dislike ratio just doesn't make sense based upon the content and, and who is likely to like and dislike it. Like, how many people are ever going to be against this? What what Joey's doing? Uh, this is the type of thing where everyone's pretty much on his side except the people who run that business. Uh, the other mistakes companies will make who buy things on YouTube, like if, sometimes they'll buy views. Sometimes you'll they'll do what's known as view botting, where you'll pay a company to fake watch your video. But then there's the problem where there's not enough likes and dislikes. So if you see a, a video with a million views, but there's 20 likes and three dislikes, that's a problem because with a million views, you're going to get far more than 23 reactions to it. So this one, with two thirds of the view of the likes and dislikes being dislike, two thousand to one thousand. Obviously, this was bought. Well, who would have bought this? Who would have paid money to dislike this video? Hmm, who, who would that have been? Who, who might have an incentive to pay money to dislike Joey's video, to make it look like he's not credible? Huh, I can't think of who that might be. Well, let me read you this email that was sent to Joey. Or sorry, this was a YouTube. Uh, was this an email or uh, no? I think this is, this is a YouTube video. This was a YouTube comment. 
This is Sir Mark Agurunov. He is the owner of this company, of Pro Royal. Hello, Joey Ingram. I'm the owner of the business, and I see on your video that you're not stating facts. All our products are licensed and branded with full warranty, and we have every year thousands of happy customers. Our official website is www.pro-royal.com, and the products are at regular prices with no discounts and can be bought with PayPal. Well, Joey was saying that, that yes, you can buy them and these are quote their regular prices, but then they disc, they, they have a, they're just marked way up. Then you write GHT is a private P R E V T label brand belongs to Royal Company. During the WSOP event, our company gives special service to our customers as the agreement with WSOP management and allowing them to replace old and empty product to new and fully charged without extra charge and hassle. Um, I, I don't know what that means. I think he's trying to say some kind of exchange where you're, uh, you've bought from them in the past and now you, you can go exchange them for a product that hasn't run down. I, I don't believe that necessarily, unless they, they're doing this as kind of a lost leader to draw you in to buy more. So I think he's claiming, I think, that if, if you buy a battery from them that just runs down, as they all do over time. And it stops working very well that, that they'll just give you the identical product again the next year without charging you. But I, I don't know if that's true. But maybe, maybe they just do it because they make so much profit uh, and it's a loss leader to bring you in. I don't know if that's true or not. He goes on to say, on your video, you showing that you can purchase exactly the same products for a low price, but in the pictures you showed completely different products. That's not our brand with much lower quality and model of 2010. You mentioned the employees are harassing, and we took care of it ASAP. Well, that sounds like he's admitting to it. <laughs> not, not like you mentioned they're harassing, but they, it's not been happening. No, we took care of it. They, they were harassing women before, but no more. The, the women will be treated well now. The days of sexual harassment are over, so no problem anymore. Let's just forget the past. He writes, you also mentioned sexual harassment, and it's not true. Oh, I see. So he's admitting to the harassment of customers, but not sexual harassment. I see. Uh, and if it were true, I'll personally come with you to file police report against the employee. Yeah, I'm sure that'll happen. We have thousands of happy customers every year, as you can see on your dislike button. <laughs> That's my favorite line. He says, we have thousands of happy customers every year. As you can see on your dislike button. <laughs> Come on. I mean, can he be any more transparent? So not only did, does he buy these dislikes for Joey's video, but he makes sure to mention the dislikes in the response to him. He's trying to imply that there are thousands of happy customers and these are all the ones that are disliking the video. Notice none of them are coming forward in the comments saying, hey, I'm a happy customer. This is all wrong. Just, they're just all quietly disliking it. 2,000 people just super quickly find that video who bought from them in the past. And instead of standing up for the company, they, they just hit the dislike button. 2,000 of them. So he's saying, as you can see by the dislike button, <laughs> for all the dislikes you suddenly have out of nowhere went from like zero to 2,000. All of that, just it's all of our past customers flocking in and disliking your video. In our defense. Sounds legit. <laughs> the guy actually mentions the dislike. He doesn't even just dislike it and then just hope people will come to that conclusion. He actually mentions the dislikes. He actually mentions it. Just in case you thought maybe it wasn't him doing it. 
We have thousands of happy customers every year, as you can see on your dislike button. See exactly, you see exactly why the dislikes were bought. So those can be the quote, thousands of happy customers. So thousands of happy bots who bought that, those products are very happy customers, apparently. He says, on your video, you showed wrong information and it's hurting our company's reputation, product, brand, and sales. Hmm. Well, that last line could be construed as a legal threat. Because that, uh, the way he phrased it about hurting the company's product, reputation, brand, and sales. That's the type of language that would be used in a lawsuit. That Joey has attacked them with untrue accusations, and therefore the company has been harmed, and therefore they're going to sue Joey. In an interview with Poker News, this Mark... Arugunov said, regarding the aggressive sales tactics, he says, aggressive maybe, and we've taken action about that. We've spoken with our employees and are trying to be less aggressive. <laughs> We're trying to control everything the right way, but about sexual harassment, no sexual harassment. No sexual harassment. No, 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 no. He says, it's lies 100%. He said, most people are happy with the products. He said that the salespeople have been warned not to yell or raise their voices anymore in the halls and have toned down their sales techniques. And uh, Poker News did notice that the salespeople did seem much more docile behind the counters right after this all happened. He also said that he's considering legal action against Joey Ingram for his video. Mm. So that's the risk that one person like Joey Ingram takes by putting that out there. So when you see Joey putting it out there, you 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 can forget that you 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 can sometimes think, okay, uh, you know, maybe he's going to get the owner pissed at him, but what's the big deal? Well, he's putting himself out there to possible legal action, and you could say, well, what legal action? I'm sure all these things that Joey pointed out in the video could be proven in court. Yes, but it's expensive. The problem when when you're the victim of a frivolous lawsuit, it can often be very costly for you, even if you win. And you are not always uh, entitled to attorney's fees. Now, fortunately, there is a legal concept called anti-slap, which exists in California, Nevada, and some other states. Uh, California did it first, and some other states have copied it, including Nevada. And that would actually apply in this case. Uh, SLAP stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. And what this is designed to do is to discourage lawsuits that are meant to silence people attempting to engage in free speech. And this is used uh, because sometimes people are afraid to speak out about things because someone that is deep-pocketed threatens to sue them. And the person who's being threatened with a lawsuit often doesn't have deep pockets and is afraid of the time and especially the money that is involved in defending a lawsuit and if you can't recover attorney's fees and you're especially screwed 
or even if you can, you, you have to take a risk and, and spend a lot of money on attorneys to defend yourselves, and you may not even win. Even if you think your case is pretty good, uh, you're not, it's not 100%, and you may not get the attorney's fees back. So anti-slap was designed to prevent this, where it's a much simpler process to quickly oppose any lawsuit filed against you on the basis that it is attempting to restrict your free speech. And if the court rules that uh, that is the case, then the lawsuit is immediately killed and all of your attorney's fees are recoverable from whoever sued you. So uh, that exists where it didn't in previous years. Uh, That's kind of a newer thing in the 2010s, which has uh, sprung up. Uh, It's actually getting overused where attorneys are now trying anti-slap on pretty much everything. But uh, if there's even like some small element that they can find to where they can claim it's infringing upon free speech. But I think this one really would qualify because this is Joey bringing out people's stories with these cell phone vendors where they even even the owner admits in interviews that they're aggressive so that they can't even deny that anymore in, in court. And I'm sure people like Christy Arnett, and they'd be glad to make statements about the sexual harassment. So um, this this really could be seen as, as a way to chill free speech, in which case uh, it, it could lose an, an anti-slap challenge, and then the company would be forced to pay the attorneys. But still, who wants to go through that? Even if you could win it, you, st- you still break even. It's not, like, it's not like when you win an anti-slap, you get rich. You, you just get back the money you spent on the attorneys defending this. So Joey is putting himself at risk with this. It may be a little harder to sue him because he's not in Las Vegas, to my knowledge. I, I, th- I think he still lives in Chicago. So it would be harder to sue him. But uh, they might be able to. Anyway, uh, I don't know if they're really going to do it. Um, I believe they would have a year from when Joey... Re- release the video to take any legal action against him. I believe after that, the they would have to do this based uh, and claim it was uh, um, some, some, something defamatory or, uh, or claim it was libel. But you only have a year to do that in Nevada, to my knowledge. So after that, the statute of limitations is run out. But I don't know. They could just be posturing about the legal action. They could just be saying that to scare him from saying any more. I'm pretty sure if they did sue him over this, that the World Series really would be done with him. But I think the World Series is going to be done anyway. I think if it's not a multi-year contract, I think the World Series is going to say, you know what, you guys are too much trouble. We don't want you back. Maybe they won't, but I think I think they're going to say that. Because the World Series doesn't enjoy this. The World Series does not like this controversy going on. So, I don't think it's going to continue to be worth it to them. But good for Joey. Good for Joey with this whole thing. I give him two thumbs up for this. And again, if you are a victim of this, now you probably won't be anymore now that the company's toned down, but if you were, even if you were a victim, even if this happened a week ago, 
If it happened a year ago, there's not much you can do anymore. You can't say, well, in 2017, but you no, know, it, it's got to be something fairly recent. You, you could say the World Series started on May 30th. It's only June 7th now. So you can say, hey, you know, I didn't say anything at the time, but last week this happened to me. I'm making an official complaint. Totally reasonable. The World Series is not going to say, what? This was nine days ago. No, we, we're not accepting your complaint. No, they'll, they'll take it. So... Definitely, if you were a victim in any way, male or female, they harassed you, if they were aggressive with you, if they wouldn't let you keep walking, if they made physical contact with you that was unwanted, like like grabbing your arm, report it. Go and report it. Don't make anything up. Be truthful. But report anything that happened and be upfront and honest about what did and did not happen if you were a victim of this. But uh, good job to Joey for bringing that out. Someone says in chat, uh, Saw24 says in chat, uh, regarding their devices they're selling, Epic Markup, they must think they're Phil Helmuth. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number if you want to call into the show. Let's see what else we got on our agenda here. I know you're probably shocked about this, but I've, I've lost the agenda. The agenda has gotten away from me. The agenda has, has slipped through my fingers, as it usually does at some point during the show. But uh, here we are again with it. Okay, so here's a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. A Poker Fraud Alert exclusive, something that is not being reported anywhere else on the web. Something I found out personally. Go to twitter.com slash WSOPTD. Twitter.com slash WSOPTD, that's... uh, the World Series of Poker Tournament Director, Jack Effel's account, and you will see that it has not tweeted since December 2017. In fact, they only have one tweet on that account since July 22nd, 2017, almost a full year ago. So why is that? Why would the World Series of Poker Tournament Director, of all people, go silent, especially during the World Series? He hasn't even tweeted about the 2018 World Series, ever. Well, let's go back in time to July 20th, 2015. Matt Glantz, a listener to this show and well-respected poker pro, posted on Twitter a screenshot of something he typed up. So he like typed up something on his computer and then screenshotted it and tweeted it out. So we, this way he could get around the 144-character limit. And he tweeted out this little graphic which is constructive criticism of the World Series of Poker that year. The World Series of Poker had just ended. And he said, hoping Ty Stewart and Jack Effel recognize the need for a World Series of Poker Players Committee. We all want things to improve. Five mistakes that would have been avoided by the World Series of Poker with a structured Players Committee. And then he listed the five. It had to do with the playing cards, it had to do with the poker news coverage, it has to do with the Structures in the in the uh, smaller buy-in limit events that uh, were messed up, and they had to quickly modify them because they were making the events take too long. The 
pay jump in the main event at, at the very end, he says, you know, it was weird and unorthodox. And also to where it caused stalling when one table had six people and one pe- player had five people left. These were all true things, by the way. And then he also talked about the no live streaming of the main event prior to the November 9. This is all in 2015. Some of this stuff has been corrected. So he wrote, uh, a player's committee is not needed to fix the mistakes of, of this year or years past. A player's committee is needed to prevent similar mistakes from happening in the future. Now, now this is written three years ago, just after the 2015 World Series. This is written by Matt Glantz. He tweeted it to Jack Effel at WSOPTD. Uh, at no point was he insulting, degrading, demeaning. He never used profanity. He never uh, criticized the way Jack did his job. It was very respectful. It was just constructive criticism. That's the best way to put it. He stated, here are five problems. We need a a players committee because I feel with a players committee these problems would not have occurred. Let's have one in the future. So so in the future, we will not have these problems again or similar ones. Very reasonable. Now, Jack did not have to agree. Jack could have said, no, we don't need a players committee. No, I don't think these were really big problems. Uh, he, He could have had many responses, or he could have just ignored it. But the response that Jack Affle gave to him on July 20th, 2015 was nothing except for a block. Yes, he blocked Matt Glance for that. Didn't respond back, just blocked him. So then Matt wrote back, seems like an appropriate response, referring to the block, for fair criticism. Oh, well, I guess I'm done, guys. Good luck, good luck. I've never had any personal issues with Jack or Ty. I still don't. I just want things to get better at the World Series, so I look forward to coming back. So then when Matt tweeted this out, and Matt, he's, he's well-known in poker. He has a good number of followers. Let's, let's see how many followers he has. I know it's three years later, but let's see how many he has today. Probably pretty similar to three years ago. Yeah, he has almost 30,000 followers. So he, he's got a lot of followers. A lot of people know Matt and respect him. And uh, so, I mean, they, and these are real followers. These aren't bought followers or bots. These are 30,000, almost 30,000 real followers. Three years ago, it may not have been 30,000, but it's you know, still a five figures. Okay? So a lot of people saw this. And tons of people came out of the woodwork saying that they were also blocked by Jack Effel for no good reason. That they the slightest criticism they ever had of the World Series, they found themselves blocked. I can relate. I was blocked at that time, again for just minor constructive criticism. Brandon was blocked for minor constructive criticism. Many people on Poker Fraud Alert were blocked. Now it's true we had a few trolls on there who were trolling. Uh, Jack that were blocked too. I, I understand that. If you actually troll the guy, I understand him blocking you. But if you are polite and respectful and you just criticize an element of the World Series that you'd like to see changed or you're unhappy about, uh, he shouldn't block you. He's not obligated to respond to everybody. It'd be nice if he did, but uh, it'd be nice if he responded to all serious comments to him. He's not obligated to agree with everybody or do what they're suggesting, but he should at least give them an ability to communicate with him and when he blocks them, he's also blocking them from seeing any important messages he puts out as the tournament director of the World Series. That's the other problem. This wasn't his personal Twitter. This was the, the Twitter of the World Series of Poker tournament director. And so he shouldn't be blocked from that account unless you're really harassing it, which very few of these people really were. 
I know I wasn't. I never harassed him. Brandon never harassed him. Uh, Matt Glantz never harassed him. Tons of people were blocked from that account that never did anything to warrant blocking. And tons of them came out on Twitter and brought this up. Now, in response to what Matt said. Now, this was three years ago. So why am I talking about this today? We already discussed this on the show three years ago. Well, I hadn't really looked at the World Series of Poker Tournament Director account, which it was Jack Eiffel's only Twitter. That was one other problem. Is he, he should have had two Twitters. He should have had World Series Tournament Director, which is only about World Series matters, and then his own personal Jack Eiffel Twitter account. This way, he can block from his personal Twitter all he wants, but the World Series of Poker Tournament Director should never block anyone who's not harassing it. Anyway, he only had that one account, at least to my knowledge. And I hadn't really been looking at it, and I was sitting there at the Omaha 8 10K event. And Jack was there. And Jack was kind of uh, you know, just talking with various people there that he knew. That he was kind of friendly with. And I don't know how this came up. But I heard clear as day. It was like the next table over. Him talking to someone. I'm forgetting who. I'm not even sure if I saw who. But it doesn't matter. He said, I quit Twitter. He said, uh... I decided it wasn't healthy for me. I've been so much happier without it. That was not word for word what he said, but uh, he said, my life is so much less stressful. I just got off it. It's been a great thing for me. So I thought, did I hear that right? Did he really quit Twitter? So I thought maybe he meant he quit it a few days ago. No, I looked. He had, He's made one tweet since 11 months ago, and that was in December, just something about uh, the World Series of Poker Circuit. That was it. Not a single tweet in the year 2018. And only one tweet in the last 11 months total. So he really did quit Twitter. He's not kidding. So he said he decided it was too stressful. Now, at the time when this backlash occurred over all the blocking, and it was a bit of an embarrassment for Jack, he then tweeted out an apology two days later to Matt and to everybody else that uh, that he had blocked. So this this is what he wrote. I regret blocking anyone and apologize for offending you. Always been a man of the people but respectfully ask that comments be made in a good tone. Thank you. Uh I think he also offered in another tweet to unblock anyone who he's blocked that uh, would like to be unblocked. So I remember I, I used my other account. I have uh, two Twitter accounts. I have the Dandruff Poker account, which is used for my chips. I either, either use that or the Poker Fraud Alert account. I have three Twitters. I have the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter, which is about Poker Fraud Alert. Dandruff Poker was just about my chips and World Series events. And then uh, my main one, Todd Wittellis, which is for everything else. So... One of those two alternate accounts, I tweeted at him saying, hey, I heard you're unblocking people. Please unblock me. He did. Okay, so I'm not blocked by WSOPTD anymore. Uh, Brandon's not blocked anymore. Matt Glance is not blocked anymore. But he got off Twitter. Now, it's kind of funny. It's like two years later he got off Twitter. I guess, I guess he made the decision at the end of last year's World Series of Poker. And to my knowledge, there was not any kind of controversy last year. The controversy was three years ago. But whatever it was, something got into his head that it was time to get off. So 
I, I think Jack was one of these people who just had a hard time taking social media criticism, even if it was not personal criticism. He sees the World Series as kind of his because he's the tournament director, so people criticize it. To him, it looks like they're saying he's incompetent at his job. You know, they're not saying that. Either they're just saying, look, we, we like most things, but here's some things that need to be different. Uh, here's some things that didn't go well. Please improve them. Uh, he kind of took that as an insult, and it was very stressful for him, so he actually decided to just get off Twitter. It's possible that just he got tired of... Last year there was the playing card controversy. I bet that's. I bet that was the catalyst because there was a lot of complaints about the playing cards last year, and I bet he kind of wanted to block people, but then couldn't because of what happened two years before that. And he got tired of reading this all the time, and I think he just decided it was too stressful to read all this without blocking. I think probably the blocking that happened in prior. Yeah, in 2015 and prior, I think that was probably so he didn't have to read the criticism. I think the criticism was probably stressing him out. He didn't want to read it. Then he kind of felt compelled that he had to read it because it made him look even worse by blocking people. And when Matt Glance exposed that, then it uh, a ton of people came forward and it made him look even worse. And then he couldn't block people anymore. So then he was kind of committed to read everything, and that uh, you know that probably stressed him out even more. So probably, I'm guessing after last year's playing card debacle. That he just decided enough is enough. Like I, I just, I'm just going to get off. And everybody has a different personality type. And I understand when people criticize what you do. Uh, it can be hard to read for some people, especially those that are not used to being online a lot aren't used to social media or interacting online. It's kind of a different world. I've been interacting for decades online. So I'm used to trolling. I'm used to criticism. I'm used to arguing. But there's some who are not. And I understand that. And I understand when people criticize something you've put a lot of time and energy into, even if it's your job and you're getting paid well for it, uh, that when people are basically saying, uh, here's where you screwed up at your job, it's easy to take that as an insult that you're incompetent and don't know what you're doing, even if, even if that's not what they're saying. So I think that perhaps Jack was one of those people who just has so much pride in his job that any kind of criticism, even constructive and polite, offends him. And that he has a hard time not being offended by it. He has a hard time convincing himself these are just people offering suggestions to make things better. And and there are some trolls, too. There are some who either are just trolling and, or ones who are expressing their legitimate opinions but doing so in a rude fashion. And there's plenty of those, too. So probably all that just stressed him out and he quit. But he quit Twitter. Now, he's not required to be on Twitter, but in 2018, I think it's an important tool. I think the World Series of Poker Tournament director should be on Twitter. And if he doesn't want to read the stuff, at the very least, he should have an underling who runs the account. An underling maybe to read everything and, uh, number one, tweet out. Or, you know, He could tweet out the things he wants to tweet, and then anything responding to him, he could assign to an underling to read and then just bring him a sanitized version of whatever's written. So, hey, people have concern about the playing cards. People have concern about... Uh, the payout structure in, the, in such and such event. Then I think it might be easier to read than, wow, this payout structure is terrible, blah, blah, blah. You know, maybe that's what's stressing him out. And the problem is this is part of the job, though. Uh, if you're going to be the director of the World Series of Poker, you've got to be ready for criticism. 
If you can't take criticism, you really shouldn't have the job. It's a very, very public position. It's managing the biggest tournament series in the world, the most prestigious tournament series in the world, and it is. The World Series of Poker in Las Vegas is the biggest, most popular, most respected tournament series in the world. That's why you have people come from all over the world to play it. So you're in charge of something very big in poker. You're in charge of the biggest thing in poker. You really are. So, and, and poker, there's a lot of drama in the poker community. Let's face it, that's, how, that's why we have this show. We couldn't have the show without the drama in the poker community. You wouldn't listen if there wasn't a lot of drama in the poker community. So, if you're going to be in charge of the biggest thing in poker, and if poker has a lot of drama in the community as it does, and a lot of opinionated people as it does, it is a fact that you're going to be dealing with a lot of criticism from people, some of it fair, some of it not fair, some of it stated respectfully, some of it presented in a rude fashion. But you have to be ready for it. It should be part of the job. It should be something that you have to understand is part of the job. Much like many public positions, public high-profile positions. It's almost like being a politician. It's almost like being a politician and having a very thin skin for anything negative that's said about you. I guess you could say Donald Trump, but... (laughs) Um, but you you have to have a thick enough skin if you're in a public position that is likely to get criticism. And if if this is something that's going to really stress you out and make you unhappy, then I don't think hiding from it is correct. I think you just need to not have that position anymore. You need to work behind the scenes where nobody will criticize you. Because there are those out there that uh, would be happy to have the position and take the criticism. Nobody likes being criticized, but like I would take the position. If someone said, would you like to be the World Series of Poker Tournament Director? I'd say, yes. Yeah, I'll take the job. Yeah. Uh, would I expect criticism? Yes. Would I think some of the criticism might actually be valid? Yes. Would I do everything perfectly? No. Would there be trolls harassing me? Yes. Would there be rude people on Twitter? Yes. Would I enjoy it? No. But I, I would have to say that's one negative part of a job that otherwise I see as a positive job. And I see comes with the territory. It comes with the respect, satisfaction, and uh, high pay that is associated with being the World Series of Poker Tournament Director. He makes good money. I don't know how much, but he makes good money. So he should be back on Twitter. And if he needs somebody else to read it for him and sanitize the messages and, and and not relay the trolling to him, that's fine. There's a lot of executives who do not read their own Twitters that have underlings do it for them. Totally fine. Uh, he's not required to read all this, the trolling on his own account. And he, then he can also make a personal Twitter for himself. He's not required to. You know, he could uh, He could just say, I don't enjoy having a personal Twitter. I do know people who only have a work Twitter. And don't have a personal Twitter because they really don't uh, don't enjoy social media and don't want to be part of it. So that would be fine if he says, "I just want to work Twitter. I'll have someone else read it, and it's strictly for work stuff, and I'm not going to engage trolls, and uh, I'm not going to have a personal one. That's fine. 
but there should be some Twitter presence from WSOPTD, and, and they should shut down the account if, if it's not going to be used anymore. So it's kind of weird that he says he's getting off Twitter, but it's just there. And I would not even have noticed if he had if I hadn't overheard him talking about this at the 08 event. And I didn't overhear like a quiet private conversation. It's not like he was sitting next to someone and say, "Hey, you know, I got off Twitter." It was, "Hey, I got off Twitter." Like he he's kind of shouting this almost across the room. I wouldn't say across the room, but he's like standing a table length away and kind of shouting it over to the guy he was talking to. So he wasn't trying to keep it quiet. So I, I'm not revealing a secret here. Anyone who shouts this across from one table to the other at a World Series event. Well, this is disturbing. How's this happening? Oh, I see. <laughs> we almost had a shutdown of the show. But my computer just warned me the battery's almost dead in the, in the laptop. And I said, how's that? It's been plugged in. And I'm trying to look at the problem. The adapter kind of slipped out. It's back. That We're not, we're not going to crash. So yeah, Jack Eiffel's off Twitter. Moving along. The Colossus event. That is a $565 buy-in event. Which at the time it was introduced, I think in 2016... It got a very, very large field. I think 22,000 entries. Now, you could rebuy. But, uh, so it wasn't 22,000 unique people, but it, it was the largest. It's a rebuy or re-enter? It, it was re-enter, sorry. It was re-enter, and I think you could re-enter once per flight or something. I'm not, the year it got 22,000, I'm not sure how many times you could re-enter. I know there were six different flights. At the time, but they got 22,000 entries, not not individuals, but 22,000 entries, which was the largest number of entries ever by far of any live tournament that has ever run in the world, of any size. And they called it Colossus because they expected that. Colossus meaning that it's going to be a colossal event. Not a colossal buy-in, it's only 565, is the, the lowest at the time of any World Series bracelet event, the buy-in, but... Uh, uh, but it was, or at least lowest of open events. I think the casino employees went slightly cheaper, but it was the cheapest open event, and they expected a massive field, and they got one. Last year, they had 18,000 entries to the Colossus. This year, they had 13,000 for a steep decline. Now, keep in mind that... Other events have not seen that decline, like the 08 event that actually had a, a small increase. The Both the 08 events, the 10K and the 1500, they both had a small increase over the previous year. The Big Blind Anti event I just played was new. By the way, here, here's an interesting fact for you, just unrelated, but you know what I seem to be good at at the World Series is min-caching or pseudo-min-caching a new event. Any event that's like its first year, uh, when they're offering it, I tend to do very well. When they first introduced the Millionaire Maker, if it's a, 50, if it's a 1500 only, if it's a $1,500 buy-in event and, and they introduce a new version of it, a $1,500 no-limit event, and they introduce a new version of it, I always do well. So <laughs> Millionaire Maker, first year I cashed. 
the extended play, which has had different names over the years, but it was the you know one where they the levels are longer. Uh, I cashed first year it was offered. The fifty fifty DraftKings event, where fifty percent of the field got paid. Well, you could say big deal. I finished top fifty percent. No, I finished top four percent. So no matter what they were paying, I would have cashed there, and did. That was the first first and only year of that. The eight 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 event, the eight handed eight hundred eighty eight dollar buy in event. First year was last year. Guess what? I cashed. This year, the big blind ante fifteen hundred no limit event. First year of that, I cashed. I guess the eight 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 event wasn't fifteen hundred buy in, but whatever. Five times when they've introduced a new no limit event, I've cashed. The only ones I haven't uh, were the the Colossus I played in this first year didn't cash. The monster, not the monster. Yeah, the monster stack was one. The anti only was one, and then the giant was another one. That stupid fast structure thing for three hundred sixty five dollars. So those ones I didn't, but but five of them when they introduced them, I cashed them in the in the first uh, year they held them. So I kind of almost went into this one expecting to cash in it because it was a new event that had never run before. The big blind anti fifteen hundred no limit. Anyway, uh, but I, I was just bringing that up. I, I don't know. You can't compare that field because that was a new event. But anyway, they're not really seeing reduction in, in, in entries, only in the Colossus, it seemed, that they had this big decline. And 18,000 to 13,000 is more than just typical variance. And it, it took place at the same time of year. Everything was very similar from year to year. So how did it decline so much? And uh, it's not really clear. Now, there were 12 opportunities to enter it, would you believe? Because there were six different flights, and you were allowed to re—you were allowed to rebuy once, and you could enter all six flights. So, Ryan Laplante, who's a very, very prolific tournament player, he entered twelve times. He entered all twelve times, the maximum number that you can enter to the Colossus event. So he definitely wasn't the reason <laughs> that it didn't do well this year. How did Ryan LaPlante do in his 12 entries to the Colossus event? How many times did he cash? Zero point zero. Yes, he he cashed no times out of 12. He's 0 for 12. And this is not a fish. This is a guy who won a bracelet. This is a guy who just had a lot of cash. Like, the last two years of the World Series, he's done great. Look it up. He's kicked ass at the World Series. 0 for 12 at the Colossus this year. 0 for 12. So that, that's got to be demoralizing. Cost of about $7,500. I know he has a backer, but still. 0 for 12. Now, you might wonder, is that a record? Is 0 for 12 in the same event a record for the World Series? No. Someone once went 0 for 48 in a rebuy event. You know who that is, Trader Risky? Daniel Negreanu. Mm-hmm. When I want to feel good about my poker play, this is what I think about. This is how I sleep at night, that I'm not a fish. I think in 2007, I entered one time in the $1,000 No Limit with Rebuys World Series event, and it had add-ons, too, you could do. I didn't add-on, I did not rebuy. Just one single entry for $1,000, and I finished 10th. And I was one river card away from making the final table. One river card away. One river ace away. When it all in queens against ace king. True story. 
Daniel Negreanu in that very same event entered 48 times and did not cash. 48 times? How do you enter 48 times? He must have just shipped it in like every time. <laughs> How do you enter 48 times before the entry period's over? I think he had like six hours. He entered 48 times in six hours. There's one flight. So that's a record that won't ever be broken, I'm assuming. 48 times. <laughs> If I entered 48 times, I would have lost 25,000 bucks in that event, even finishing 10th, because I, I got 23K. So you can imagine 48,000 times, uh, 48 times, $48,000 in a $1,000 event. So I think Daniel Negreanu entered 48 times, couldn't cash. I entered once and cashed and finished 10th. That, that's how I can sleep at night. But, uh, yeah, Ryan LaPlante went 0 for 12. So, was he unusual? Yes, but I had people at my $1,500 No Limit event two days ago telling me that they entered eight times and ten times, so he wasn't the only one entering a ton of times. But despite that, they only got 13,000 entries compared to 18,000 last year. So, people are wondering, uh, what is the reason for this? And is this a bad sign for the World Series that one of their most high-profile events struggled this year compared to other years? Uh, let me see if I can find something Ryan LaPlante himself tweeted. He tweeted out a poll regarding the reasons that he thought that the Colossus didn't get the the uh, field that they hoped they would. Yeah, here we go. He tweeted out... He got a lot of votes on this, too, because he has a big following. No, he only has 5,400 5, followers. How did he get 876 votes? Wow. <laughs> That's pretty good. If He has, he has uh, 5,469 followers. How the hell does he get 876 people voting there? Those are pretty dedicated followers. If I tweeted out a poll, I'd get like 30 people voting. <laughs> I don't have that. I have fewer followers than him, but you know, probably like half of what he has. So that's not, it's not even like he has way, way more followers than me. Anyway, he tweeted out, what do you think the Colossus went, f- why do you think the Colossus went from 18,000 to 13,000 entries? Poor structure, high rake, better competition, or other? So, I'm, I'm just going to vote for high rake. So, just to see the <coughs> the responses. 49% answered poor structure, 18% high rake, 20% better competition, 13% other. So it seems like half the people think it was a poor structure. That people played it in the past and it just seemed like you go out too fast. And people didn't like that and just didn't come back this year. Interesting. Though it, it's been around for more than one year, so... But I, I guess it lost entries between <coughs> year one and year two also. Looking at the structure sheet for this, uh, I see that the levels are 30 minutes on day one. So I think that's what people are upset about. It starts at you start with five thousand chips. Starts at blinds twenty five fifty, then fifty one hundred, then seventy five one fifty, then one hundred two hundred. 
Then 153, 204, 255. The problem is it goes up every 30 minutes. This, this structure would be fine if it was every hour. But I see what people are unhappy about. Because you only start with 5,000 chips, and the structure moves twice as fast as the typical $1,000 buy-in event. I don't even think they have $1,000 buy-ins event. They don't have when they used to have them. Or compare it to a 1500, you start with 7,500 chips, and the structure is twice as slow. So, uh, yeah, I'm guessing that people just got sick of the structure. I think he's right. I think the poll is right. Not he is right, but the, I think that half people who say that it's correct. And also, yeah, the high rake, I think, is a factor, too. Uh, 13, they're paying 13% rake there. He says better competition. Yeah, the Venetians having a series, so it is possible for the for the five hundred sixty five bucks. The people who are more on a budget, people who don't see it as like a small buy in, like I do. And I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but you know, I play bigger events than that. I'm entering events between fifteen hundred and ten k, so five sixty five is, is pretty small for me. But if you if you're going to be playing events around that type of buy in, uh, wouldn't you rather play elsewhere? With a much better structure. And maybe a lower rake. So 13% rake. A poor structure. And, and better competition. And he also asked if people would play next year, the Colossus, if they made the levels 40 minutes instead of 30 and introduced the big blind ante there, which wasn't there this year. And 65% of the people responding said yes. So I think the better question is, if you refuse to play this year for any of the above reasons, would you play next year if they made these changes? So the poll he put was kind of wrong because people who say yes could be people who would be playing next year anyway even if they don't make these changes. So that, that doesn't answer much. 65 yes, 18 maybe, 17 no are the percentages there. But it definitely lost a lot of entries and they've, they've, they'll probably be looking at this because that that makes a lot of money for them. Not just in the number of entries and the rake they charge but also the people that come to play it, that stay at the hotel, that, that eat the food that gamble in the casino. So they make a lot more money than just the rake they collect. But still, they lost 5,000 people, or 5,000 entries, paying $65,000 rake. That's $325,000 they fell short in rake collected. And with the event already running, there's not that much more expense. It doesn't cost that much more for them to run the event with 18,000 people than it does for 13,000 people. They've got it all in place. So it's not like they say, well, yeah, but we had a lot less to spend the money on. No, they the costs were negligible between the 13,000-person event and an 18,000-person when they've got it all set up. To expand, to be able to accommodate extra people is expensive. But once they have it in place to have 18,000 people, if they only get 13,000, then they just make less money. It's kind of like a like a sports stadium. Like if Dodger Stadium gets fifty thousand people instead of thirty thousand, they they make a lot more money. The extra twenty thousand coming don't cost them much when they're already set up to have more than fifty thousand people in the stadium. 
So th- this is one of those cases where the 5,000 fewer entries really did just take a lot of money out of their pocket. So I think they'll be looking at this. If it went down from 18,000 to 17,000, they'd say, okay, that's just poker changing over time, maybe losing some popularity. But 18,000 to 13,000, when they're probably going to get similar numbers in the rest of the events for the rest of the year, that's got to be, be a little bit bothersome. The King's Lounge, last week I talked about how they raised the rake from, I think, $8, maybe $9, $8 or $9 per half hour in 2017 to $14 per half hour. And I say rake, it's actually a time charge they charge per half hour. And that's pretty insane. Now, these are high-limit games. These are 5100 or higher in limit games and I think 25, 25 PLO. These are high games, but still, uh, the Bellagio and the Aria charge much less. I believe it's double of what the Bellagio would charge, either double or almost double. I think maybe the Bellagio charges eight for that equivalent game, the seventy-five one fifty Omaha, for example. I think that would be eight dollars per half hour at the Bellagio, seven or eight, not nowhere near fourteen. Commerce charges a lot of rake, something like fourteen, but. This isn't commerce. This is in Vegas. You've got to charge what Vegas charges. So, so the, the Aria, the, the Bellagio, they are almost half as expensive. Now, those games don't run over there, but if they did, and the similar games run at similar limits, that's what they charge. So, people were questioning this. I even went down and, and asked some questions about this, and they, they were kind of very flippant with me, uh, acting like I was crazy. I said, well, that's a big increase in rate. Yeah, but we give you this uh, this buffet over there, and uh, you know. You know, they're just justifying it like, like it totally makes sense, but it didn't. And I said, well, look, I'm just telling you, at Bellagio, it's much cheaper. Aria's much cheaper. Oh, we know that, but, you know, this, uh, you know, look at the different offerings of food you get. You can do breakfast, lunch, and dinner if you wanted here. It's always out there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They, that doesn't justify it. It's not worth it. You couldn't eat, even I couldn't eat enough to justify that rake increase. But anyone who complained, they were just basically shut down. And told, tough luck, that's the way it is. They, they refused to say they were even considering lowering it back. Uh, then the game started to die. It started to become a ghost town in there. And they realized that the rake was just too damn high. The rake was just too damn high. So they decided uh, that they may have to do something about this. And... They finally lowered the rake. Too damn, too damn. Never mind. Trying to play a sound effect, it didn't work. So, they lowered it to twelve dollars per half hour, which is still expensive. It's still a big increase. But that that was the compromise. They lowered it from fourteen per half hour to twelve per half hour, and then the games got going again. So I, I guess people were satisfied enough with it. There is a little value in the food they put out, but it's not great. I I, I played in there one night. I had some of the food. They they put out some hot dogs. They put out uh, some fruit. They put out some soft pretzels. You know, the giant soft pretzels with the salt on them. Uh, they put out uh, stuff like that. It's okay. It's edible, but was it? Worth paying uh, this extra money per half hour? No. It's not. I'd rather get my own food and pay $8 per half hour. 
I think everyone there would too. I think they just tried to pull a fast one. I thought they. I think they just decided they're going to raise it and add this stupid buffet and say, okay, well, this justifies it. The talk at the table about this was that the rake was indeed outrageous, but that people liked the room. They liked the setup there. Uh, they try to make it feel like you're in a high-end casino in Europe. In fact, they, 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 the World Series branding is absent from there. You're in the King's Casino Europe. There's a sign like on a little screen of there, like they have like a a screen that looks like a big screen TV, but it just says King's Casino Europe on there. All the branding is King's Casino Europe. You're supposed to feel like you're transported to the Czech Republic. And you're playing in a high-end European casino. You're not at the World Series anymore. And the room is spacious. The chairs are nice. I will admit, everything's pretty nice in there. A lot nicer than any other poker room I play in. But I'll, I'll take the crappy room for a much lower rake. So they just felt that with the high-end experience could come a high-end price. And they'll throw in this buffet as the, as the justification. It was also funny with that. I was asking the guy, he talked about a banquet. I said, wait, what banquet? He says, you know, the, the, the food is for the banquet. I go, oh, what banquet? Goes, the banquet. He, he's acting like I'm an idiot for not knowing what banquet he's talking about. Trader Risky, do you know about a banquet at the World Series? I do not. No, no. He, but the guy was treating me like, this is the, the floor man. He, he's really treating me like, how can I ask that question, the banquet? How do I know, know about the banquet? And he says, well, you, you know, uh, uh, banquet services. I go, I still don't know what you mean. What, what banquet services? The ones you provide the food. That's the banquet services. They do a great job. So what he was trying to say is that the food is provided by uh, the same service people who provide food for banquets there. But that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't say anything for the quality of the food. That just means that it's the same people. Yeah, it means it's crap. <laughs> so I, I had the food. It was okay. It wasn't anything special. It was It was kind of what I'd expected, buffet food. So, the banquet. But I, I think the way he said it, it was like I was supposed to know. I, I really felt it was the, the total attitude I was getting there was like, the banquet. You know, the, the banquet. Like, like, hey, idiot, I'm talking about the banquet. How can you not know about it? Like, that, that's, what, that's what he, the tone of voice was saying to me. That's hilarious. Okay, so, I want to give a little bit of, of criticism for something I praised last week, or five days ago, shall I say. And that is the Diamond VIP room to buy into the World Series, where before I said, great, they separated it from the payout room, Uh, that chaos no longer exists, this has been a long time coming, thank you for finally doing it. I still stand by those statements, but there have been complaints, and I have seen... I haven't experienced it, but I've seen it. Long lines that didn't exist before for the Diamond VIP room to register. Before, the lines would never be that long. There would be some line in there for popular events, but they would never be like stretching out the door. They never had the security guard having to stand outside the door managing the line. There's always a security guard there to make sure that you have a diamond card to enter the room. By the way, there used to be a trick to get in there. I might as well tell you now. (laughs) I have seven stars, so it didn't matter, but you could enter through the payout room where you don't need a diamond card and then just walk over you know, when, when they were the same room. 
So anyone who wanted to get in, and the cashiers never enforced whether you were a diamond or not. That was a little trick I let people know that uh, I felt should know about it. But uh, I, again, I didn't have to do it because I was seven star. But now you can't do it anymore because it's it's separated. There's a, a wall between them. But uh, now the only way to get in there is to show the security guard your di- diamond or seven star card. But I'd never seen the security guard having to manage a line going into the room until this year. And I've, I have walked by it a few times where there's a big line stretching out uh, when there is some kind of big field event running, like the Colossus. I have been registering at like 4 in the morning, so obviously there's no line for me, but I've seen it more prime hours, big lines, especially like right when the event's starting. Now, I'm not expecting there to be no line when the event's starting, but the complaint is that while there are, appear to be four cashiers in there, I have been told, I haven't verified this myself, but I've been told that two of the cashiers are dedicated for people who have, like, boxes there to get cash out and not for registering for events. The the claim, again, I haven't verified it, the claim from people who are grumbling about this to me have been saying there's only two cashiers in there taking buy-ins for these events. And that's why big lines form, and that before, even though it was sharing space with payouts, that the line moved faster because at 11 in the morning nobody's getting paid out. So if you're registering for a big event like a Colossus or, or some other big no-limit event, uh, every single cashier is working for registering people and nobody's being paid out. So while the payouts are sometimes interfering with it in the afternoon and you, you get chaos in there, now in the morning you just don't have enough cashiers handling it where last year you did. So <laughs> they corrected one problem and brought on another. Why they have two cashiers who are just handling the boxes there, I don't understand. Uh, if that's true, that's what I was told, but uh, I have seen long lines stretching out there, and that's the, secu- the security guard managing them, which I've never seen before. I've never seen before a security guard controls entry to the room because they're too big of a line. So they they screwed that up. So fixed one problem, brought on another. So I, I felt that the praise it got also deserves the associated criticism, which I wasn't aware of until this week. WSOP.com. How is it doing? It's our final World Series topic, by the way. WSOP.com. Let's take a look. Rather than me just giving you my opinion, let's read numbers to you. Read cold, hard numbers. Numbers online. Right now, I'm looking at WSOP.com, which is a shared player pool for Delaware, New Jersey, and Nevada. All together as one now, so it should be a lot more traffic than before. And we have people, a lot of people in town for the World Series that that normally aren't in Nevada to play poker. Right now I'm looking at Omaha. PLO has a 10-20 game running with five people. That is a high-limit game. That is the first time I've seen that game run in a long time. Usually it's nothing. It has a 3-6 game with five people. It has a 1-2 game with six people. It's a six-max table. They have a 5,100 game with six people. They have a... Sorry, a 50 cent one dollar, not 50. 50 cent one dollar for six people. 50 cent one dollar for five people. And, uh, and a few micro-limit tables. That's at PLO. Um, at... 08 
How many tables are running? Well, we have nothing running above 1-2. There is a PLO8 1-2 running with three people. There's a PLO8 table for 50 cents, $1. This is PLO8 with six people. A PLO8 with 25 cent, 50 cent with seven people. And how many tables do we have running right now? Micro stakes, low stakes, middle stakes, high stakes combined. How many tables do we have running of limit Omaha eight or better? Just oh eight. How many do we have of those running? Zero point zero. Yes, zero point zero oh eight of any limit right now. By the way, I know it's 12.43 Pacific time, but I checked this a few hours ago, and I think there were a few micro-limit 08 games, but nothing else. So no 08 scene. PLO 08 scene in low limits, but uh, nothing above that. You have some PLO on the site of, of uh, high, middle, and low limits, and uh, no 08 scene. What about Limit Hold'em? Limit Hold'em. Right now at 12.43 a.m. During the World Series of Poker, Limit Hold'em has... 0.0. Yeah, that's that's disgraceful. And have have you seen, Druff, um, much advertising or anything different than last year that they did? There's a little bit of advertising, but I'll I'll get to the problems in a second why I feel this isn't uh, thriving. Because, I mean, even if they gave everybody that registered for a tournament like 10 bucks credit, if you open an account or something like that, I'll bet, you know, they can, I mean, it's just like if they can't do it now, they might as well just shut it down. Yeah. Now, now No Limit's doing a little bit better. No Limit, we have, there's No Limit Hold'em. Uh, the heads up game at 510 No Limit. We have uh, two games running at $255. We have uh, a number of games of one, two. I think like four or five games. They're not all full. We have one game at fifty cent dollar. We have, and then we have some micro stakes games running, micro and low stakes. There's a number of those tables running. Okay, so it's pretty much a micro stakes site. That's <laughs> the truth. It's a micro stakes site with a little, you know, a few, a few tables that are running above that that are probably pretty tough. Like I have to imagine this. Uh, 1020 no limit, very tough. I have to imagine the. Uh, it looks like the 510 just broke. <laughs> uh, the, the yeah, it did just break. I have to imagine the the 255 dollar is pretty tough, even though like a three six like I think the 255 dollar if that exists or two five you know say like a two five live those are usually not tough games. I have to imagine these are like tough grinders on there. I'm just guessing. But uh, it's still a pretty small scene here. I mean, you have one ten twenty table, you have two two fifty five dollar tables, and then yeah, a few one two tables. But on the whole site for Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware combined, this is what they have. Yeah, it's late at night in the East Coast, but I, I looked earlier; this wasn't thriving. There's no time it's ever thriving. In fact, I looked at Poker Scout; they say the most cash players they ever have on there is five hundred eighty. Five hundred eighty. That's 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 nothing. Better than before, they have about twice the traffic they had last year. I think, you know, actually between twice and three times. So, yeah, it's it's improved some, but it's it's still pretty pathetic if you think about it. That 
these three states combined are only yielding that during the World Series of Poker. So, what are the reasons for this? Well, first of all, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the support is horrendous. Um, both the, <laughs> the telephone support's useless. All they do is you have foreigners taking your information and then just saying, uh, oh, you, you, need to, you need to be emailing it to support at WSRB.com for your problem. Okay, but can you help me? No, 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 I, I cannot do anything here. You must be emailing support at WSOP.com to, 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 to solve your problem. Thank you very much. So that, that's that's what you get when you call support. You get some Indian telling you to email support at WSOP.com. They're useless. Uh, you email them. The turnaround time, they, they you get an automated message saying it'll take three hours to get back. Three, three hours would be good. Three days to get back to you. And I just had an experience where I emailed them about something. And then it took like two and a half days. I got an email back finally saying, okay, we forwarded it to the right department. And then I didn't hear back. And then they actually did what I was asking without getting back to me. So I'm glad they did what I was asking, but I, got, I didn't get a feedback like, okay, we did it. So the support's always been crap. And unfortunately, it goes all the way to the top because Bill Reaney, who runs the room, Bill Reaney, who before running WSOP.com had a good blog and he seemed pretty with it. He seemed like, a good choice to run it. Um, he's another guy who, who can't take criticism, who blocks people, who won't respond to people. Uh, he had a debacle on the 2 Plus 2 forum where they had a, a, a sponsored forum on there and then he wouldn't answer people on there. Or laughably, so it would sometimes hold office hours where you've got to post to him during those hours or he won't answer you. Uh, it, the... And they haven't done anything innovative marketing-wise or site-wise to, to get things going there. You may say, what do you mean by innovative? Well, first of all, it would be great if they could bring features to the software that would be different and, and interesting and different uh, to WSOP.com. But you know, they're using 888 software, 888.com software. And branding it as WSOP, so you can say, okay, they can only do what to, they're taking an existing mature product. They can't just add features to it. Okay, I understand, but they can do other things. For example, they could offer incentive to people to start games. For example, if you start a game, uh, if you're the one to start the game, you pay no rake. Uh, or if you're the first two people to start the game, you pay no rake. This would prevent people from just you know sitting. Alone at heads-up tables everywhere, you know, sitting alone at tables everywhere, hoping to be the one to start. First two people start a game and play a certain amount of time, pay no rake for, the, for, for as long as they're sitting there, or up to up to however many hours. There's some kind of maximum number of hours. Uh, they could hire props. They could uh, establish a reward program that doesn't work like Poker Stars does because people can't play regularly if they're tourists if they're visiting the state. So people that come into Nevada, they don't want to start all over all over at the bottom level because they haven't been here in six months. So they need to change that. They could have uh, a lot of innovative promotions. They could even have ones that, uh, you know, buy into a World Series of Poker event and, and WSOP.com, your first uh, whatever number of hands are rake-free. Or we'll give you we'll give you 100% rake back, whatever. So you know this way, if, if they can't program the software to be rake free, you know, we'll give you this 100% rake back at the end of the month. Something like that. Something that brings people there. And go, wow, this is different. Wow, this is cool. Wow, this is going to draw me in. 
Instead, it's just a, a by-the-numbers, ordinary, mediocre poker site without any kind of action. And then they just expect it to work. And you'd say, okay, well, if you're going to have all that, at least make the support great. No, the support's awful. You ask PokerStars, how did you succeed, PokerStars? They'll say, we had excellent software and excellent support. And we were always trying to innovate, too. But mainly excellent software, excellent support. I'm talking about old poker stars, not Amaya poker stars, but that's how they succeeded. You, you think since they're copying poker stars rewards program, maybe they'd copy their their customer service model? No. I talked to Seth Polanski about this years ago because he, he was unhappy that I was criticizing WSOP.com and Bill Reeney very publicly, and he actually called me <laughs> and said, "Why are you doing this?" And so I told him, I said, "I'm not trying to be a jerk. I, I just really feel this way, and I'd, I'd love to see it improve." I'm trying to do this from a, a place of helpfulness. And I think a lot of what Bill is doing is wrong, and I think that a lot of the way it's being managed is wrong. So we had like a 45-minute discussion about it. And uh, I, I told him that... You know, so he told me, look, the support, it, it's a lot more expensive than you think. You know, we, we had to outsource it because uh, you know if we were to maintain a dedicated support staff in the U.S., the labor costs would be incredibly high compared to the, number, the amount of traffic we have on the site. Okay, good points. So I countered with, first of all, PokerStars doesn't have phone support. Uh, PokerStars has, uh, you know, so they didn't have phone support, so just get rid of that. You don't need them. Uh, as far as the email support, it's not that expensive to hire people to work hourly for, for uh, you know, on a part-time basis doing email support. You don't need to hire the third world for this. To hire competent people who you know don't make a lot of money but get the advantage of working from home. Do have them do email support. Uh, staff it with a few competent managers who they can refer things to. And and most importantly, Bill Reaney, who who is highly compensated and uh, is the head of the whole poker room, he needs to be accessible. He needs to be accessible. He needs to not have his feelings hurt so easily. He needs to be someone who confronts problems head on, can take criticism, can take suggestions, and he's not doing any of this. That's I told him this. And I told him I had nothing against Bill Reaney personally. I said I used to read his blog and I, I, I thought highly of him. That's why I was surprised to see uh, the, the, the job that's been done so far. So, it's not helping that they're losing money. They are. They're losing money. So, as profitable as the World Series itself is, as well-marketed as it has been, and it it, it has been incredibly well-marketed. I mean, poker has been declining year after year, and the World Series keeps growing. And they've been good with bringing innovative new events, like even the Colossus, which is a few years old now, but they keep bringing in new events that attract a lot more people. They, they find ways to bring in people every year, even as the, they're afraid maybe their old model is getting stale. They, they never sit still here. So from a marketing standpoint, they're doing great. They're, they're bringing in the numbers. They make so much money from the World Series. It's a huge asset to them. It really is. And, they, and they, from the marketing standpoint, they've managed it incredibly well. No question. But boy, have they screwed up the, the WSOP.com from the marketing standpoint. We laughed at the fact that when Butters, one of their 
I'm forgetting the guy's name now. Thomas, I don't remember his last name anymore. But uh, the guy who played his butters was the chip leader with 27 left in the World Series like two years ago in the main event. This guy like lived on WCP.com. I played with him a bunch. He played No Limit and Limit, okay? He, he just lived there. That's, that's all he did. All day and all night he just played WCP.com. He was the chip leader in the main event with 27 left. He, he didn't make the final table, but uh, coming into that, uh, one of the final days there with 27 left, three tables left, he was the chip leader. So you would think WSOP would go to him and say, hey, uh, how about we market you? Okay, you know, can we give you, you know, can we toss you a few bucks and let us market you as the, as a frequent player in WSOP.com? Maybe even get him, pay him to say that uh, he honed his skills on there. Or something like that. You know, I've, I've been playing a whole lot on WSOP.com, and look, now I'm, I'm the chip leader of 27 in the World Series. This would have been a great marketing opportunity. This would have been like a, a kind of a mini moneymaker, you know? That here's someone who, who plays there all day and all night, and then he gains all this experience, and then he comes to the main event and, and is the chip leader of the final 27. So then every average Joe can watch this and go, okay, I, maybe I can play all day and all night on WSOP.com, and I'll, and I'll make the top 20, I'll be the top chip holder with 27 left in the main event. Maybe this can be me. Perfect marketing opportunity, which pretty much wrote itself and they did nothing. They never promoted the guy. Never said a peep that he was a probably the most prolific player on there. How? How did they let that go by? I'm telling you, I'm sure the guy would have worked for cheap. This guy was, was like a um, I don't want to say a nit, but he was someone who, uh, it seemed like every dollar was important to him. Let's just put it that way. I think if they tossed the guy 25 grand or something, he, w- he would have said anything they wanted him to say. Within reason. So, they did nothing. They could have even just put it out there without him, Mark. They, they could have just stated as a fact, you know, that um, he, he plays a lot on WSOP.com. Maybe gotten his permission or something to say that. Whatever. They did nothing with it. I, I see ads for it, but it, they're, they're not doing anything to, be, to bring people in. In fact, I, I sometimes wonder what, what Bill Rini even does with his workday. Because I'm, I'm not seeing like a lot done. It's kind of just running itself, the site. I'm seeing a few promotions, a few t- new tournaments they're doing. Yeah, I get the, the marketing emails, but... I'm not seeing a lot of work being put into it, to be honest. Maybe I'm missing something, but that, that I'm not seeing it. So they need to do something different. They need to shake it up. I, I've said this before. You can't just run a site like this with a limited player pool and just expect everybody to just come to you because you're there. You've got to find a way, especially in 2018 when poker is not as popular as it once was, you've got to find a way to bring them in just as you have in the brick-and-mortar World Series. Think about how you bring people into the brick-and-mortar World Series. Think about how you appeal to them, how you appeal to the average Joe all around the world to come over and play the World Series and how you're very successful at doing this, how you even are good at getting skeptical people such as me to come down and do it. Here I am at the World Series. I come every year. How are you doing that? Think about it and then apply it to WSOP.com. I know it's not totally the same thing, but it's like they're not even trying. It's like they're trying but not trying. 
frustrating to me because I want to play on there. I want to turn it on. I want to see some limit hold'em games. I want to see some 08 running at decent limits. I want to play. I want to put money on and play. I can't. Nobody's there. Where are the props? Where's the promotions for those who start games? Where's any reason for people to get on there and play as opposed to, to Bovada or America's Card Room? Why should people play here? I don't know. The only change I've really seen is them taking away the status matching. That was stupid, too. They used to match your your brick-and-mortar status and give you rake back ba- based upon that. I used to get 35% rake back for getting seven stars. Nope, that's gone. Let's, let's just take away one more incentive for people to play there. That's smart. <sighs> Annoying. So... Yeah, it's a pretty embarrassing showing so far, at least in the cash games. I haven't really examined the tournaments, but pretty embarrassing. When does that tournament, is there a tournament draft where you play online and then the final something plays there live? There used to be. There was an online bracelet they just had where someone won it. I saw the bracelet ceremony at one of the events I played. It was some guy from France. And uh, they were. But do they play the final table live or no? I don't think so anymore. I think they just play online now. I, I'm not sure, but I think that's the way it is. Uh, the guy from France who won. It was funny. They they brought him out there. He had he made a speech. It almost sounded like they paid him to promote WCP.com because he was like talking about playing on there. It's a great site. He plays on there a lot. He encourages everybody to play there. Uh, then. They did this thing. This is so awkward. They do this for every bracelet winner. I, I hate the bracelet ceremony, and I especially hate the end of it because they play the national anthem of the country that the person won it from. So a few problems with this. First of all, most people who win are from the U.S., so you're just getting way too many U.S. national anthems, and it just doesn't really belong there. Just in the middle of a poker tournament, you've got to stop and wait for the national anthem to be played. Like with most people entering from the U.S., it's not a, a fe- it's not a feat for the United States that an American wins. So I, I don't feel pride in my country that someone from the U.S. won. Uh, then, and it's it's also not a a competition based upon nationality. It's an individual competition. You're competing for yourself, not for your country. That's another reason it's stupid. So it's just. It's really awkward. Everybody's got stands. They're not knowing to, what to do. They're, they're in the middle of an event. They just want to get back to playing. It's at the end of a break. You just you just want to get started playing again. You got to listen to this, this stupid ceremony, and then you have to stand for this national anthem. We don't have to. But they tell you to stand, and then they play a national anthem. So I, I was watching during the France anthem they played. Where it's funny, the guy actually took over in the middle and started singing over it. <laughs> the, the, the French guy. People kind of laughed about. But I'm looking around before the singing began. I was looking around and. Uh, most people actually stood for it. It was the French national anthem, and I think, I think everybody in the room except for one stood. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, this is funny. We actually have a higher percentage of people standing in the World Series for the French national anthem than the than NFL players standing for the U.S. national anthem when they play that at football games. But uh, I, I was looking to see who would be sitting during that, but there was only one guy who sat. I actually stood. I mean, everybody else is standing. I don't, I don't care. I'll stand if they say you're supposed to stand for this. Side of, but... Uh, I just think it's stupid and awkward, the the playing of the national anthem. You know, if, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make this promise to everybody. 
I'm going to make this promise to you guys, and I'm going to keep it. Just like I kept my promise to Bug Letterer at the table, if he got with me last year, and I did. And I wasn't in the mood to, but I did. I will make the promise that if I win a bracelet this year, that I will ask them. Now, I cannot control if they will not listen to me, but I will ask them that I'm requesting that they don't play the U.S. National Anthem for my win because I feel it just annoys people. That I have a lot of pride in the country. I'm proud to be from the US. I really am. But I don't I just don't I feel it kind of just bugs everyone in the room and it's kind of awkward and it would I, I would appreciate it if they just don't play it and let everybody get back to poker. I will actually put in that request if I win a bracelet. Okay? You have my word. I will try. They may not listen to me, but I will try if I win a bracelet. I'm also going to promote Poker Fraud Alert if I win. <laughs> I really will mention Poker Fraud Alert in the speech. Okay. Let's get to our non-World Series of Poker topics. So this one has a little bit of World Series of Poker in it anyway, just because of the time of year it's occurring. There is a poker player named Nicholas Palma, known as Nicky P., and a player named Tim Riley decided to call him out. This is what was tweeted out on June 3rd. What Tim Riley did is type up this statement on his iPhone notepad and then screenshotted it and put it on Twitter. I'm writing this post with much hesitation, but... It needs to be done. For the better part of the year, I've been backing Nick Palma and buying his action out of compassion. He came to me as a human and needed help. I was extremely hesitant, but decided if I could help him, I should. I saw something beyond his street kid mentality. By the way, let's stop right there. I saw something beyond his street kid mentality. Look, I think it's a great story when someone who grew up from kind of an impoverished background finds that they have a talent in poker and becomes a rags-to-riches story. Someone who may not have very much formal education, someone who doesn't have many skills, and and says, hey, I I found I can be good at poker, and kind of rises up from low limits to being a profitable pro and makes a good life for themselves through poker. I think that's a great story, and there have been people who've done that. Okay. However, the problem is someone who's got, quote, a street kid mentality is not the one you should be backing because they they probably lack the maturity. Someone who was once a street kid but is now 35 years old and has matured, that's a different story. I'm talking about someone who still acts like he's a kid from the street. Uh, that's not the one you should be backing. There, you, there's all sorts of problems that can occur. You need, someone, you need to back someone who's responsible and trustworthy, and someone who's, quote, a street kid is not who you should be backing. And by the way, this is not race-based. The guy we're talking about right now is white. So I'm not, uh, I'm not using this as any kind of code to bash any kind of race. I'm saying anyone who has a, quote, street kid mentality should not be backed. You need to back someone with maturity. Going on. Uh, he says, the stake was small and online. This is Tim Riley writing this about Nicholas Palma. Uh, so I could keep track of it easily. It soon began to get bigger as he started playing things we hadn't agreed on. Now, for those of you that don't understand what that means, because you're not really in the world of poker staking, when you back someone in poker, 
you have an agreement with the person you're backing what they're going to play with that money. So, therefore, they can't take shots with your money in forms of poker they're not as good at that you don't trust them to win at. So let's say there's a really good tournament player, but he kind of sucks at cash. So you can have an agreement with him. Okay, you can play tournaments of, you know, between $300 and $1,000 buy-in, but you can't play anything higher than that, You can't pl- and you can't uh, play any cash. No matter how good you, th- you say the game, you, you cannot play cash on my, on my money. That would be an example of an agreement you can make with, with someone that you're backing. So when sometimes people who are backed will take that money and go off the rails with it and start playing other things and chunk off the money. So he's saying that uh, Nikki P. was already doing that, playing things that they hadn't agreed upon. He says, I was upset, but continued to stake after bumping heads. After a while, it began to be too much. So I told him I was going to not continue, but he had a five-figure makeup deal, five times what the original stake should have been, and he offered I could just buy what I wanted and keep the makeup. So, what 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 he's trying to say here, I think, makeup. By the way, for those of you that don't understand, is a a lot of staking deals have something where once you get it, if someone's staking you and you're not making money for them, you don't owe them the money back. But if you win from the stake, you have to first subtract what you're behind. Before you do your split, so let's say someone's playing for, you're st- you're you're staking them. You're giving them all the money to buy in with, but uh, um, they get to keep thirty percent what they win. So there's no risk to them, but since they're doing the work to play, that you know they get thirty percent. Let's say that's the agreement, okay? Uh, but let's say they are fifty thousand dollars in the red in what's known as makeup. You know, you're they're they're fifty thousand dollars behind in the stake. They've lost fifty thousand dollars of your money so far. Just from not from stealing, just from or, or, or going off the agreement. Just they they just been playing what you've agreed to and they lose. Okay, so if if it does have make up the agreement, that means that if they're fifty thousand in the red, if they go win a tournament for one hundred fifty thousand, and their their part is to get thirty percent, they don't get thirty percent of one hundred fifty thousand. First, you have to they have to give you the fifty thousand off the top. So they give you fifty thousand right away. And then they get 30% of the remainder. So in this case, they get 30% of 100,000. Because the 50,000 comes off the top, they get 30% of 100,000. So in this 150K score, they'd only keep 30K and give you 120, even though they could have a 30% deal. So as you can see, when people are getting to makeup, the problem with makeup is that they start to realize that they need a huge score to make any money. Because let's say, let's say the guy in 50,000 makeup finishes third place for 40,000. Well, if he finishes third place for 40000 the amount that he ends up keeping from that score is... Zero point zero. It just goes... His makeup goes down to ten k from fifty k, but he doesn't get to keep any money. So doesn't that suck? You finish third place for 40000 you keep none of the money? So guess what these people do? They start gambling crazily to try to finish first place. They figure it's first place or nothing, because otherwise they really get nothing. So they they don't play in optimal style. You may say, "Oh, good, they're playing to win." No, they're they're being reckless and taking crazy chances because they they constantly feel under pressure to absolutely win. They so they would you know they'd rather there's a ten percent chance they finish first uh, and a ninety percent chance they finish tenth than uh, than say. 
thirty percent they finished first, and and twenty percent they finished second, and you know, down from there. That's what I'm talking. They just blow chip super fast because they're trying to chip up so fast. They really feel like they have to chip up and be first place. So that's a problem with makeup deals. I'm I'm just going on a tangent about that. That's already where a problem could be. So he's saying that. I think what he's saying here is that Nikki P already had a was already five figures into makeup. You know, over ten thousand dollars. And that uh, they agreed that Nikki P could no longer just choose what he plays. That this guy could choose specific events for Nikki to play, but they'd keep the makeup the way it is. So, so this way, if Nikki won whatever, they'd subtract the makeup first. So he says we continue this for six months, and then the makeup gets even higher. All this was frustrating, but no reason to post on Twitter. My issue was that he had some money from one of my pieces, and he asked to buy his Borgata, and he asked to buy. He asked me to buy his Borgata action, so I agreed. So I took a big piece with our makeup deal, and he finally cleared it. I asked him to to take my piece and make up and the makeup to Montreal the following day, and promised he would. So I, I guess Nikki P finally scored and cleared the makeup, so there there he was in the black at that point. So he hadn't lost money with Nikki P now. Nikki P won some stuff, and he. He's holding a bunch of money for, for Tim Riley here. So Tim Riley asked him to take all of this money that he had and go to Montreal and play there. They had a tournament going there. So he says he shows up. He promised he would. He shows up in Montreal, but somehow is able to avoid me for a few days. And when asking around if anyone I, that I know has business deals with him and if they had seen him, I got the, oh, no, not you, too, response. That's not a good sign. When, when the person you're backing, you, you ask, hey, have you seen this guy around? Oh, no, not you too. <laughs> so that's when he realized he was screwed. He said, apparently Nick had massive debts with past backers and investors that he hadn't paid. What I know, the numbers are six figures. Now he's here in Montreal and without my money. <coughs> or at least I think. I finally get a hold of Nick and by that I mean I saw him at Playground Poker and asked what's up. I'm not sure what Playground Poker is. He told me he didn't want to travel with the money, but it was safe at home, and that someone would be depositing it in my account the next day. <laughs> yeah, the old uh, check-in-the-mail story. The old, oh, I don't have the money with me, but uh, someone will put it in your bank account tomorrow. How many times have we heard that scam answer in poker? Someone will put it into your account tomorrow. He put the same excuse he gave other past backers. This obviously never happened, and I found out he had fired at least four bullets in the 5K party millions with 80% of his own action. So he's saying that uh, this guy bought himself in to other tournaments with, with the backers' money. So it's not, not just that he played an event that, that wasn't approved. He just took that money... And secretly played other events and then sold off, I guess, 20% of himself to other people, but uh, just fired off on those events with money that really wasn't his. He claims he fucked up, but needs to make it right. He's also been buying action of other players and other events, all while owing to his investors. He's been robbing Peter to pay Paul for years. He has paid me 5 k when he got back from Montreal and still owes me a lot more. He claims to have some of the money, but needs to live, and although I think he's wrong, I still didn't post anything because I wanted to see if he did the right thing with his next cash. Well, that came, and more Nikki P. excuses came along with it. 
people don't out scammers because of fear of not getting paid back. Uh, but if they looked at the bigger picture, it's a small sacrifice to make, but then he can't prey on others. If someone did this a year ago, I'm not in his spot with him. I'm not in this spot with him, and scammers won't be able to hide. So you know, he's trying to say if someone had outed him a year ago, then he wouldn't have invested in him. Nothing about doing this feels good, but I believe it's necessary. So he called him out, and as is the case with most of these, it's all true. Like it's very uncommon that this is said, and then it's not actually true that someone is falsely accusing someone of scamming them in poker. Just about every time someone comes out saying, "Hey, I said and such person ripped me off in poker," just about every single time it's true. Well, then Alex Foxen came out, another pro who's been on the rise recently. Alex Foxen came out and said, "Sad to say, I was another victim of this." thought it was a one-off event and warned those whom I knew that did business with him. Apologies to anyone um, who got hit because I didn't say anything publicly. I still like to think that Nikki P. was never malicious in his actions, but I may be naive. Michael Wang came into the conversation. He said that Nick Palmer owed him money, but that it was a loan he couldn't repay after going broke. Uh, Nick Palma didn't respond to most of this stuff, but he did respond to Michael Wang. Michael Wang also said, uh, didn't think he was doing this kind of stuff until recently. Hope he still makes some stuff to do right by everyone he owes. So Nikki P actually answered that one. By the way, Nikki P has been like tweeting prolifically while this is all going on, mostly not about this situation. He's just like tweeting like everything's normal. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing about this guy. Usually when this stuff comes down, these people hide. He isn't. He's just he's just tweeting out normally. Like, none of this is going on. But he, he did answer this one that uh, Michael Wang said. He said, I'll comment on this one real quick, and then the rest later. I owed Mikey like 25 to 30K. Not sure. Now I owe him a little more, more than 10K. I will continue to, to pay until it's zero. I'm sorry, Mikey. You've always treated me the same. You're a great friend. I'm really sorry this happened. So he's trying to say that he owed... You know, somewhere between 25 and 30K, but he's paid most of it. Now he owes him about 10K, and he's continued to pay down. The problem is that the accusation is not that he doesn't pay down some debts. It's that he robs Peter to pay Paul, that he gets no more, quote, investors, and then uses that to pay others. It's kind of like a Ponzi scheme. So that obviously doesn't look very good. Uh, someone even said, "Congrats to, to paying money, paying him money. You're stealing from other people." So other people see the, yeah, people see through that right away. Um, what about you stake? You stake. Uh, he was selling pieces on there, and they were realizing this looked pretty bad. So, you stake first posted. We've never had an instance of you stake backers not being paid and want to keep it that way. So they claim that everybody got paid through, you know, through their site involving him. And then they also said, 
Palma used our site one time for one tournament three days ago. He played the event and did not catch. Well, okay, that's that's why he didn't rip anyone off through Ustake, because he, he only used their site once and didn't catch, so he didn't know anyone. Uh, based on today's new information from the community, we will be promptly refunding all investors that bought pieces of his event on our site. We didn't know of any shady past dealings, but we've now excluded him from the site. So, basically they're saying... Even though he didn't stiff anyone here, he probably, you know, they didn't say this directly, but they're trying to say he probably sold pieces on f- false pretenses that he was never going to pay anyone if he won. So, since he was kind of free rolling you guys through our site, we're just going to be nice and pay everyone back, which, yeah, they're just doing because they, they don't want the bad publicity here. And it wasn't that much money to pay people. So, uh, he actually responded to what, uh, Ustake said. Remember, Calwatt actually was, uh, at one point, he had uh, Tasty Steaks was under the banner of You Steak, but then he separated from them when they didn't perform according to their con- according to their contract. So, I wish he was here to discuss this. But uh, he wrote back, "I sold sixty two percent of this event and played for thirty eight percent. I can show who invested me in my hand histories in the tournament. I've never oversold or scammed anyone." I've owed people money, though, and took time to pay them. Well, see, he's, he's responding to a, a different accusation that was never made. It's like saying, it, you know, it's, it's like someone accuses a guy of rape. And the guy says back, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I never beat up anybody. I, I, I never punched any guys out. I've never, I've never uh, robbed anyone. Yeah, but you're being accused of rape. No, I, I, I've never punched any guys out. I've never robbed anyone. You're like, well, but we're not accusing you of that. So they're not saying that Nikki Palma was faking playing tournaments or that he oversold. Overselling is where you sell more than 100% and then purposely lose. People are accusing him of taking backer money and then just uh, not playing what he agrees to. And then playing other events pretending like it's on his own dime or using that money to pay other backers that he owes money to so you know so he he wins something he owes someone the money you know their share of what he won he just doesn't pay them that's what he's being accused of and then taking investments from other people and and using that to pay the past backers so he's being accused of that so very convenient the way he worded this basically responding to that stuff then he also writes back to you, Steak. Nice of you to refund your investors, but no wrongdoing was done. Yes, it was. You you probably were not going to pay anybody if you want anything. Uh, Kevin Martin responded saying that uh, he's been trying to get paid for almost a year, and he warned people not to do business with Nikki P, with Nicholas Palma. Uh. At one point, he wrote a tweet about who he owes money to, but that's now deleted. So I can't read it to you. He said, I can explain anything to anyone who cares. I've messed up. I've been paying money towards blah, 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 and I I don't have the rest of it because it's, it's gone. But that's not the most disturbing accusation about Nikki P. 
there's, there's more. But wait, there's more. There's, there's something much worse. See, well, how can it get worse? Well, it can. It can get worse. Nicholas Palma is accused by a woman in poker of sexual assault. Oh, my. Much worse than scamming, right? Sexual assault. Stephanie Hubbard accused him publicly on Twitter. When a guy named Ross Gottlieb wrote, wow, this is surprising to hear, Stephanie Hubbard responded, no, Ross, it's not at all. I was probably the first victim back in 2012, except I got hit. Hit meaning physically hit. Sexually assaulted and robbed as well. I made my case known way back when this happened, and it was basically ignored by the entire poker community. Just glad that the truth is finally coming out. I responded to that tweet. I forgot exactly what I wrote, but it made Stephanie notice and respond to me. That's right. I was, I was asking him to comment on this. I, I asked Nikki P., can you comment on this one? It's the most disturbing of all the accusations. So he, he didn't respond, but she let me know that he had blocked her, so if he responds, she won't see it. She said, hi, I'm blocked from him, so I won't be able to, to see the response. So I told her I'll send it to her if he responds. He never did. And I offered her to come on the radio show. She just basically wouldn't answer that, so I didn't keep pressing. But she said, we dated in 2012. I have a lot of back-and-forth Facebook messages. So then I think, well, wait a minute. They dated in 2012. You know, yes, there, there is such thing, of course, as date rape or, uh, or you know, dating where the guy just uh, forces himself on the woman, even if it's not sex, but, you know, they, there can be sexual assault by, while dating. You know, any kind of sexual activity while dating should be consensual by both parties. Just because you're dating doesn't mean that someone can't sexually assault you. So I, I want to clarify, though. So... I said, so the sexual assault you spoke of, it happened while you were dating? I'm not questioning it, by the way, just wondering. She said, I prefer to forget it happened, to be honest. I went to therapy over it. So I've got to be careful how I tread here. Like, I don't want to bring back painful memories, but I'd also like, just like to know. Uh, so she, she said, the last night I was with him, I, brought, I bought a plane ticket to go to Arizona to visit family. He went to go see another girl, which I, I don't quite understand if they were, maybe they weren't exclusive. Maybe he was cheating. I don't know. Uh... He came home to New Jersey. I met him at Showboat. He was drunk. I said he was done. I said I was done. He pinned me down and essentially forced himself on me. I had bruises, and then he went in my purse and took money to get a cab home. This is all stuff he wrote to me. He has a drinking problem. He's admitted to that before. So that, that's pretty bad, if true. This, these are her accusations. I, I've never. I don't have any proof this is true, but these are her accusations about Nicholas Palma that he pinned her down and essentially forced her, forced himself on her and that she had bruises and then he took money to get a cab ride home. So that that was the robbery part she was speaking of. That he was drunk while this happened. So I said, well, you said you tried to tell people in poker and you were ignored. Was this on social media or people you told directly? Because I am surprised that, you know, if she had told this story back in 2012, it's hard to believe 
everyone on Twitter would go, nope, no big deal. It's only 2012. You know, maybe in 2018, if we hear about rape, we'll, we'll make a big deal after Harvey Weinstein. But in 2012, rape's no big deal. Like, no, you know, like, like in 2012, people would have been pretty outraged by this. Okay, so I had never heard of this before. So I, I'm not saying this didn't happen. I'm just saying that I'm, I, I was curious in what way she told people. Maybe she told friends of his and they didn't take it seriously. But I was like, if this was put out on Twitter, it's hard to believe that this would have not blown up six years ago. So she says, very violent and out of control. Yeah, in person, on social media, briefly. Uh, I was embarrassed and traumatized. I just wanted to forget it, the money I'd lent him and never getting back. So, I understand that part. I understand, you know, she was embarrassed and traumatized. Uh, she doesn't. She trusted the guy. He he did this to her. She kind of felt like a fool. She didn't want uh, anyone questioning her. She just, you know, she just wanted to forget it and move on. Which which sometimes rape and sexual assault victims want to do. And I'm not going to question that. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those people who say, oh, she had to report it if she was a victim. No, it's, it's up to her whether, what, the way she wanted to handle it. So I'm not going to criticize that. Uh, she said social media briefly. So I guess what that probably means is she probably said something may have deleted it. I, I don't know. I didn't want to press too hard. It's one of these things I can't press too hard. You know, I want to know the, the story. I'd love to put it out there. But, you know, uh, I, I don't want to demand she tell me because it's not really my right to know. So she said I was new to poker, very naive. I just kind of dealt with it and moved on. I hoped one day he'd be exposed for what he was. I asked her if she had a link to any Twitter posts or social media posts. She didn't answer me. So I, I think they're just gone. I think she said something and then deleted it. That's my guess. Um, she said that since then she she's moved on. She has a boyfriend that plays poker. She that uh, She's won in poker herself. So she's just kind of moved on and forgotten it. She did say he's a sociopath. So, those are the most disturbing accusations. Now, again, this is one individual against another. Uh, we don't have proof that this occurred. So, I, I want to put an asterisk on that whenever I have a third party coming to me, or coming, she also came out on social media, you know, direct, not just to me, but also in, in Twitter for everybody to see, accusing him of this. So, uh, that doesn't automatically make it true. If uh, I was asked to bet on this and uh, someone had the absolute truth of what happened, uh, would I believe, would they say, would I, if I was asked, do I believe this? If I had to bet one way or the other that this happened and there was a way to find out for sure whether she was telling the truth about this, uh, I would bet heavily on her side. He also has not denied it, from what I can see. So I would think that if someone comes out and says, uh, "Yeah, by the way, he sexually assaulted me," I would think if he didn't do that, he'd say, "What? I never did that." You know, I would think he'd say, "What? Look, we dated, but everything was consensual." But he didn't say that. He, he didn't come back and deny that, which is, is already the silence there is deafening on that subject. You'd think that'd be the first thing he'd respond to, and you can't even say he missed it because I, I, I made sure he saw it on Twitter. I responded to it and 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 put at. Nikki P and to make sure he saw her tweet so we could see if he'd respond to it but he didn't respond to it and he's been all over Twitter just talking about all kinds of things now of course uh, we can't have a poker controversy without Alan Kessler being part of it can we of course not so Alan Kessler 
uh, he chimed in. Um, I guess at some point Nikki P claimed that he had paid back Alan Kessler. That's the tweet that's gone now, by the way. Uh, Mike Dentali, by the way, said that he saw Nicholas Palma playing with $80,000 in front of him in blackjack. That's a bad sign. But that's not uncommon either for people who rip others off in backing deals. They'll often have a gambling problem where they go try to play pit games to get it back. And you know how that usually goes. But uh, Alan Kessler, he uh, did not agree that he was paid back. And this is what he did. This is what Alan Kessler did to get him back. Alan Kessler is not letting him off easy. Today, at 9.12 a.m., Nikki P. had the nerve to tweet out, if you fully want to put me in the World Series of Poker 1500 six max event starting in two hours, hit me up. Good structure and about 350000 up top. <laughs> yeah, why not put him in? You know, he's, he's accused of taking winnings from his backers and blowing it elsewhere and never paying them. But sure, let's, let's put him in. That's a good use of $1,500. This is exactly the right time to back him. I'm sure you'll see it all. What a great opportunity. So Alan Kessler screenshotted that and attached it to the following tweet. This is today, June 7th. Uh, Good luck with this, Nicholas Palma. By by now, everyone knows you're a scammer. I will out you on every occasion. I can since you had the audacity to block me on Twitter rather than own up to your transgressions. Look at Kessler there. Kessler's just coming out... Guns a-blazing, saying, you know, not only are you a scammer, but, uh, and not only does everybody know it, but every opportunity I have, I'm now going to out you as a scammer. I'm going to make sure everybody knows you're a scammer, says Alan Kessler, because Nikki P. blocked him rather than answer to the money that he owes Kessler. So... (laughs) What a freaking mess. The, the amazing thing is, unlike most of these guys who go into hiding, he's just, you know, he's just going out there. Hey, you don't want to put me in today? Just acting like nothing's happening. Everything's fine. Everything's normal. Just normal day at the World Series. Hey, 1500 event coming. Who wants to play with me? Who wants to put me in? Good structure. A lot of money. If I win it. Opportunity of a lifetime. Who wants to do it? Oh, yeah. Haven't you been scamming people? Who wants to put me in the event? Hey, don't you know a lot of people might, oh, da, 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 da. who wants to put me in the event? Good structure. Unbelievable. But honestly, worse than all that is the allegation of, of the of the rape. That's that's worse than all the scamming combined. And the fact that he doesn't answer to that, that's pretty bad. I even made sure to point out to him, this is the worst thing that you're accused of here. Scamming's bad enough, but the, the rape thing, if, at, at least focus on that. At least, let, let's hear a denial about that. Let's, let's get some clarity on that one. I guarantee if anyone ever came out and said that about me, they'd be, I, I'd be like so fast to respond to it. I, I'd be just instantly responding. Because I, I've never done that. and never would. 
And that's what I would say. I would I would explain whatever the situation was. You know, if it was a girl I've never been with sexually, I'd, I'd say that and say, you know, the girl can't prove otherwise. Because it didn't happen. If it was a girl I was with, but it was consensual, I would explain that. I'd explain as much as I could to show that I was not guilty of doing that. Because I haven't been. Because I've never done it. I never would do it. Every sexual experience of my life has been 100% consensual. So if I was ever accused of otherwise, believe me, I would want everybody to know that that was a lie. And I'd fall over all myself to prove it. Pretty bad stuff. So, Steer Clear Nicholas Palma, a.k.a. Nikki P. Well, parking charges have become an annoying but regular staple of Las Vegas. So much that most properties in Vegas charge for parking now. It started with MGM properties, and then it, it spread all over. A long time ago, they charged for parking downtown. That was the standard to charge for parking. Then properties at or near the strip opened and had free parking and advertised that. When I was a kid and went to Circus Circus in the 70s, I used to see a billboard that said, 10,000 car garage free parking. By the way, that garage is gone now. It's not 10,000 cars anymore. It's fewer cars now. There's outdoor parking in addition to that. But anyway, uh, free parking became the norm in Vegas. And even downtown, it was very, very easy to validate your parking. So while it wasn't technically free, there were plenty of ways to get it for free. But parking charges became very, very popular and common. And in addition to all these downtown properties, all the MGM properties charge for parking. All of the Caesars properties charge for parking, except for Rio and Planet Hollywood. The Mandarin Oriental charges for parking. The Wynn charged for parking. We'll get to that in a second. Even the Hilton Lake Las Vegas charge for parking, which is surprising. So parking charges became very common. A TI, Treasure Island, they, they think they charge for parking. Maybe not. I think you have to be a guest to park there. Something like that. Anyway, the Wynn, who came into the parking charges around the time Caesars did, has decided they're not going to do it anymore. They've decided they're reversing the decision to charge for parking. This is a very recent decision. In fact, it uh, it hasn't been implemented yet, but on July 1st, it'll be free at both the Win and the Encore. 
right now, you can park there for free for the first hour. Then after one hour, it's uh, $7 for the first two hours. And then after that, $12. And if you've been there for four hours, then uh, anywhere between four and 24 hours is $15. And if you stay another, if you stay past 24 hours, it's 15 for each additional day. This is just for self-parking, by the way. Valet is even more. So the president of Wynn Las Vegas, Maurice Wooden, said the following. Maurice Wooden said the following in a wooden voice. Our guests chose to stay with us because of the attention we give to perfecting every detail of their experience. We have come to believe that charging additional parking fees is counter to the personalized service we provide. This new policy directly reflects the way we know our guests want and deserve to be treated. That's the way I I, I picture Maurice Wooden speaking that way, just because of the name. So this is this is how uh, you can get free parking. Self-parking and valet parking at the Wynn and Encore will be validated once per day per vehicle. Provided that uh, you basically you have to do something there. So you can't just come in and browse, then you've got to pay. But if if you either spend $50 at the restaurants or the shopping outlets there or the nightclubs or the lounges then you get free parking, and if you if you gamble there, I don't know what the standard is, but something pretty low, presumably, they will validate your parking. They say that uh, this is designed to ensure that park- parking remains plentiful for resort guests, meaning anybody who actually comes down there to give them business, while reducing parking overflow from neighboring businesses, meaning they don't want you just parking there and, and walking elsewhere. Also, you can divide free parking among several vehicles. So let's say you invite eight people, you know, four couples. Let's say you, 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 your wife, and three other couples all meet at the wind to eat at a, at a restaurant there. And, and the bill comes to $250. Um, and you have four cars, you know, one for each couple. You can request that because you spent over 200 that you divided 50-50-50, and even if one person pays the whole bill, that since you have an expenditure of over 200 that you can use that to validate four vehicles. So you can bring your thing up there saying, give us four validations, and they'll give it to you. Now, if you only spend $50 for all eight people, uh, which would be harder to win, but let's say that you did, uh, then they'll only give you one validation. But the per $50 spent anywhere there, you can get one validation and just hand them out whatever way you want. So this way, if people meet together and for dinner or whatever, then everybody can get validated. If you stay at the win, you get free parking. Don't have to spend anything further. So the win decided they're doing this because they noticed that this is driving locals away. They noticed out-of-towners are kind of coming and dealing with the charge. But locals don't want to come down there. You know, someone invites them to go to dinner. And they say, well, I'd love to come there, but I don't want to spend the money. I don't want to spend 15 bucks to park here. So, no, I'm declining. I don't want to come down to dinner with you. So they had people or people that may want to just come down there and gamble a little bit. 
who live in the area. They, they don't want to do it. So the wind said, okay, look, if you're going to give us business, then we'll let you park for free. So they established $50 per vehicle, basically. Spend $50 here, and we'll let you park for free. And we'll give you free parking, basically, for every dollar you Free parking for every $50 you spend here for another vehicle. I don't know how the gaming is going to work. Um, they claim $50. What does that mean? You know, you could cycle $50 really fast in gambling. You could go to a roulette wheel and put uh, 25 on red, 25 on black, and provided it doesn't hit zero, uh, you, you'll get your money back and you'll just bet $50. Does, does that mean you can do that? I don't know. But uh, that that's what they're claiming. That'll take place July 1st, though, so don't don't do it now. Now there's, there's still the, the same parking thing in place. Will this affect other Caesars properties is the question. I don't know. Or Caesars properties, other strip properties, not just Caesars. MGM, Caesars. Venetian has never charged. Venetian has kept the lot free the whole time. Um, I don't think the win has to worry that much about people walking to neighboring par- properties. Because the properties that charge the park are not very close to Wynn. Wynn is kind of all in the north part of the Strip. So if you're going to, if you want to go to Caesars, for example, you're not going to park at Wynn. It's a long walk. Can you make it? Yeah, but it, it, it's a pain in the ass. But I, I guess they still don't want people parking there and then walking all the way down the Strip to the different properties they want to go to for the day and then coming back there and just using them as like a home base for free. That's why they have that expenditure requirement, which is, isn't that dumb of them. I think it's, I think they're finally doing the right thing. I think they, I think they've realized they, at the moment at least, with other properties that are charging for parking, they don't want to just become the designated free parking lot. But they don't want to discourage people from actually coming down and spending money there. So will this affect Caesars and MGM? We'll see. It may or may not. Caesars and MGM may take a hint from Wynn and go, wait a minute, let's take a look ourselves. Oh, yeah, we are discouraging locals from coming down here. Okay. They may adopt similar policies. This is like a a work in progress. At first they thought the free parking would be a way to discourage people from just coming down and not spending anything and a way to discourage people who weren't gamblers there or encourage people to earn platinum or earn pearl at MGM or Strangely enough, to get that credit card, you can get a credit card, a total rewards credit card, or a MGM credit card, and oddly they'll upgrade you to the right level to get free parking. So I don't know why they push that credit card so hard, but I guess they probably get some kind of incentive from the company, the bank providing the credit card, to where this is worth it to them. But there's signs all over the place. You know, don't want to pay free parking? Get the credit card. I, I, do you want free parking? Get the credit card. No annual fee, blah, blah, blah. And it's the right thing to do. If you go to Caesars Properties or MGM Properties, you should get these credit cards and just let them sit. There's no fee. You can just uh, – I, I think the uh, – I, I know the Caesars went after a while of inactivity. They threatened to close it. So like one time they threatened that and I spent like literally like a dollar on it and paid it off immediately just to keep it going. Or I didn't, but it was, it was actually uh, – Somebody else I knew who wanted it, so I uh, told them to spend the dollars. What happened? Anyway, we will see. 
But it's a good sign. Maybe they will start changing this. I want to talk a bit about the labor dispute, then that's going to be the end of this. Trudorowski, you still with us? Oh, I think the herbal tea may have affected him, or he's just slow with the mute button. We'll find out in a second. No, I think he fell asleep. I'm going to drop him. Just to improve the sound quality a bit, and if he wants, he can come back on. So, just two notes about the labor dispute. And then we'll be done with the show, and then we'll be back on June 19th. Uh, I announced last week that the culinary union, which encompasses 50,000 employees in Las Vegas, on the, mostly on the Strip, uh, the, most, it's most of the hotel employees, the ones who work at the restaurants and hotel positions, not, not the casino employees, that they were in a labor dispute and they were about to strike unless uh, some concessions were made. And they voted 99% yes on a strike starting possibly June 1st. And we're on June 7th now, and it, it hasn't started. And that's because the strike is more of a scare tactic, and right now the casino and the workers are in a negotiation phase where anything agreed to will go retroactive to June 1st. That's, that was the significance of that June 1st strike date. So I reported last week that Caesars has come to a tentative agreement with the union. Well, very shortly after the show was over, the culinary union reported, we are pleased to announce that a tentative agreement has been reached with MGM. And it's a five-year contract, just like they have with Caesars. So it'll... Supposedly, they have a five-year contract with both that has been tentatively agreed to that will expire on May 31st, 2023. And that will avert this strike and any other strike that would happen for the next five years. So it's not clear what the terms are of these agreements. The workers wanted increased wages. They wanted... uh, Job protection in case things get automated, which they've been, already been seeing happening, like automated check-in kiosks and things like that, that they don't want uh, workers to get fired or laid off over that without being transferred to elsewhere within the company to do other things. They don't want to just be let go. And so they want uh, job protection against automation, which I think is kind of funny. They want higher wages, and they want some other things. For example, there's the do not disturb situation. And that's my final topic. I'm going to combine these two topics. They, as I've mentioned before on other shows, want to be able to have security enter any room with do not disturb for more than a day, and security to agree to stay around until security itself deems it safe for the maid to go in. So uh, that's what the maids wanted. First, the hotels wanted the maids just to come in. The maid said, no, we want security there. Then they said, we also want security to pronounce the room safe, not just to open it 
and quickly look in, but they have to actually state we think the room is safe before leaving, and if they don't think it's safe yet, they have to stay. And for whatever reason, the casinos were objecting to this, and they're, they're, that was part of the strike threat as well. So uh, the terms haven't been announced, but it seems like you know they came to the agreement pretty quickly. The last time there was a threatened labor stoppage, it took months to do this. So the fact that they came to a, an agreement so quickly after the said potential strike date of June 1st shows that uh, the union probably got mostly what it wanted. So what about the do not disturb thing? As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it has not yet come to pass because the agreement has not been formally accepted yet. It's been tentatively agreed to, but hasn't been formally accepted. Well, I don't know what that entails regarding the do not disturb portion, but I know that in my room, I have hung, or actually I say outside my room, I've hung a do not disturb sign on the door for over a week now, and nobody has come in. My do not disturb sign went up on the early morning of May 31st, and here we are on the early morning of June 8th, and it has not been taken down, and nobody's come in this room except me, and nobody's tried to come in this room except me. Which, amazingly, is actually less resistance than I've gotten in previous years, before the terrible incident on October 1st, 2017. I was sure they were going to be very, very hard line about coming in here, making sure everything's okay, but no. I've had this thing up for eight days, and they haven't said a thing. They, other times, they would put a notice on my door. They're going to come in after three days, blah, blah, blah. I had to fight them about it. They'd eventually back down. This year, I knew they wouldn't back down. In fact, I even asked the front desk. They said, oh, no, 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 we, we have to come in. Well, no, I guess they don't. <laughs> they never came in once, and I think it's because of the labor dispute. I think they don't have a protocol yet to come in. The casino has not yet agreed what security's role will be in this and the maids have not agreed, you know, the union has not agreed on behalf of the maids what their role is going to be. So nobody has a role to check on this yet. So therefore, it's nobody's responsibility yet. Therefore, now nobody's coming in. <laughs> so right now, it's actually easier to hang a, a do not disturb sign on your door at a Caesars property for days and days and days than ever before. And nobody's talking about this. Everyone thinks it's like way safer that, that uh, you know, this will never happen again. <laughs> the truth is it's actually easier now than it was before to, to shut everyone out of the room. Now, the truth is, I, I think that whole thing is BS. I think that, you know, while what happened is tragic, um, it's not going to prevent someone from getting weapons into the room to do the same thing as Stephen Paddock did. It's human nature to always want to prevent a tragedy from happening again, and sometimes the prevention methods are just more feel-good than practical. Stephen Paddock took several days to bring all those weapons up to his room, but he didn't have to take several days. He could have done it in one day. It was just easier and a, and a little bit more advantageous as far as not getting caught to do it over a period of five days. But it is not hard to bring a few suitcases up over a period of a whole day into your room with nothing but weapons in them. It, it is not hard to do that without being detected. They don't x-ray your luggage. Uh, a suitcase with guns in it would look the same as a suitcase with clothes in it. So anybody who wants to do it could do it. That's the truth. No one's being scrutinized how many times they bring suitcases up to the room. I mean, if you keep carrying suitcase after suitcase, 
in a period of, of half an hour, yeah, you'll probably be noticed. But you know, you spread it out over over the day, you can easily do it. So it's it's just a stupid feel good thing because Stephen Paddock dropped a do not disturb on his door for five days and then snuck weapons up over five days and then killed people with the weapons that you say, okay, well, how do we prevent this? Ah, no more do not disturb. Ah, there's, that's how we do it. No, no. So I'm actually happy about this this labor dispute because it's, it's prevented this intrusion into my room. I I don't like when they intrude. I don't need them in here. I'm not hiding anything. I just don't need them in here. I don't need anyone going through my stuff. I don't need anyone potentially stealing things. I don't want to have to trust anyone in this room except for myself. It's that simple. So that is all I've got. Remember, June 19th is the next show. So, I don't have much more to say. That's that's our agenda for this. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. I forgot something. I forgot something. This was not on the official agenda, but it was on the agenda last week, and I forgot to do it. And then I almost forgot it this week. But I'm not going to forget it this week. Greg Pearson's iOvation company. Remember Greg Pearson, the UB cheater? Who is rumored to have been involved in the UB cheating early on because his wife was accused of having sex with a student who was 16 years old? That same Greg Pearson, for some reason, they needed money for her legal defense, and right around then is when the cheating started on UB. He was the, quote, head of security there. He was definitely involved in the cover-up afterwards. Greg Pearson, of all things, runs an anti-fraud technology company called iOvation. Isn't that funny? Of all people to run an anti-fraud technology company would be Greg Pearson. UB cheater Greg Pearson. Amazing. Listen to this. This is May 18, 2018, this article on bizjournals.com. Portland-based anti-fraud technology firm iOvation on Friday said it's being acquired by TransUnion, a publicly traded consumer credit reporting agency. Terms of the deal were not disclosed, but iOvation said in a blog post that the deal won't result in any layoffs, relocations, or leadership changes for the company, which means Greg Pearson is going to, I guess, be uh, uh, in charge of, uh, still be in charge of the company. It'll just be owned by TransUnion. The iOvation team will work closely with employees in TransUnion's existing Beaverton, Oregon office. Iovation will be an independent team within TransUnion's Fraud and Identity Business Unit. Iovation founded in 2004. By the way, there was also rumors that it was found. You know, it was founded with stolen money from UB. That was how it was you know, noticed the 2004 date. The cheating was alleged to have begun in 2003. Iovation, founded in 2004, has long been among Portland's fastest-growing private companies, reaching a height of, reaching a height of 147 employees and 38. million in sales in 2016 equally a two-year growth rate of 36%. It built its business as an anti-fraud technology, with much of it based on a massive database of unique Internet devices comprised of nearly 5 billion devices over 50 countries. 
The company software helps customers verify and assess the risk of those devices accessing a customer's network. It evolved in 2016 with a product that would allow known safe devices to bypass the need for a password to access certain areas of websites. It also built an authentication tool that managed, manages different authorizations companies offer, such, offer, such as fingerprints, ge- geofencing, and PIN codes. Jim Peck, CEO of Chicago-based TransUnion, said Iovation's tools will further bolster his company's history of developing innovative fraud and identity solutions. Yeah, good luck working with, with Gray Pearson. <laughs> fraud and identity solutions. I guess you have to experience crime on the criminal's end before you uh, experience it on the prevention end, right? Together with Iovation, we will create an unmatched network of offline and online identities that will help make transactions faster and more secure while providing a frictionless experience for consumers, Peck said in a written statement. The deal is projected to close in the second or third quarter, depending on regulatory approvals. Once it does, Iovation will join a 5,100-person company that last year generated a profit of $441 million. This is a transunion on a $1.93 billion in revenue. So that's a much bigger company, TransUnion, than Iovation. Uh, by the way, if you get Google Greg Pearson, and I'm sure he's seen this, uh, the third link is a WordPress site that somebody made exposing Greg Pearson and his uh, alleged crimes with UB. GregPearsonIovation.wordpress.com Here's an article from 2016 from Cards Chat where Pearson actually had an interview and he uh, had an interview with Gaming Intelligence. But he gave very few details. He said, Russ Hamilton was a larger-than-life figure. When we ran out of money, he asked, how much do you need? With one phone call, he got a $1 million investment. The likelihood of being, him being a crook was the furthest from my mind. Maybe I'm stupid or naive, but I don't believe he wanted to rob players. The success of his site was, was his success. The success, the success of the site was his success. It never occurred to me that he wanted to rob players. He certainly could have because he had access to everything. He just wanted the site to be perfect. Um, then he also said that, uh, you know, people couldn't understand why he had chosen not to defend himself against the many attacks on him for, uh, um, having a proactive role in the cheating. And he was recorded, if you remember, in the tapes that we played on Dockdown Radio back in the day and, uh, and later on uh, Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Travis McCarr tapes where he was, at least in the cover-up, where he he and others, including Russ Hamilton, were discussing ways to cover up the scandal. So, he didn't answer to that. Uh, this gaming intelligence interview, the, the, the interview said, uh, Pearson was trying to calm a paranoid Hamilton and was pleading with him to come clean and admit his wrongdoing, but then lets him off the hook.
So they even mentioned in this article two years ago about Haley Hintz was uh, she was the one hardest on him on the internet and it referred to her as uh, Iovation's chief blogger critic. <laughs> And she tweeted at the time after this article, Re Greg Pearson and Iovation, Greg ordered all records connected to his ATM UB player account to be deleted. Should the Nevada Control Gaming Commission uh, board ask why? So they, whoever did this interview didn't want to ask very many questions two years ago. As gaming intelligence, they uh, let him give his stupid answer, and then uh, that was pretty much it. So, what's interesting, though. What came out from that thing two years ago was that uh, there was a person on the gaming control board who did not want to give a license to Iovation to operate in the state of Nevada, which they had. I think they still have. This is when they were processing verification for Ultimate Poker until Ultimate Poker fired them after a lot of uh, controversy over this. But there was someone on the Nevada Gaming Control Board called... His name was Sean Reed. And Reed said uh, he was at least implicated in the cover-up. So you think the burden of proof must be on Pearson to clear his own name. So... um, he also Sean Reed also said that uh, he was extremely re- reluctant to give any kind of license to Iovation and Greg Pearson because it was impossible to see beyond his close ties with Russ Hamilton. Reed also said that uh, he couldn't understand why Pearson would not ever defend himself from the many things written about him on the internet, accusing him of being part of the scandal. So, it's very sad that TransUnion is having a relationship with this company, with Greg Pearson. It's too bad. I mean, how, how can they not Google Greg Pearson and read this about him? That's what I don't understand. How does TransUnion acquire a company like this? A a $2 billion company, $2 billion revenue company per year like TransUnion. How do they not just Google Greg Pearson, the CEO of Iovation, and not read the third blog entry about this? Which gives all the details about the UB. Not all, but a lot of details about his alleged crimes with the UB. How do you not ask him about this? And they're probably like, oh, you know, it's probably just people, you know, people on the internet, they're just paranoid. Look into it a bit more. Amazing how corporate America could miss things like this. Amazing. All righty. 
think we're about done here. We are done. So thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. June 19th is the next show. Right now scheduled for 6 p.m. Pacific time. Time may change. Sometimes I adjust the time during the World Series. Let me take a quick glance at my schedule just to make sure that uh, I may have an event on the 18th, which could really put that in jeopardy, especially if I just keep min-caching everything. <laughs> then I'll probably have uh, several day twos going on. This might be like my World Series of min-caching. I kind of have that feeling. I just kind—I just kind of—we'll see at the end. But I kind of have this feeling like I'm just got like a a slew of min caches. This—I I kind of feel that that's what's going to happen. I'm not going to try for that. I'm just—I just kind of have a feeling that's what's going to happen. So let me take a look at uh, my schedule again. Even I don't have it memorized. Yeah, June 18th, I'll be playing a 1500 no limit hold'em. Probably. Well, let me tell you how it's going to go. June 16th, I'm playing that Mixed Omaha event. If I make day two of that, then I will miss the June 17th $1,000 double stack No Limit Hold'em. In which case, my next event would be June 18th, unless I make day three of that. You know, so, okay. So, let's assume no day threes. Because I may cash everything. Okay? But if I make day two of the Mixed 1500 event which I could do and not even cash, by the way. You don't cash on day one on that. So if I make day two of the Mixed Omaha, then I would miss the June 17th event, but then probably then if I don't make day three, I'd, I would make the J- J- June 18th event. But if I make day two of that, then I might still be playing at 6 p.m. However, I be, have to be fairly deep because you will probably cash that event early in the day of June 19th. So I had to make it pretty deep on day two to miss this show on June 19th. However, let's say I make day two of the double stack event on the 17th, which I'd only play if I bust day one of the June 16th Mixed Omaha event. Then I probably will do the show on the 19th for sure because I'd have to make day three of the double stack because I'd be missing day one of the June 18th 1500 no limit. Hope you understand all that. (laughs) If by some chance I miss the 19th, don't worry, there will be ample opportunity to do the show because I have nothing scheduled for June 21st, June 22nd, or June 23rd. So those will be days to do the show. Why don't I have it scheduled for one of those? Well, because uh, it'll already have been 12 days, so I might as well do it on the 19th. But if, if for some reason I'm busy playing on the 19th or can't do the 19th because I'm sick or something, then I will do the show on June 21st, 22nd, or 23rd. So th- it will happen that week in some way. Unless I'm sick. If I'm too sick to do the show, then... That's the only way it won't happen. But there will be no show next week, so don't look for it. You can listen to a rerun going. After that, the next one scheduled is July 4th, which would be the day after I play day one of the main event. Even if I make day two, I will not be playing on July 4th. That would be an off day no matter what. There is a chance I will be doing something on July 4th, so I may have to reschedule that, but... I'll do a show sometime that week. I think. Um, yeah, I think after day two, there would be a break anyway. So I think it would go 
I think day one would be day day one would be July third. I think July, day two would be July fifth, and day three would be July seventh. So I may change that to July sixth. It'll either be July fourth or July sixth. Well, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Bottom line is, uh, oh, I know the July the June twenty sixth show. That's the one most in jeopardy because there's a PLO eight tournament that day at eleven a.m. If I'm still in it by the evening, then there will be no show on the 26th. I'll say I'll probably give it till about 10 p.m., and if I'm still in it by 10 p.m., there will be no show. Because I'll either have spent too long playing or I'll have made day two. Either way, I can't do a show that night. And then and then I can't do one after that, unfortunately. So we may – the June 26th show is, is tentative right now. Everything else uh, I'll find – I'll either do or I'll make it up very shortly after. So there we go. Alrighty. That's it. I don't know about how I feel about being off for 12 days here. You know, I kind of... I'm going to miss you guys. Kind of want to... Uh, do a show next week. There's just not going to be time. I just haven't done many shows recently. I, I, I kind of feel like Poker Fraud Alert Radio Withdrawal. Even though I did one five days ago. I believe I only did two shows in May. And then, yeah, we had two shows close together in June already, but then there's not going to be anything until the 19th. So, yeah. Between April 26th and June... 18th, there's only three shows. Wow. Only three shows between April 26th and June 18th. There's May 12th, May 20th, or sorry, four shows. May 12th, May 20th, June 2nd, and June 7th. That's a period almost two months. Only four shows. So we've missed some for various reasons. World Series, illness, When I, I don't do the show, I get to miss it. I really do. That's why I think if, if I quit doing the show, I think uh, I would feel some form of emptiness, like like I'm missing it. You know, like like I want to get on and talk, and, and I can't. That's why the show will keep going for the foreseeable future. And I thank everybody here who has stuck by me and listened to it and enjoys the show, whether it's live or in the archives. If you see me in the World Series, come say hello. Unless you squatted a domain from me. And you want to pay me $1,100. But if you didn't squat a domain, you can come say hello for free. That is all for tonight. I'll talk to you on June 19th. Hopefully I'll have uh, more than a mid-cast to report to you by then. Good night, and shalom.